August 16th, 2019 from the Troyly Design Saloon here in Corona, California. It's the Whiskey Throttle Show. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We've had a little bit of a break, and it's good to be back. Uh, summer vacations, we all kind of go on our separate ways with kids and families, but um, it's stoked to be back, and stoked to be back here in the saloon. It's been almost two months since we've shot a show here. We've been on the road and doing some different things, and today we've got legendary tuner Brian Lunnis in studio with us. If you're, you're probably familiar with the name, but I don't know if everyone realizes the depth of, of what this guy accomplished. Uh, writers like John DeSoto, Runyard, Grassi, Holcomb, Noyce, Warren Reed, Donnie Hansen, Bob Hanna, Rick Johnson, Damon Bradshaw, Mike Craig, Mike Kudrowski, Damon Huffman. He worked with all those individuals. 12 national and world titles to his credit. Uh, he was on the winning uh, six winning motocross donations teams. Uh, he's also got the, an Indy 500 win working uh, with Dan Gurney as a suspension tuner and a NASCAR championship with Bobby Labonte in 2000 as his suspension tuner. So this guy's really done a lot, and he started helped start Mechanics Wear with Jim Hill. Uh, so his credentials are incredible, and it's going to be fun to get into that with him today. And he's outspoken. This guy does not hold back, which is really fun. Uh, I want to introduce my partners, as always, with me, my co-host, Grant Langston. Gio, welcome to the show, bud. Yeah, thanks. Feels like it's been a while, but it's, uh, good little summer break there. Yeah, well, we had, I think, what do we have, like 27 shows out? What, we got a lot of shows. I thought, ah, people, they'll catch up. Yeah, we, we had a bunch of people going, hey, I've seen everything, <laughs> like, hurry up. Yeah, what happened? Yeah. Uh, Donnie Bills, uh, speaking of Donnie, our producer over here in the corner, thanks, buddy, yeah. for... Uh, Always taking care of the technical stuff that GL and I don't know how to do. Yeah, yeah, you guys would be lost. Oh, yeah. yeah right. Donnie's uh, summer plans had a little hiccup. Yeah. My poor boy took a tumble and broke his wrist and scratched his face all up. And, and your Hawaii trip plans got yeah, pushed. Yeah, week, it was the week after that. So Sunday he got hurt. The following Monday we were going to leave, and uh, we had to postpone it. My daughter broke both her arms, and then... We had a trip to England planned, so she got a cast off right before. But it was funny, she was trying to carry her bags, but she couldn't straighten her arms. <laughs> and I'm like, it's actually good therapy, honey. And by the time she came home, her, mo- her mom's like, yeah, her arms are a lot straighter now. I'm like, it's on the luggage. Throw a couple bricks in each exactly. bag. Exactly. Yeah, she was walking like a road racer. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like in the overalls. Yeah. Uh, I want to remind you guys, go to pick up your Whiskey Throttle t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts. We've got all kinds of stuff, new stuff coming, whiskeythrottlemerch.com. Go over there and check them out. The guys at Temecula T-Shirt Printers do an awesome job for us, uh, and we really appreciate you supporting the show if you like what you see. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, too. We couldn't, wouldn't be here without PowerDot. Uh, those guys really stepped up early on. They make an awesome product. If you have not tried it or seen it, go to PowerDot.com if you want to buy one. They have a single or a duo unit. Uh, you get 20% off using the code Whiskey Throttle, and these things really work. Follow them on social media as well. My Power Dot uh, on Instagram, if you're a visual person like us, they show you a lot of different ways and ideas and, and uh, tips there. So you get to learn the product in a very simple way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and a big thanks to Yamaha. They came on board, and, and for us, that was huge. You see the new, uh, new Ray toys we've got over here. Uh, they built us some new Yamahas. We're stoked to have these guys on board. Such an awesome brand, amazing products. GL and I went out and wrote all the new uh, 2020 YZ line, the two strokes, and we had fun. a ball. So we're going to have that video up for you soon, and we'll chat a little bit about those. That was a lot of fun. Method Race Wheels, they bring you our front-end chatter segment. Decal Works, bringing you our last call. We really appreciate everything those guys do. Four-wheel parts, uh, the Get At Me Q&A, we're going to do that a little differently today. That'll be fun. Troyly Designs, bringing you our, uh, our time out there, a little break in the middle of the show. And uh, we're here at their saloon, so of course, uh, we really appreciate their support. Adidas. Don't be a dick to your feet. Don't do it. 
Pro Circuit, they race and they win a lot. They're leading both championships right now with Adam Ciancerillo and Eli Tomac. Uh, hopefully both of those boys can uh, bring those in this year. Dunlop Tires bringing you just the best tires in the sport. Uh, support the guys that really back the sport, and, and there's no one that does what Dunlop does. They commit to amateurs, professional racing, tire development. Um, back those guys because they back us. Uh, Nihilo Concepts, 20% off they've offered now. So use the code Whiskey Throttle, and uh, you can go to Nihilo Concepts, get 20% off on all their items. They've got a couple of new things out that are really cool. They've got a factory spec grip tape. Uh, it goes on the frame. It's kind of a softer uh, rubber material instead of more of the skateboard deck tape, you know. So it's a little more durable, and uh, they're all custom fit for each bike. They're really, really cool, and you'll see a lot of factory teams using those just to give you a little bit better contact point with the bike. Good grip as well. Yeah. It just lays them on on a customer's bike. and It's awesome. It's cool texture as well. So you can, you can almost feel the grip because a lot of the boots have more sort of plastic panels on the inside, so any moisture would get really uh, slippery between there now with this material. You can tell a little more grip. Yeah. Yeah, for so sure. Pretty cool. Uh, they also make a new lever grip. It's sort of a material that slides over your brake and clutch lever. You shrink wrap it on, and uh, just gives you a little bit better grip on your uh, levers. Also, really good if you're riding cold weather. Uh, keeps from your fingers getting cold. So a lot of a lot of benefits there. And you get twenty percent off. Go over there and use Whiskey Throttle at Nihilo Concepts. Uh, specialized bicycles. We're stoked to have those guys on board. They've got a brand new Enduro out that is amazing. Uh, I still wouldn't trade my e-bike for it, but. <laughs> no, I saw that. I'm like, the minute you put a motor in there, dude, I'm all over it. But uh, nah, I, like the, I like the pedal assist. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, same. Uh, Fire Department Coffee also giving you 20% off. Look, if you drink coffee, why not why not get a good deal on it? And these guys also give 10% of their proceeds on top of that to injured firefighters. So it's near and dear to my heart. Go to Fire Department Coffee. It's firedeptcoffee.com and, uh, and order some coffee up for the family or the office. And then uh, lastly, a shout out to Racer X. They're still doing... 99 cents for three issues of print and digital. So go take advantage of that. That's ridiculous. RacerXOnline.com forward slash 99 cents. And uh, you can take care of that. Method Race Wheels front end chatter. Let's dive into some chatter. What do you say? Um, yeah. Method Race Wheels bringing you the toughest, lightest, fastest wheels in off-road. Um, oh, I finally got my wheels and tires in. I'm going to get my truck done here in the next week. So I'm, I'm hyped to see what this thing looks like. The wheels are insane. I should, dare I say, take your time. Yeah. Well, no rush now. It's been a minute. I'm excited, <laughs> though. Uh, so improve the performance and the look of your truck, and uh, do it all at Method Race Wheels. They've got everything. No matter what you're looking for, anything off-road, they make it, and uh, it's the best stuff there is. So a couple of things we have on our list today. Motocross of Nations choices were selected. Yeah. What do you think, GL? Well, I think this year it's uh, definitely the, the big talk is the fact that Kawasaki are not going to be going, uh, so that basically would have taken out uh, Tomac and Cincerella, who's moving up, that, that was announced. I think a lot of people have mixed uh, feelings on it. That, you know, Some people are pissed off about it. Some people, I think, kind of understand. But the general conception is I think people seem to be a little bit bitter towards Kawasaki over this announcement. Um, but we were chatting a little bit. We also see that there's another side to it that people don't, don't realize, and that that's the expense that would come out of their pocket that they didn't necessarily plan for, nor do they want to spend money on something that's um, sort of irrelevant to them. Um, <clears throat> you know, I know you mentioned it. A lot of people say you're un-American if you don't go represent your country, but things have changed over the years too. You know, with Monster Cup, um, Monster is a title sponsor for Kawasaki, so that event is, for them over here, more important. Yes, they sponsor the GPs, but the GP teams, that's their priority. So... 
it's it's two different things now. You've got this side of the Atlantic and that side, and yeah. the minute it, it crosses over, donations has become a, a big thorn in a lot of people's side because of the schedule, trying to get ready for Supercross. Uh, for Cincerella, it's changing teams, changing bikes, getting ready for the season coming up. I totally get it, but I think at the same time, there's still people that don't really get it. So I don't know what you think. And, and I, maybe people would give Adam uh, a pass because he is changing bikes. He's got a lot to get through in, in terms of testing and adjustment. Yep. I think uh, from what at least I've gathered, people are really having a hard time letting Eli off the hook. And I get it. We want our best guys to go. We want to represent America, but you have to understand the business side of it. And it's like Eli has this short window to, to make a living. And yep. His focus is Supercross and Motocross, period. And whatever he's obligated to from his sponsors, which, as you mentioned, is the Monster Cup. He needs to go there and be ready. And for us to, for, for us to ask him to six weeks continue with your outdoor training and, and riding and, you know, forego the Supercross stuff, I mean, it's just, that's tough. That's a big ask. And for no money. And then, as you mentioned, yeah. Kawasaki's got to come up with an extra 50 grand to send their guys that they didn't budget for it. You yeah. know, as a guy who's run this team here at TLD before, your budget is what it is. And you, you know, if I was bu- to go back... Budgets are shrinking. Teams are cutting budgets. I mean, yeah, manufacturers are cutting back. I mean, that's that's the reality. And to go to a, your sponsor or your, you know, team owner and say, hey, so I need 50 grand. We're going to go do this race mm. that, you know, doesn't count for points or anything else. It's just a tough sell from a business standpoint. So I totally get it. I, I don't give the guys any heat if they decide they don't want to go. Uh, I understand the people who who um, are upset. They want our best team to go. And, I mean, it's yeah. like, especially Assen, this track is <laughs> so unlike anything else our guys have ever ridden. It's all man-made. It's, they dump a bunch of beach sand on a road race circuit, and I've watched on TV, and it looks brutal. I've seen guys roll off the throttle and go over the handlebars. So yeah. it's not going to be fun, but I think with that said, I think they picked the best team that was able to go. I think Osborne's got good, good you know, GP and European experience, sand experience. Anderson rides well in the sand, and um, you know Justin Cooper. You know, besides Cincerello, is probably your best bet. He's uh, uh, he did very well in uh, Florida, which is kind of a sandy national. He's he's been strong at Southwick, so you know I think the U.S. has a good team, but I do think they got their hands full. Yeah. I think the Dutch are going to be very hard to beat in their own backyard this year. Yeah, well, even if we sent our very best team, we got our hands full. Yeah. I think we're a distant. <laughs> underdog hey listen uh, but anything can happen that's oh, nations sure. and it usually does right. you're right it's it's one of those weird unique events and, and until you do it you don't realize how many elements are involved because someone's getting a good starting spot and someone's getting left high and dry so it, it's a team event with individuals racing if it makes all, sense all so these guys are still tough. quality guys and look anderson won that motor before he got landed on yeah uh, two years ago so it's not like there yeah. isn't a chance for us to win. No, no, we're setting it, a great team. It, it's it's an uphill battle, but it's still for sure a well, chance. It's like you said, the one thing you don't factor in uh, from a normal national or GP is that you're going to get a bad start. Yeah. At least your 250 guy, for yeah. sure. At, you know, at least in one of the motos. So yeah. you have that. That's a whole different set of dynamics. And that things puts that you in happen. the pack. You got everyone's wild and crazy. Yeah. And especially also, in the sand. A lot of people ride with a lot of motion there, too, especially from some of the smaller countries. It's their time to shine, and I've just been not a good start mid-pack, and it's, it's, it's absolute chaos. Yeah. It, it, and the fall-off on rider talent isn't as deep at a Dis Nations as it is at a regular race, right? Because you're sending all your very best guys. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a bunch of A guys there. Yeah, there's no turds late no t- back in the pack. No, there's you know, no, ba- the, no back markers. Local guys yeah. with zip code 
numbers. <clears throat> well, best of luck to our guys that are going. Yeah. Um, I think that it, like, like GL said, I think it is a great team. But um, I am a little disappointed that uh, people, people seem to just jump on the guys who did turn it down and say, yeah. you're not American. You know, you, yeah. you, you don't, you, you're not a patriot. It's if you easy don't go to point to fingers from the outside. The, some of the best riders in our sport have turned it down. Uh, Davey Coons pointed this out last week in Racerhead. It's like, at some point or another, all the top riders have said, you know what, I'm not going to go this year for one reason or another. Yeah. And they didn't get crucified, but it seems like ever since we stopped winning, if you turn it down now, you are an asshole. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, like you're saying, another six weeks, and these guys have just burnt the candle at both ends for the last 40 weeks, yeah. and we're asking them to, listen, everybody has the right to say no, even though I want our best guy there. The truth well, is, they're, they're wearing themselves out. And these yeah. guys are passing on their only opportunity to have a break. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like Anderson, he had injuries. So, maybe for him, it makes sense because he wants to keep Osborne racing. Too. Osborne, too. Osborne, too. Yeah. But when you're a guy who's, young. Yeah. When you're a guy who's done the whole entire season and you're going, okay, uh, first two weeks of September is when I could really just like kick back and have a beer and like chill. Yeah. And I'm going to just pass on that and come right back into the, the grinder. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough to commit to. So that would uh, be zero off season yeah. for these guys. Yeah. Zero off season. So yeah. So last thing I want to mention here in the, the Method Race Wheels front end chatter segment is the battles for the championship. Tomac has had t- had chances to wrap this thing up. I thought at Washougal he wants this thing so badly. He's gonna do it the next weekend and just boy, the other Eli showed up. He didn't quite get get it done to wrap it up. Um it's probably gonna maybe with one round left he could still do it. We'll see what happens. But um, he's still up and down a little bit. It's interesting. Yeah, you know, with Eli, he has some of these motos where you just, you're in awe of what he's able to do speed-wise. And, and Washugal was incredible. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the crowd is behind it. Like, even when you're there, you can feel it. Like, in our TV truck, it's soundproof, but you can feel the ground, you can hear the roar, and, um, you know, I had a family up there, and they were like, wow, that was something special. And then you watch him at first week, uh, f- sorry, first moto at... Uh, Unadilla, and it was, you know, like, what's the deal? I mean, he just looked like some wounded animal out there, and he was just <laughs> going backwards. And it, it just seemed like there was no fight, no aggression. And it's just weird, because a lot of riders, you see, yeah, they have better weekends and, and that, but Eli can be so good and then just so average. It's confusing to me. Yeah. But second moto, to give him some credit, he obviously was not having a good day, didn't feel it. Like You can tell sometimes when he doesn't get in that early rhythm where he feels it and he looks a little nervous it just kind of goes in the wrong direction but he was able to stop the bleeding and then come back second motor and even though you could tell he was having an off day i still thought it was a a nice bounce back to put it back on the box and and salvage a reasonable uh, result from the yeah. day but still leaves that little bit of hope for the other guys so uh yeah he's still got this title well in hand but it, it is interesting to but see you know what i say? still have those off off races he when said he's he, so good he said he overworked during the week that's what he said. He overworked during the week, and then he got arm pump. I don't know if that was being overworked, because I think a lot of riders had arm pump just because of the track. But he said he overworked during the yeah. middle of the week. During the week. And then, and then he got arm pump. I think the track was the main reason for the arm hey, pump. Hey, but, but how about Roxon, though? I mean, that was ridiculous. Uh, Roxon was incredible. He laid yeah. three seconds a lap faster than everybody else. That was ridiculous. Well, also, when you watch him ride, it just, it just really looked like he, it was effortless. Like, it was... It, you're watching going, how is he going that fast? Because he stood it with his feet on the pegs a lot, which we know is quick. It's a little bit like Everts used to be like, and you couldn't. F- he didn't look that fast until you took a lap time, 
I remember with Everts one day, I'm like, he looks just average. We took a lap like, time. Something wrong, <laughs> something wrong with my watch And I was here. like, no, nah, I must have hit the button the wrong. Let me take one again because I honestly thought I was wrong. And, and I'm like, I'm, this is no joke. We had a track in Belgium. He was 20 seconds a lap quicker than me. And I thought I was about the same speed. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> just <laughs> a tick off. No, there, I, 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 not the same speed. I thought I was maybe like two seconds yeah. off him. And it but was all like the Euro 20. guys were faster this track. If you looked at even Marvin, they were... They were like bouncing over bumps instead of hitting them and stuff like that. And Roxon was doing the same thing. I can tell you watched the show because you must have heard some great announcements. <laughs> it sounds like you picked up something they done. <laughs> I listened to somebody. Uh, I don't know who the guy was. <laughs> some yeah, some douchebag. Some, okay. some, some goofball. Some washed up racer. Guy that thinks he knows what he's talking about. Can't pronounce like. words correctly. Right. Uh, well, Tomac's on his way to that title, it looks like. Uh, the other battle with AC and Ferrandis. This one's heating up, and to me, it's it's uh, shades of Supercross here. AC looks like he has it, but Ferrandis is on fire right now. He three, is three wins in a row. He is on fire, but at the same time, if you watched Adam, he's not choking, he's not rolling over. It's it to me right now. It's a heavyweight battle. They they're, they're throwing punches. They're going back and forth. This last weekend, it was Adam, Dylan, the whole moto, a lot of pressure. I really thought there was a. Uh, a real championship performance. And then second moto, it was a role reversal, but same thing. They both are pushing it hard. I just think it's going to come down to Dylan's probably not going to have enough time, even if he does rack off a few wins. I think AC is going to come out, and I'll tell you why, because this weekend you look at Bud's Creek. Qualifying is very important. They're both going fast. There could be 1-2. That starts at 180. That's very... That's a safety blanket for a title contender because if you line up the inside, even if you don't get a good start, by the time you turn and come out of that 180, you're, third, you're already yeah. in the top 10, no problem. So keeps you out of the drama. So I think for them, they'll get decent starts, and I think it's going to be a good battle. I think it's going to be both of them going for it and um, barring some random thing, which we say could happen at any time, a mechanic, anything can happen in racing. We know that. Um, go down the first turn, bent radiator, whatever. Rep your rear brake around that. What, a million things can happen. They often don't, but they can. Should that happen to any one of the title leaders, um, that, 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 that opens up the whole playbook then going into the final three motos or even the final round. Yep. Well, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. Uh, that's your Method Race Wheels front end chatter. Uh, go to methodracewheels.com and check out everything they've got for your off-road vehicles, uh, SUVs, trucks, vans, uh, UTVs. Check them out. Yeah. Uh, we're going to bring up our featured guest now. PowerDot is bringing you Brian Lunnis. Uh, again, go to PowerDot.com and uh, ch- type in Whiskey Throttle to get 20% off. Brian, come on up and join us. So I, as I mentioned earlier on, you know, <coughs> this, this guy here has got some serious credentials. And yeah. um, as I started digging into some of his history and got help from a, a buddy named Al Cordner over there at Mechanicsware, uh, my, even my jaw kind of was hitting the floor with some of the stuff he's done. Welcome, Brian. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I haven't done one of these motorcycle shows for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> You're used to the NASCAR stuff and IndyCar stuff, huh? Yeah, the car stuff. I, I've been involved with that with the, the company, with Mechanicsware, since I uh, left racing. Um, so, But I haven't left racing. I deal with race team guys every day. They call and... We make them special knee pads, or we make them special gloves, or you know, uh, other projects the company's involved with. Sure, yeah, you've been there for a while, and 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 as we'll get to later on, you were sort of there at the conception of that company. It was my idea. I dragged it in the door in 1990 uh, when uh, everybody thought I was crazy. Uh, <laughs> did they? Did they kind of laugh at the idea, like a glove for mechanics? Like what? What's yes. the point? Yes, completely. Um, 
So when I dragged it into Jim Hale at that time, they were AXO as they were at that point in time. The reason I did was we used to use cotton knit gloves that came with all the parts from Japan, Mm. right? And what happened was the U.S. government had a cotton embargo. So when we used to get the parts, we used to get gloves. You couldn't get the gloves anymore. So Uh my whole career of working in for Japanese factories, everybody had cotton gloves. I don't care which team you work for. You use them to change tires, pipes, whatever, dirty jobs. They had the, they were they were like uh, real just real cheap and they had the little dots of rubber on the inside, right? No, Those it didn't were, even have the oh, dots. Didn't even have that? Okay. So you could flip them around and use them again on the other side okay. of the hand, right? Or left or right, it didn't matter. But um, you know, that was the mother of invention. So you couldn't get them. And I had some friends that one had with that were the crew chief for Dale Earnhardt Sr. They were motorcycle people. I would go to their races when I had an off weekend. They would come to the motorcycle races. Then I had another friend that worked for Roger Pinsky on the IndyCar side for Al Inser Jr. And, hey, I got this idea. Do you guys need a glove to work on? Oh, my God. Right now, we're using batting gloves. <laughs> you could only buy a left and a right separately, and we go through a pair every weekend. Wow. So, being that I needed Wait. it for... Yeah, go hey, ahead. Well, I would say you think, like, maybe people today are going, why don't you just use motocross gloves? There's such good, thin gloves out there. There wasn't back then. Do you look at the motocross gloves in the 80s, <laughs> 90s? They were these bulky leather things that were, you know, not fitted at all. With they were terrible. Leather patches stitched on, or then <laughs> yeah. they went to big, bulky plastic. Tibbling gloves. Those were called the Tibbling gloves. He had them with a, 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 what they call a ball and cord thing. It was leather, just like he described it. And it had this piece of cord, uh, rubber cord uh, sewn on it for rock guards, right? <laughs> and they fit really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. So what I had seen with motocross gear, I knew it could be done by the same people that did motocross stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I went to, to Jim and said, hey, look, this is, this is the idea. Nah, 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 nah. He balked at it? You, oh, they all did. Yeah. They all did for a few years. And But in the meantime... I, we found some trials gloves because they were thinner and they didn't have all the protection. And that was the baseline of it. Mm. Um, at that time, he was involved with AXO. And we got it from AXO. And Jim was over there for a meeting or something. He brought him back. And so then I took him home and my wife's t- kitchen table, cut him up, went back in, talked. Um, one of our designers that's still there, Kenny Safford, Kenny worked with me the whole time, and we came up with a few different concepts and tried it. And, you know, at first it didn't work, whatever. And then I took them to, you know, the other guys, did that. And, you know, it started rolling, but not really. Um, there was a lot of reluctancy. Well, we're doing really good with motocross gear. We, Yeah, that's a crazy idea. So Jim and I went back and forth for about six weeks, and he goes, let's call it this, let's call it that. We ended up, well, let's call it mechanics wear because we can make other pants, shirts, work gear, right? You know, different things. Okay. So that's the road we went down a little bit. (laughs) Very funny story. So actually, our first salesman who's here today, Tim Hanna, for mechanics wear, he was working there. And Tim and Larry Nastin had sold 10,000 pair of these gloves. Wow. Lo and behold, the upper management and the purchasing agent didn't order them. 
the due date came in. <laughs> Where's the gloves? Oh, that wasn't going to go. I didn't order them. Oh, boy. So that was actually the start, starting story of that. Rough, rough start. Rough start. <laughs> yes, it was. So, you know, it, it was interesting, though. But it, it dragged because in the very beginning, we tried to sell it through motorcycle dealers mm. because they already owned that distribution system. And they didn't know others. Lo and behold, down the road, being 1992, we had enough gloves that uh, the Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s car at Daytona, the guys had the first production gloves. Okay. And um, that was the first time it was on somebody full bore that it wasn't a bunch of prototypes that we had built. And that started it. But it went for a while, and our relationship at the NASCAR track put us together with NAPA. The Napa people saw the crew guys wearing mm. the gloves, mm. said, we want to sell that in our stores. So that's really when the commercial side of things really started rolling. It took a while, but then it got going. And then, of course, the doors opened and more and more and more. Around 1999, the situation with Axo, Axo had been sold in Italy. There was a different group of people. It wasn't working for Axo and Jim, so they quit. They stopped Axo one day, just said, that's it. We're not doing Axo. We're going to jump on board with mechanics wear. Full bore with that. Full bore with that, and pretty much that's... It's done okay. Yeah, it's done fine. <laughs> it's the gold standard when it comes to gloves uh, working on bikes. Crazy that they would just... I mean, Axo was such a, a big brand at one point. I mean, that was when I was a kid. I remember Axo, JT, and Sinisalo were like, the three gear companies I really kind of put on a pedestal at that yeah. point. <clears throat> now they barely exist, huh? Yeah. Well, I want to go back to the very beginning with you like we do with all our guests. So let's start back in the Midwest. Uh, you grew up just outside of Chicago, if I understand it right. Correct. I, uh, a little town called McHenry, Illinois. It was 12 miles from the Wisconsin-Illinois border. Okay. Almost sounds like mechanics. Yeah. McKinley, yeah, it's like, yeah, it was might have been a little McHenry. Maybe a little crossover, but yeah. He went Maybe. with McKinley and then it mechanics. It evolved. No, it wasn't. But uh, yeah, I started out, I was riding, uh, I started with a Step Through 90 Honda. Okay. Um, what year was that? Hmm. Wow. I think I was about 10, maybe. Maybe a little bit younger. It was a relative that had it. And we went to visit them, and I wore the thing out, riding around and around and around. But back up just a little bit around, when I was 10, my dad was into go-kart racing. Okay. So that's, I ended up in go-karts that way with him, and it, it, we were involved with it along that way. So, you know, and then I stepped up and I bought, I, I think it was a 160 Honda, which was a tank. It was a twin cylinder. And then I was say the 160. I don't even remember those. Oh no, no, the motor was like a block, right? <laughs> and I started racing that thing in enduros, wow, because there wasn't any motocross at that time. Mm. So, like, what years was that? Give me a ballpark. What year? Mm, I would say that was probably around 66, 67, maybe. Okay. So motocross was still very, very young. Yeah, it yeah wasn't very even. Young. Yeah, more like the it was more like the scrambles, scrambles. Yes. stuff. Yeah. Yes, it was hair scrambles, okay, uh, things like that. So uh, I actually belonged to a motorcycle club at that time, which was called the Slowpokes, <laughs> and they actually put well, they started as an enduro team, right? Because that's what was going on. Yeah, and they actually put on a interam race that 
Joel came and Roger and all these guys to the track. Oh, wow. And that, you know, you see these guys, you know, they would do wheelies during the race and, you know, um, Ben Auerberg was riding a Mako and, you know, all these guys. And, then, you know, then we had the American heroes, John DeSoto, and, which later on I luckily worked with John at Suzuki in my early days. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I got involved with that. And, you know, you had to work on your own bikes, as you know, as, as both of you guys started, right? So you ended up with a mechanical background of having to work yeah. on your own. I was going to say, they broke all the time, so you had to learn how to fix your own bike. Between, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if, if you finished, you were happy. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, you were, because so, they weren't very reliable at did, that time. Did that Trans Am race kind of really hook you into the sport, being able to watch those elite-level riders? Yeah, of course. It stuck with you, obviously. Yeah, it stuck with me. Um, but, you know, I was into racing that way anyways, and uh, then... Um, I think around, you know, 67, the 360 Husky came out. Okay. And I saved, um, I had a bunch of little other motorcycles and things like that, but wow, this is a real thing. And seeing those guys ride Husqvarna's and things like that. Yeah. So I got one of the first 360 Huskies hmm. uh, uh, that were in the country. And uh, it was way too much bike for me, but I bought it and I, wow, I think I paid like $1,500. My dad thought I was crazy. Brand new. Brand new. Yeah. yeah went down and uh, got it in a dealer near Chicago. And, you know, it had all the things on it that you needed to do. And, you know, I learned a lot on that. And then I ended up with a 250 Bull Taco for one time to ride the smaller class. And then I had a Super Hodaka at one oh, time yes. to do the 100 class. and the Super Rat or whatever? What was it? it was Prior to the Super oh, okay. Rat, and then the Super Rat came after that, but it had a Webco head and a pipe and, uh -huh. you know, had no suspension. It was all in the seat. <laughs> yeah, the seat cushion. Yeah. It seems it's like a trend back then. Um, young kids rode big bikes. You know, when we talked to, like, Marty Smith, all the guys, it's like, they just came off a mini bike and they got a 500 or a 360 mm -hmm. or whatever. Well, it, it seemed, but, but I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but everyone wanted to be in the 500s at that point in time, right? Correct. So it was, if you were talented, I think some guys were like, well, just yeah, shoot same. for the stars, you know, <laughs> go for it. I had a buddy, actually, he rode like, he stayed in the 185 class forever, right? He had a Boltaco, and he liked staying there. Actually, he was really big, and he should have been in a, like a, a bigger bike, and he, but he liked that class. It was small, and he could win. Yeah. <laughs> Every That's fine. A lot of people like those classes. <laughs> yes, exactly, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right on the edge there, bud. Don't slip off the I kind of felt it. Yeah, there we go. All right. Perfect. So, um, Wait, no, I was, what, what I was, was joking with, with my dad. I said, it seemed like back then, if the bike didn't handle very well, like nowadays we go, oh, let's take the shock off and, uh, you know, revalve it. They, back then it was like, let's hack it up <laughs> and just relocate the <laughs> angle. And that should solve all the problems. <laughs> let's saw it off right here. We'll reweld yeah, it here. Yeah. yeah. We know more. Yeah. Well, its shocks were sealed. Yeah. I remember the Husky had gas girlings or some form of it, and they had chrome covers over it. Mine were not working, and I never discovered it because they didn't really leak, but you push on it, and the bike would bounce forever down, you know, whatever. But, yeah, you didn't tune on that, right? Yeah. Um, luckily, when I started in the motorcycle business, I got to go from two shocks being all the way in the back of the bike to where we were cutting them on the road during a Trans Am, moving them forward, 
things like that. And then to the single shock era and, and, mm-hmm. and all those things. So. Yeah. yeah, fun times. Yeah. There was a yeah. lot of evolution in your, in your period there. Yeah, I was really lucky because we had works bikes, and yeah. it was quite a, quite a cool thing. Well, yeah, we want to, want to talk yeah. about that when we get to that, but yeah. you, were, you were with Honda during this crazy evolution of, of motocross bikes mm-hmm. and uh, the with glory the days. company that was really pushing it, so well, let's, let's yeah. not jump ahead. Um, I don't know that a lot of people know this about you. In fact, I didn't, uh, but you served in Vietnam. Uh, yeah, for a short period of time. I was a draftee. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it I, was during the Vietnam era. Yeah. Um, being a motorcycle racer, I didn't want to go to college, and um, at that time, uh, what had happened was uh, there was a lot of people getting killed, and so they were grabbing people. <laughs> but in that era, at eighteen, you had to register for the draft. Yeah. You had to go to the you know the draft office, and high school kept a list, and if you didn't go. They would run you down, and you have to go there. Uh, that, was that? I mean, was that terrify you? Like, I can't imagine. I, I'm just not a fighter. Like, uh, war for me. Well, I, I can walk in. I yesterday had a call. A guy shot himself in the head. Like, I can see that kind of stuff, and I'm okay. I can't kill people. Like, I can't. Look, war is not for me personally. I thank God there's guys who who can do it. But. I could. I could do that part. I would. I would just be more worried about my life or, or my comrades around me mm-hmm. especially when you go when they're like hey man a lot of guys are getting killed that we need more hey you come <laughs> yeah. On. Yeah. pull in put a smile on your face it'll be good like yeah. at that point in time going to vietnam it was like you know when you, I, I actually did a little research on vietnam and watched about it and they're like a lot of the guys said we couldn't even see our enemy like it was the scariest thing you were getting shot at but you didn't know from where because yeah. they had the local knowledge in the ground so so were you terrified going in or what? of course yeah of course well, at that time <laughs> so where'd you do basic training and all that, that i did basic training in fort knox kentucky okay and then um they moved me to infantry training in fort polk louisiana it was the nearest thing to the ground in vietnam they basically built vietnam there um you know I, before I went, when you get your draft notice, you're te- petrified because people, you heard it every day and saw it on the news. Mm-hmm. People were getting killed, things like that. Um, and then the other thing was going on is when you were drafted and you stood on the lo- X marks at the draft center, in which I went in Chicago, they went down the line and went, Marines, Army, Marines, Army. <laughs> Luckily, the guy next to me got Marine. Because that, at that period, it was a death sentence. Is that really? right? Because those guys were getting killed left and right because they were the first guys in all the time. And, uh, you know, luckily I had that. And, you know, I was really lucky. I didn't get killed or shot at. You know, I, I, yeah, I got shot at, but, you know, I didn't... I didn't, well, I well, you grew up near Chicago, so yeah. probably didn't shock you too much. Well, right? it was funny. When you were in basic training, they <laughs> kind of stayed, oh, you guys are all really bad. You're from Chicago. We heard this whole story. It was funny as can be. But, um, yeah, so I did that. And, you know, luckily it was only a couple, two years. <laughs> so they were in a rush to take us in, and then they cut back, and they were in a rush to throw us all out. Oh, wow. And uh, so when I came back stateside, I w- was in Fort Knox, Kentucky which was kind of cool because it was the home of armor. So they had all this tank stuff and things like that. And I ended up at what they call a service company, which basically I worked at a closed-circuit TV station, and I ordered all the parts and needs they needed. Mm. And our commander was George S. Patton, Jr. 
It was the son of Patton. Are you serious? Yes. Oh, and there wow. was a museum across the street from the television station. The Did company I was in or lived in, right, there was his drivers. There was three drivers. And this crazy guy, <laughs> Patton, he would make them drive an open Jeep so people would salute him. That's oh, good. That's what you had to do. If you were walking down <laughs> and the flags were flying on his, on his vehicle, you had to stop and salute because he was a high-ranking officer, Official. right? But he would make those guys drive him around in the rain and the snow when he had closed vehicles, right? Wow. And, and those poor guys were always sick. They'd be happy in the, <laughs> yeah, <wonder> what. <laughs> in the bunk bay, right, and things like that. But, you know, I, I, it was an interesting period. Um, luckily, I walked away uh, unscathed. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of people that weren't, mm. um, things like that. But uh, Did the two years seem long? Yes. Because yeah. I, I know you said you're only, only there two years, but I, I, I got to think in, 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 in a war that it's got to feel pretty long. Well, like you said, you, you've talked to people or seen people that you didn't see your enemy. The other thing, when you were walking in the bush or the jungle, they set up punji stakes and, and, mm. and all these things. There would be things that come out of the trees at you that they bent the tree limb back and it had stakes on it or they made a pit or... You know, yeah. and not much different. The guys currently went through in Iraq and Iran with different you know, terrain, IUDs. Yeah. You know, you had to watch where you walked, and sometimes that didn't even help you, right? Yeah. So, but I think we see more and more dismemberment from the current wars, where guys get their legs and their arms blown off. We saw that, but not at that high rate because you know the people you were fighting against um, didn't have that technology. Yeah. Yeah. But. They were hard fighters. They yeah. really were. Um, if you ever want to see a movie, Apocalypse Now, it, it, it kind of... Pretty accurate? It's pretty much accurate. It, it brings back old memories um, because they it was pretty realistic what was going on there at that time. Of course, there's you know all kinds of movies that people make. But yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was interesting, mm. you know. Uh, well, thank you for your service, yeah. first of all. Uh, I don't take that lightly at all. Um, did you think that shaped you as a as a person? Is there stuff from from that time period that sort of changed who you were or kind of created who you were? Um, yes, because it was life changing, right? Sure. Um, I think uh, yeah, of course you, you you get changed through that. You're a young kid, you know. You're a teenager. Here you are thrown in. You got to grow up quick. Grow up quick. Yeah. You learn. You have to learn to. Work with other people. Mm -hmm. Work as a team. Work with whatever it may be because they need to guard your back and, and you're guarding them. So, I, I yeah, of course it does. It, it definitely changes you, um, and especially at that point in time in, in life. You, you know, right. you know. Well, that's, that's crazy. Um, so when you got back, you were looking for work. Yes. And you landed with a, a, a snowmobile team, of all things. <coughs> no, what happened was my... My father ran a marina in northern Wisconsin. Okay. And uh, before I went in, I was racing motocross, and I also was racing professional snowmobiles. Hmm. So they lived up there, and that was the hub of, it was near Eagle, Eagle River and Rhinelander and all, all that in that area. So, um, yeah, I came out, and, you know, a lot of us came out at that time and felt that we were owed something which you find out, you're, yeah. you, they don't owe you anything. 
right? You learn that lesson really quick. Yep. You know, hey, I did all this. I put my life on the line. Whatever you want. But uh, I went to work for a Kawasaki dealership, and uh, I helped sort out his parts department. Okay. During that period, um, Suzuki came to the town, and they rented the local snowmobile track, and they were testing. Well, word got out. They were there. Another friend of mine who raced snowmobiles currently at that time, we went over to see what they were going on, and they, they came up and started talking with us and said, hey. He goes, the guy goes, hey, I, I race, whatever. And goes, hey, we'll pay you to test, right? So I was hanging out with him for a, a day or two, and next thing, you know, hey, I think, you, you know, the clutch isn't working. You know, it might be the power band that's really affecting the clutch. And these guys were a bunch of motorcycle guys that got thrown in the middle of this snowmobile thing. They didn't want to be there. They were from Southern California. Okay. The main test rider <laughs> was their road race guy. Literally, he was the guy that rode the 500cc road race bikes, the Daytona, Loudon, all this. And they put him on there. Uh, he can race. Let him try it, right? This was just, wasn't it just oval racing yeah. back then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was some cross-country stuff okay. when I was doing it. And, and so No, Suzuki was in the snowmobile market. Oh, they weren't. They did it for a while. They sold some snowmobiles. What they finally did was they ended up selling engines to Articat. Okay. They found the niche that, hey, we don't need to be in the snowmobile business. Let's just sell them motors. I saw called guys and road races on cutting in the snowmobile business. <laughs> no. Don't know why. It yeah. seemed like the perfect combination, <laughs> but it's just not working out. Yeah. See that one? Yeah. So it, it was interesting. So what happened was they closed up. Because they were getting ready for Daytona. Okay. So they didn't finish the, they were only, they jumped in, not at the full season. They ran some races, things like that. Well, I became friends with a few people. One of them was Bill Bushka. And uh, the next thing I know, I get this phone call. Hey, would you be interested in working for us in California? Of course. I don't want to be here in the frozen north. Yeah. There's really no any jobs here. This is a very little town. And uh, they said, okay. Get your stuff, be in Daytona for the Daytona 200, and uh, you're going to drive back from Daytona in the, one of the trucks. It's okay. So I showed up with my duffel bag with all my clothes, what I owned, and a Craftsman three-drawer <laughs> toolbox. Mm -hmm. You flew down? No, I drove down. I had okay. a junker car I bought from somebody for 200 bucks when I got out. It was a station wagon. Uh -huh. I basically went... Here. Just lit it on fire on the no, beach? No, I just gave it to somebody <laughs> and said, hey, give me 100 bucks." And the guy goes, fine, in Daytona. Yeah. So uh, I did that, and, you know, they took me into the garage in Daytona the first day, and they went, down there is your bike. Go work with the other mechanic on it. I'd never worked on a road race bike. Oh, jeez. Well, it was the <laughs> era of the three-cylinder water-cooled, as they used to nickname, oh, yeah. water buffalo 750 Suzuki's. Okay. They were up on the end. <laughs> the name doesn't inspire a lot of confidence that it was a, that it was a good machine. <laughs> and I was working on the old 500 two-stroke twin cylinder mm -hmm. for a guy named Jeff Perry. with okay. a guy that had experience, and uh, we worked on that. And we almost won the Daytona 200. That year? That year. What happened was Reynolds would come by and do the chains. They would rivet them on for you. Okay. Oh, that's so right, yeah. They came and riveted the chain on. Everything was fine. 
what happened was all the Kawasaki 750s, the, the um, R bikes, they all burned the tires up or crashed. It was the days of Yvonne Duhamel, who was at Kawasaki at that time, and a bunch of other names. Triumph was still racing four strokes. Okay. Uh, guys with Gene Romero and Dave Aldana were riding at that time. Um, but the two strokes were so much faster. But they burned the tires or they ended up crashing because they were evil. Okay. They were literally, if you stood anywhere near the banking at the start-finish line, they would come and you would see them go, literally do this. The wheels would do this. From flexing? <laughs> flexing. They flex so bad, and you just go, how do you guys do that, right? So everybody crashes out. We're leading going into the infield on the last lap. The chain snaps. Oh. So Don MD ends up winning with a 350 Yamaha. Down power, <laughs> underdog. <laughs> just Yeah, just coasted her in. Coasted her in. And uh, so that was my start. And um, lo and behold, uh, I got in one of the vans and drove. We actually did a tire test uh, at Talladega on the way home. Okay. And uh, did that and ended up in California with my duffel bag and my toolbox and $200 in my pocket. And you just set up shop. You know just what I love? Found a, found a place and bought they, a car. Suzuki actually set me up in a hotel in Buena Park, and uh, I was there until I found an apartment. Yeah. And uh, I finally ended up buying a vehicle from a team manager he had laying around and okay. things like that. Typical racer at heart. 1500 bucks on a brand-new bike. Gets a shitbox car just to get him from A to B. It's literally <laughs> typical race of mentality right yes. there. Priorities, man. <laughs> Very much so. Oh. So how funny. did you go from the that road racing stint? Did you stay with the street side for a while? Or did you say, hey, I would like to get to dirt? Or how did that how did that transition happen? So at that time, motocross wasn't very big. Uh, desert racing was fairly large. Mm. Uh, at Suzuki, this is literally what we would do. You'd go in the morning. At that time, they were racing TM400s. And what year is this? Give me a ballpark mm, on this. 71, 2 okay. era, right okay. in there. Um, so they were racing those, and you would work on those when you came in. You were, that's what your main deal was because they would break all the time. They had this rubber hub, if you remember, with the donuts in yes. the back. It would destroy them every moto. So until we figured out, you just squeezed silicone glue. Put it all back together. Put the sear clip on it. It lasted a little bit longer. Mm. Uh, they didn't have the cushioning in the clutch. They ended up, Suzuki's idea was the real wheel. Okay. So you do that, and literally they come in for lunch and say, pull the road racers out. We're going on a tire test. Work on those this afternoon. That literally, or it would be, hey, oh, it's getting near snowmobile season. You need, we need to work on this, whatever. Literally, that's what we used to go whatever on. Whatever they threw at you. Right. Yeah, hey, we've got a jet ski team. You're yeah. like, oh, boy. Yeah, it was literally like you took this cassette and went, click this one in and this one in and things like that. Yeah, it gives you versatility, right? You're able yeah. to work on anything. Yeah, yeah. So how would you transition them to dirt bikes then and motos? Well, I was wor we were working on them. And uh, like I said, the number of races were quite small. Um, so we did, you know, I, there was, uh, we had Richard Thorwaldson at that time and John DeSoto okay. was riding for us. And so Thorwaldson was a desert, famous desert racer at that point. He was there and then John did a lot. He did lions and all, all the local races and that's the transition where I ended up there and didn't end up working on this 
road race bikes, except once or twice. Uh, at one point when Gary Nixon was riding for Suzuki, I worked on the works bikes that came from Japan, and it's Irv Kanemoto were, built his own chassis. He used C&J <laughs> chassis. He did his own motor work, and they allowed that because of the relationship between Gary and Irv. So I would take care of the factory bike and then Irv had the other one and Gary would jump back and forth and then then we'd work whatever bike he was happy with after practice and stay with that and try and get it going so I learned a lot from Irv Didn't about road racing. Irv, Irv ended up going on to MotoGP and all that right? Yes, yes yeah, he did. Yeah, I remember he was yes, he did. Uh, very involved there in instrumental I remember hearing that name for many years Yeah, he actually built a, a three cylinder dirt track motor that Kenny Roberts rode Yep at one time. Mm. Irv was uh, really a great motor guy he, and chassis. Um, was he involved with the Kenny Roberts team when they did the, the KR? What was it? The, 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 the MotoGP bike they had for a few years. Yes. I thought he, he was involved. He, he in was involved with it. Um, he did most of the stuff. He was out of the San Jose area. Yep. And, and Kenny was from Modesto, I think, or whatever. But a lot of his guys were from that area. And some of them didn't go over. They would stay here and do development work. Because Irv had his own dyno and mm. in-house and, and things like that. So, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with that. Heck, we rode, uh, raced at uh, Ontario Motor Speedway, which is an outlet mall now. <laughs> okay. Right? <Yep. laughs> we did that in Riverside and, and places like that. Um, so, eventually... Uh, I ended up with the dirt side of things, which I liked because I raced it myself. Yep. So, you know, then what happened, there was more races. There was more national races started and, and things like that. That's how I ended up in that with the motocross side or the dirt side of things. And you were working with all Suzuki's motocross guys. Yeah, at that time. So I want to ask you about Rich Thorwaldson because um, I read somewhere that you worked with him a little bit, and he is actually related to me somehow. Oh, he is my grandfather's cousin. Wow. So I don't know what that makes me and him, but somehow uh, we're connected. We uh, both Scandinavian heritages. Yeah. And uh, so I thought that was really cool. And I don't know. I know he finished second in a 500 championship one year, yeah. motocross championship, but I don't know much else about him. So he was a very famous desert racer when I came on the scene. Barstow to Vegas, all mm -hmm. those big desert, you know, the desert racers, they had thousands of people would show up for that event. And okay. They would all go to the... They'd light that tire bomb, and they'd all take off, which was the most crazy start yeah. in the whole world. As soon as you saw the, the smoke, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they'd start to render their bike, start it, and away they would go, right? Um, Richard and his wife kind of took me in um, because I was here by myself. Um, and, uh, you know, on the weekends, hey, come over to the house. We're having a barbecue. And Richard didn't live very far from Suzuki on the five. And, you know, him and his wife and his family were really great to me. Um, you know, I only worked with Richard a little bit, and then I ended up <laughs> with some other people they brought on board. Uh, Briar Holcomb, who owns, yeah. you know, Factory Effects. Briar was riding local. He was riding a TM400. And uh, it was kind of funny when we first went to look at him. It was actually out here at Corona Raceway. They used to have night races. And we went, they go, hey, we need to go out and look at this kid. He's riding a Suzuki. Let's look at him. We came there. And he's, he's kind of a short stature. He had the handlebars mounted underneath the triple clamps. What? Yes. <laughs> Somebody brought this up just, just in the last week ago. You remember what? Yeah, I go, yeah, I remember that. So his father was an engineer for the Department of Transportation okay. in some form. And he would come up with these 
swing arms, all kinds of things, and uh, things like that. How but, do you mount handlebars under the triple clamp? Uh, it was uh, this mount or whatever, but it, it put him down lower. It, it, I, you guys probably don't remember, but the TM400 was one evil piece. Okay. <laughs> Very <laughs> evil. I've, I've seen in one of them. They just, they look just, yeah. Well, so they were orange at first, right? So they yeah. got nicknamed by all of us the pumpkin killers, right? <laughs> okay. And the sad part would be you would be at the races and somebody would come up and they would be in a chair. Or they have a back brace on, and they go, "Yeah, I raced one of those. Yeah. Um, this is how this happened, right? Because it would like act when it, it would swap, and it would act like you were low siding, and then all of a sudden it would high side the person. It had this so much flex, huh? Yeah, it must oh have been yeah, that. it would just slingshot you. Oh yeah, it slingshot yeah. you. Plus the motor had way too much power. Yeah. We literally would take the enduro crank <clears throat> and put it in the the, the factory motors because it was heavier. And later on, people made add-on weights, right? That yeah. went on the end, and yeah. the crankshaft would break off or whatever. But, but we used to build like rebuild three of those a week, because when it broke, it had what you call a T crank. It wasn't a full circle crank. Okay. And a piston skirt would fall down and then blow the cases apart when it broke. Right. <laughs> so they're good for a lot of work. Yeah, they were good for a lot of work. But uh, yeah, then right after that, we ended up getting used RH. RN works bikes from Roger and Joel out of Europe. They'd oh. used them, and uh, they were redone in Japan, and we would get them, and it was like... Oh, yeah, I could imagine. Night and day. And who was riding those here for you? Same guys? Uh, yeah, the same guys were riding those. Uh, at that time, after that, I ended up with Billy Grossi. Okay. Uh, Billy Grossi, I, I think you might have gotten some photos from yep. my photo album. Uh, Billy was extremely talented. He came from Husqvarna at that time, and uh, you know Billy had a lot of. He broke both femurs, Oof. It, one at one time and another. He was actually racing with the rods in there, both at the same time. When they, the doctor said, "Don't do that because if you <laughs> bend it, we'll never get it out." Yeah, but um, we had those bikes, but they would come apart because they were fragile. We we would have to re weld the motor hangers in the rear between motors, but. If you look at those bikes in the photos, there was nothing about them, right? There was an air cleaner, and there was very simple. Very simple. Yeah. So you would literally take the motor out between motos, and you'd weld up the rear hangers. And the other thing is the plates on along the steering head, they would crack also during the moto, right? So you'd be in there, and then during the week you would have to find somebody on the road that was a welder. To make new, you make new plates and put these on there. <laughs> that had to be terrifying. In racing in that era, you I know, going, they just, okay, they didn't know. I hope my <laughs> whole front end doesn't snap off, you know. Which I've it did later there. on. Yeah. Which it did later on and happened to Roger and Danny Laporte in competition. But that was another reason. That, that was a whole other thing that happened uh, with triple clamps and long travel forks. But, mm. uh, yeah, you got really educated on welding. And they were down pipes. Yeah. So you crash the pipes all the time. So you learned about cutting the pipe apart, knocking it out, re-welding it. Even a brand new pipe, you had to fit it because the boot would sit. Oh, okay. When they rode on the pegs, you yeah. had to like ding it all in. So you heat it. <laughs> but if you heat it too much, you would put a hole in it. So <laughs> it was a real science. But the bikes were unbelievable. Literally, the 125 we used to call it the bicycle. It was like, it was around 120-some pounds Jeez. per the FIM regulation. Wow. 
And when you would grab it, you go, whoa, there's nothing to this, right? The handlebars were like electric conduit. <laughs> and Joel would, actually, when he would race it, he would snap the crossbar because he was so manhandling. He's a big boy, yeah. He would manhandle it, yeah. Wow. Um, so then, how long did you stay with Suzuki? You actually left motocross at a point then. I did. I, le- I was there about seven years. Okay. Uh, I got an offer from Scott USA to uh-huh. set up their worldwide uh, goggle, <clears throat> motorcycle racing goggle business. Okay. Uh, they wanted to set it up in Europe and things like that. So uh, I'd, Suzuki had management problems, and so, I, you know, the riders. <laughs> that and, hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Did I say that? Loud, no, no, sorry. it's okay. It's okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I moved on from there. Um, actually, I, you know, I met Pat Alexander at that time. I hired mm. Pat. I was like the chief mechanic at that time and things like that so you hired him at suzuki yes oh i didn't know that yeah okay yeah yeah i hired pat and uh i usually run into him he goes it's all your fault you dragged me into this business <laughs> so he was there for a while too he I, last i knew he was still there, but still there. Yeah, yeah i saw him at a1 or a2 and or san diego and yeah he's still there and you know it, it was great i learned a lot but uh this deal was really sweet I didn't have to drive all over the place, and so I went to Europe and worked with the riders and and things like that. As I came in, they had just started the plastic boot project, so it was still in prototype. Okay. Um, I actually rode that there was only a right-hand boot, and it was in my size. So uh, we used to ride because it was so light in Sun Valley. You know, you could ride until almost 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. So we'd go all this, you know, riding cross-country all over the place up there. It was beautiful. So we rode it, and we had some ideas, and we thought, oh, yeah, you know, you don't feel the rear brake. Well, you do. You actually do feel the rear brake. So we had to soften the soles. And, but literally, I was down in R&D pouring buckles and, and soles and, and oh, wow. doing all that. And then we, at that time, we also, Garrett Wilsink was one of our riders, so they brought Garrett into town, and we had him ride the boot, and he gave us the input, and, you know. It, which seemed like such a swing, you know, the, the motocross boots at that time were just so soft, it was mm-hmm. like wearing a high-top sneaker, and then you go to this, which basically had to have felt like a cast. I've never worn one, but I, I imagine it's... Completely. Yeah. Completely. Completely. <laughs> yeah. You know, we had this... Um, articulating ankle in there um, that worked really well. And then it had a waterproof boot liner in there. Okay. But it sometimes it would leak in full of water or there was no way to drain out. Yeah. Right? You've so all now you've it. created a swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I, we spent a long time with that. And, and actually, Scott uh, spent a lot of money on that because they made ski boots at that time mm. and poles and goggles. That was their main business. So... Um, we continued, and, you know, I, I was there probably, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or so. And lo and behold, one night I get a call from Europe, and it's Honda. They go, hey, would you be interested in coming back and working in Europe for us? At that time, everybody wanted to go to Europe and work. Mechanics yeah. wanted to go. Riders wanted to go. Yeah, I've always thought about, yeah, but I really have this sweet deal, and I don't know if I want to get back in the middle of that, you know, holding riders' hands and, and yeah. doing all that. 
So they wore on me probably for a good month. And uh, they threw money at me, and I was like, eh, I don't know. And so finally I went, okay, I'll do it. And so the season had already started, and so they dragged me in. Same kind of thing. <laughs> There's your bike. <laughs> Pick me up at the Fra- – I, they were based in Frankfurt, Germany at that time, the GP team. They had Graham Noyce and Brad Lackey. Oh, okay. Really? Lackey at Hunt? I don't even remember that. Yeah. <clears throat> Brad okay. was there. Um, so <laughs> they picked me up at the Frankfurt airport. We drive to Luxembourg, get to the hotel, do that. Next morning, we go to the track. There's a tent. And they open the tent, and they go, there's your bike. Have at it. So I went to work. Did you, oh. have, your, did you have your craft no. toolbox? Or? <laughs> they had oh, tools you, that time. Okay, no. we progressed. <laughs> yeah, I progressed. <laughs> your factory but, now. <laughs> so what had happened was they had a hard time trying to keep Graham Noyce under control. So how, how just uh, he, was he was a, a party partier, partier, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, he was a heavy partier. I, I met him. He, he, the first time <laughs> I met him was, or, you know, the, you know, funny, was <laughs> I was doing the GPs. First time I met him was at the beer tent. <laughs> yes, exactly. So exactly. So he was racing the British Championships at that time and the GPs. Okay. So my first event was the Luxembourg Grand Prix, I think it was, and uh, you know, Lackey was riding for us. He was in a battle with uh, uh, Heike Mikola for the championship, mm. and um, Heike was riding a Yamaha and. At that time, at Saturday night, you'd go over to Heike's camper or whatever, and he'd be drinking whiskey and smoking cigars. And they were is that man, right? Oh yeah, Man of Steel. Those guys yeah. were. That was a different era, man. I, they I know. were, and they were tough as nails. Yeah, right. And uh, so I, I, you know, that was interesting. I did that, and you know, it was it was very interesting. Uh, what was your after having kind of read about the GPs in Europe, and that was. The epitome of the sport cool, yeah. back then, and then there you are in it. What was, I mean, what was your, was it everything you thought it would be? Was it, how was it different? Yes, it was. But the biggest thing, as you know, you don't go to a 7-Eleven to find whatever, <laughs> right? Culture shock. It's yeah. a culture shock that way. Um, I was prepared for it, but when you're there in the middle of it, it's a little different, yeah. right? Luckily, the guys that were there were Americans uh, that were running the team at that time in Frankfurt. So it was helpful. You know, they, yeah. they had apartments, and, you know, I blended in, and they held my hand and said, hey, we're going to do this or whatever. And you so, spoke the same language. Yeah, it, that helped. But at that time, it was still borders that had checkpoints. Mm. Unlike what wasn't Europe, the EU at the time. No, it wasn't the EU. So every border crossing was two or three hours. Oh, wow. So you would go to a border, and some of them you knew were fast, but you had a carnet. And you go in with the carnet, and it had three receipts in it. One stayed in the book, and the other two were pulled in when you went in country, and then out. So you would go in <laughs> with all the big trucks, and you go in there, and you'd slide the paperwork, and they go, no, papers are not good. Slide back at you. What's wrong? Your papers are no good. One of the guys grabbed me. Come here. Go back to the truck. Go back to the truck. Here's the envelopes. Put money in it. No. Put it in the car and Go back. Ah, your papers are good. Papers look good now. Wow. Every country was like that? Most of them. Most of them were like that. Well, even, even when I was there in the late 90s, um, when we go to Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Did that, too. <laughs> we learned really quick. Everyone said, okay, what you do... 
just have a bunch of hats and t-shirts behind you. Because when you get stopped at the board, if you got nothing, you're there for hours. If you take care of grease the wheels, but they all just wow. wanted swag mm -hmm. when you went into Eastern yeah. Europe. So as long as you had some cool swag, hey, go yeah. on, off you go. Thanks, buddy. So that's what they did. Uh, France, you'd been through that same one, and your Carnet book was full of crossings into France. They would get, you'd get one, he'd make you empty the whole truck out. Oh, the generator's not on there. Yes, it is. It's right here. Oh, you got more tires than you're supposed to have. And, you know, they would just work you. Just nitpick you, drive Yeah, you but yeah, I used to, we used to go into Yugo, and, and Russia was quite a eye-opener yeah. to do that. Did uh, Didn't go there, so. <laughs> Yeah, it, basically, you took the ferry, and it went into, I think it was Leningrad, and you went in in the morning, you did it, and you went, everybody went back out. But Levi's were hot at that time. If you had Levi's, you could rule the world and behind the <laughs> Iron Curtains at that time. So, But it was out. interesting. There was 150,000 people, and there was hardly any border, you know, like um, bicycle rack things, the metal racks. That was At that time, they used those a lot around the racetracks uh -huh. as borders because if you crashed into one of those, you were going down, right, oh, yeah. at speed on a straightaway. They had military guards with AK-47s lining the track, holding the people back. <laughs> Wow. An AK-47 will work pretty well in that yeah. situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Track's not wide enough. You're yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, we got our 60 feet back. Yeah. But um, one of the worst things I ever saw was in Denmark one time for a GP. Uh, there were some security guards, and they had these really big dogs on a chain, and this guy was drunk and giving them a bad time, and they turned the dogs loose on him, and it was like, ooh. It was Made not a, up? Yeah, it wasn't a pretty sight. Wow. Yeah. So, but yes, it was a very, everybody wanted to do it. It was great. Um, um, you get homesick? Eh, yes and no, but it wasn't that bad for me. Yep. And then what we did is at the end of the season, they did that Trans Am series, mm -hmm. which started in September. So we would come over here and then everybody went, huh, now all the Suzuki people, you would all do that 11 or 12 races on the Trans Am series. Mm. And then the number, as years went on, it went less and less of those races, and then it finally went away. But, you know, you had a lot of European guys that came and rode that yeah. during the off-season. So, um, you didn't win any championships with, with Graham. Is that right? British that Championship. Right? British Championship you won. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the following season, what happened then? Following season, uh, I came back in the off-season, did the Trans Am. And Brad Lackey left. I think he went to Suzuki. Okay. He originally went over there with Kawasaki. <clears throat> yep. And then he was with Honda. Didn't he win with Kawasaki when he won his World yes. Championship? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, then he, Brad wanted to be himself and do his own thing. What was he like? Was he uh... Brad was the old era. He, he, interesting guy. You know, racer to the, you know, to the end of the earth. Um, I like Brad. He was just, that's how Brad was. You know, he was a Northern California guy that was completely different and did yeah. his own thing. And, you know, of course, he had run-ins with the European democracy, you know, the the, the things that went on there uh, at different times. But, you know, he, he left at the end of the season. And uh, so I was working with Graham, and then... Things changed. They wanted me to go back and work with Andre Malherb. 
Mm-hmm. And I go, I know who Andre is. He doesn't speak English. That's not a good deal for me, <laughs> right? Being in Europe and, mm. and having this Belgium rider. He was very talented. So I went, <sighs> um, Gunnar Lindstrom was the Honda, American Honda team manager at that time. Gunnar convinced me to stay in the States. In the meantime, I had met my wife, who was my girlfriend at that time, and came back, and I went, hmm, do I go back to Europe and deal with that mess, or do I? So, you know, Gunnar convinced me to stay at American Honda, and I ended up working on Warren Reed's 125 bikes. Okay. Which... <laughs> that was a weird bike that year, if I recall. 23-inch front wheel. You can only use certain, those tires. Um, it was a biggest piece of junk I've ever worked on. <laughs> top my, to bottom? Top to bottom. What was the concept behind the wheel? What, what did they... It was some engineer, and they wanted their own pattern because it would leave this... It had a pattern in it, so when in the dirt, it would leave this pattern. I forgot what the pattern was. Oh, my was. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> this it sounds was. like the corniest thing ever. <laughs> yes. Sounds like the guy was a penny farthing fan growing yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, I love those big front wheels. <laughs> yes. The bigger, the better. Yes. <clears throat> so it was an engineering nightmare. Of course, it didn't sell. It wasn't very good. It wasn't very fast. Things like that, right? It, even the one we had, it was bad. And so <laughs> I spent a lot of old, late night all-nighters on that bike, working out of, at that time, Honda was in, in Gardena. It's uh-huh. before they moved to Torrance um, a few years later. But I was in there all night long more than once. And, uh, you know, of course, Warren, he was a good rider. Um, he wasn't at the A level, but, you know, he worked hard at it. John Rosensteel was his stepdad. A lot oh, of John R.? Yeah. <coughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, John R. was married to uh, Warren's mom. And... Uh, but he was a hard worker, and you know. But the sad part is the thing with the motor would break or something uh-huh. else, and it handled so evil. But we tried everything, and then during that period, I got hooked up with Boysen Reed. Mm. He was an engine builder, and he had just started with his Reed valve thing. And uh, Gunnar knew him. Uh, Gunnar Lindstrom knew him, and you know, he said, "Hey, you need to go to Pennsylvania and uh, Allentown." and go see him when you're over in that area. So I went over there and hang out at his farm, and he had all these pieces of different equipment that now are pretty standard, um, you know, flow benches and things like that. His background was aeronautical originally, which airflow. So I I worked with him, and I had a really great relationship with him over the years, and uh, he helped us with the motor. And, you know, at that time, dynos weren't used much. It was the seat of the pants dyno. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you, you know, running up and down the road, hey, that feels better, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, in practice, hey, what do you think of this? Oh, yeah, that's a lot better. But it, it had a lot of problems, that bike. It, it was just evil. It really was. Did you guys ever end up at uh, Sugar Tree testing on that bike? Yes. David yeah. Bailey told, he was on a couple weeks ago, and he told a story of you know, he was younger, traveling around, mm-hmm. and pulled up there, and Warren Reed was there testing. Yeah. On a Honda, and I thought, Honda? I don't remember him even riding for Honda. So yeah. he all left, tying together. He left the following year to go to Kawasaki, okay. and I didn't blame That's him. That's where I remember him. Yeah, I didn't blame him one bit. Um, he, he had connections there with uh, some other guys, and, and they took him in and made him the test rider, and he rode the 125 series there. Yeah, at that time, Sugar Tree was actually a Trans Am race. Yeah. There was another guy that owned it, um, and he started the track, and he really wanted to make it big which he did um and then of course later david bought it 
you know, as his yeah. track and, and ran a few nationals there and things like that. Yeah. Um, okay, so what's, what year was that? Just so I can kind of keep following along. Uh, here. 79. That was 79. Okay. Yeah, I went to Europe in 78. Yes, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> you spent one season with Warren. He goes to Kawasaki. What do you do? You get put with? Uh, a young kid named Donnie Hansen. Okay. This was 80, right? Yeah. In 80. Yep. In 1980, we hired Bailey, Donnie, and Johnny O'Mara. Quite a wicked team. Right. But Johnny got stronger, I think, the following year or two. Yes, he did. <clears throat> uh, also, at that time, Warren was there, so was Marty Tripes, mm-hmm. who was... The man. The man. When I heard you talking in your opening about standing on the pegs. Unbelievable. The guy could stand on the pegs and do the biggest power slides through the corner. It was phenomenal. Wow. In fact, Marty just called me not long ago. He's looking for some sponsorship, some series. Yeah, he's got a series coming. Yeah. We're actually probably going to have him on the show here pretty, pretty yeah. shortly. But uh, he was also much smaller <laughs> at yeah. that time. But he was still bigger back then, though. Yes, he, he was. He wasn't a, a svelte, you know, teenager. No. Yeah. Uh, John Rosenstiel was his mechanic at Honda. And literally, Marty would snap the foot peg mounts out of the frame. Oh, boy. Just the loading plus the size of them, but that would go on a lot. Yeah. So, you know, in those days, it was works bikes, so you could fix it and, you know, redo the frame or whatever yeah. went on. But, um, yeah, Marty was there and, uh, you know, Warren and, God, we had a few guys. Uh, Chuck Sun was there, I mm-hmm. think, right about that time. He rode the open bikes. And, but, yeah, so here's these young kids, Donnie Hansen from the... Southern California, Indian Dunes kid, along with O'Mara. Him and O'Mara were buddies. Okay. And uh, nicest guy, still is the nicest guy. Um, so, uh, what, was he squirrely at all? Was he like, uh, what was he like as a younger guy? Very smooth. Extremely, and how he got his nickname, Hole Shot, because he would get the hole shots yeah. all the time. Um, no, he was very smooth and uh, very thankful for anything. Um, he was a guy that if he had lunch money in his pocket and gas in his vehicle and gas for his bike, he was a happy guy. Huh. He was very, very cool. Uh, and, uh, you know, he came from a working family, uh, see me area, mm. things like that. But yeah, I, you know, Donnie, it was funny when Donnie came to work, we used to have to qualify to qualify for supercross races. At that time, they, they allowed... I think 80 people to show up at the oh boy and then they had qualifying races so he had a three-digit number and we used to have to qualify even though we had pretty good points in the in the series they, they may still made everybody us. had to no oh because he was a novice with an ama license he hadn't had enough points yet in their eyes for the year so we had to qualify for a, while, a long while and then so we rode more than anybody but uh Good old AMA, man. Yeah. I've yeah. seen them go, you need to qualify. And the guys are like a champion. And then they go, oh, no, you pull in the Supercross. You've never tripled before? Don't worry about it. We'll <laughs> oh. figure it out when we get there. Oh. <clears throat> well, we'll, we'll get to that for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, we nicknamed the American, uh, the Amateur Motorcycle Association years ago. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so Donnie was pretty incredible, too. I, I don't yeah. know how he was in 80, but when he hit his peak, he was amazing, huh? Yeah, he was, and even in those days. So I used to go to the local races with him at Indian Dunes on, the, on Sundays, and he would ride there, and he pretty much owned that place. But we would go to a lot of places, uh, you know, work with him. 
you know, I learned that early on that, you know, I think it was Vince Lombardi said, everything you do is 80% mental. And I always remember that even in the early Suzuki days. So I always knew if you could, you can do all these things with the bike, but if the rider isn't in the right state of mind or the right condition or whatever, you got to work with them. You got to be their friend and you got to be their psychologist and you sometimes you got to be their dad and, and things like that. So I learned that that situation early on. And Donnie was really good. You know, he listened uh, really well. And, uh, you know, he, he put in the work. Hmm. He also seemed, when I saw some old footage of him, he seemed very confident in himself as well. Yes. I think I saw it was coming like the 82 season. They were interviewing everyone, like, kind of like, tell us why you think you're going to win. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm, on, I'm in great shape. I've been training. My bike's good. And then there's Donnie with his little cookie duster and his little shitty grin. And he goes, I'm going to win because I'm just better than everyone else. <laughs> I was like, that's a great way to put it coming in. And he did. He won that year. But it was just, it was a good, it looked like a, looked like a hanny with a little mustache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. looks very much like Josh. Yeah. Even that little, that little smirk they both have. Yeah. 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 Donnie uh, was really great that way. And, uh, and great overall, right? Hey, he comes to a lot of our live shows. He's you know, like every, every, every live show. As long yeah. as he's Doesn't got gas in his truck and a beer in his hand, <laughs> he's happy camping yeah. nowadays. Yeah. I mean, he does a great job with the schools. I think he still does the schools, oh, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. DHMA. Yeah, he, he does a really great job with that. And, and when you see him, he always, you know, wants to say hello. He remembers my wife and, and things like that. The, the, the sad thing is what happened to Donnie in Europe. Yeah. So um, he was in his peak. Yeah. Uh, luckily, we had tied up the Supercross Championship. That time, it used to go into the September months. Mm. So... Luckily, we did that, and, um, you know, when he was over there, he was riding great, and, you know, in between the week, he came up short and uh, ended up with a head injury that was pretty devastating. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm just glad he came out of that. It yeah. Was still with it. it was bad. Yeah, it was, yeah, really, it bad. was really bad. Um, okay, so after that season, um, Honda made some changes again. Is that right? Like, you guys brought Han on the following season. So, Donnie got hurt. He had a contract that went on for a few more years. Okay. Um, it wasn't looking good. Oh, you were with Donnie when he got hurt. Yeah. Yes, of course. Okay. Where, where was it? I was trying Germany. to remember. Germany. Germany, okay. It was, I forgot whose rider. It was a big name GP rider. Had this track, and it was along the Autobahn. You could see the cars going by at the okay. Autobahn uh, uh, just right there. He was chasing um, Magoo. Him and Magoo were chasing each other on this track. It was really nice. It was smooth. They were going at it for a while, and um, Donnie decided to back out of it. And it was these two big rollers, and he just snapped it enough. When he caught it, he caught the edge of it, and it sent him. So the funny thing about that day was there was a guy from Honda GP who had his 35-millimeter camera on motor drive. And he goes, something's not right here, and he held the button down. So we had this whole sequence of Donnie crashing. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I've never seen that. Did he, he never released it or anything? No, I, I don't know what ever happened to that. I, I sent it to the Bell Helmet guys because of the head injury. Uh-huh. Um, and um, so we didn't see it until later, but basically at one point he, he was standing straight up off the bike and the top of the, the, the jump... And his boots are kicking up this huge roost from the toes of the boots. 
that's how much force he was moving forward, right? Okay. And, and it was like, wait a minute, that's dirt that's that high, right? So when he did that, so the guys at Bell and the, and the neurosurgeon said, right after that, he got hammer slammed just, into the ground. Yeah. So your brain and the fluids just did all that, right? So he hits, and I'm just a little ways away. I come running. Cliff White comes running. And he starts going into convulsions, and we don't know if he's, if he's having a heart attack from the accident. So one of the local guys runs into the little village, gets the local doctor. local doctor comes out in his car, you know, right away. In the meantime, he calls the Audubon accident people. And, uh, you know, he, he, they try and stabilize him and things like that. So Audubon helicopter lands on the track. They open the back doors. The guy can come running up right away. You know, usually they try and yank the helmet off. And it's like, okay, we, we can get the helmet. No, 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 we know. And they knew what they were doing because they're Germans and yeah, they, that's what they do. And they, they, they stabilized them, stuck them in the back door, and they took them to a hospital. I forgot, his Stuttgart, I think, if I remember right. And luckily, there was an F1 driver that had just been in there for a similar thing from a huge accident, a brain thing. Mm. And uh, they put him in there, and uh, I don't know, it might have been three or four days before uh, one of the guys and I went down to see him and things like that. So in the meantime, they flew some, somebody out to replace him, and uh, because we still, we had done... Uh, it was David, wasn't it? Yeah, it was David. <clears throat> yeah. uh, Donnie and I had been, we went to the Swedish Grand Prix before the 250 race, uh-huh. and we ended up helping Danny Laporte win his 250 championship, because... Donnie ran all over. It was a sand track, and he was used to riding the dunes, which was the sand track. And uh, so our positioning helped Danny beat. I, f- I forgot who Danny was racing against at that time. But, you know, and then we did the 250 race, and then, of course, this happened between, you know, events and things like that. So he never regained consciousness at the track? No. Yeah. No, he didn't regain consciousness for a number of weeks. Mm, uh, some of it they put him in a coma. A yeah. control coma, as we hear it nowadays. At that time, they didn't talk about that a lot. There was actually not a funny thing, but there was a guy in there, a German guy in this intensive care unit. He'd been run over by an American tank because it, we had all these NATO forces, right? right. He was running, walking down the road, and this big M60 tank rolled <laughs> over him, right? And it was like, oh, my God, it was nasty. But, you know. Yeah. So Donnie was there for a long time before they finally transported him back. Mm. Um, so I ended up having to work on the, the bikes, and Magoo was on a terror at that both of those races. And we went to Switzerland to run the 500s that year, and literally the rocks were like the size of small baseball. I mean, they were huge, and uh, it was, was like it, a snowblower. Was it Roggenberg? I don't remember the name, to be honest, but... Uh, most likely was Roggenberg. That yeah. was, I think, the the sort of the main. That's where they had donations. Ninety four. Did it have the big hill at the back? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's where Albertine hit the deer coming uh, down from there. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it was a sad time. So to to, to tie it up, it, it, the following year they hired Hannah. Hannah wanted out of Yamaha because Yamaha he won everything and then he got hurt and they basically disregard you know. Right. You're never going to win a thing. Well, that's the wrong thing you do with Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would know. <laughs> wrong thing. And so you got put with Hannah. Uh-huh. Did you? Uh... I knew Bob. 
Yeah. Bob was a local rider at Suzuki when I was there. Okay. That's how I first met Bob. Uh, Bob was, uh, they hired him. He rode a Husqvarna that he bought with his own money. He didn't have a vehicle. He had convinced his buddies to haul him to the racetrack. He welded pipes at Bassani. Is that right? That's yeah. just to make cash to go racing? Yeah. He did that, and he, I think he was in, he was in a house with Bill Severa. From Bill's Pipe. Is that right? Yeah, and there was somebody else, and I can't... It might have been a guy that used to build mountain bike frames. I can't think of the guy's name right now. But the three of them were in the house, and Bob would sneak across the street to the avocado field and get avocados to make his lunch every day, right? <laughs> but he worked for Bassani, which was... He knew how to weld pipes. He really That's did. Funny. You know, it Those were the, that was the pipe you wanted to have back then, right? Yeah. Like Bassani was it. Yeah. Bassani was it. But the funny thing about Bassani was he used to play the national anthem. I forgot who it was. Santana or somebody's uh, complete oh. thing every morning before the start of work with these huge speakers. <laughs> Hendrix, maybe, or yeah, something. Yeah, Hendrix or something. I think it was Hendrix. Yeah. And then you go, oh, my God, every day we had to listen to that, right? <laughs> That's hilarious. But Bob was there for a while to pay his way, and we met Bob. We were testing with Billy Grossi and Tony DiStefano, the new RM series, at Saddleback and Carlsbad one weekend. So we did Saturday Saddleback, Carlsbad on Sunday. We had all these new bikes. Suzuki hired local riders to get the valuation from them. They had hired Bob okay. because they, you know, he had really good results on his Husky, and that's when we first met him. And uh, he rode, and everybody's like, Holy crap, that guy's hardly hanging onto the bike, but he's flying, right? So that relationship, they ended up offering him a deal was, okay, we're going to give you bikes, a van, and gas carts. Well, I want to ride the Nationals. No, not right now. So he worked in the service department. That's how I met Bob originally. Years, at Suzuki? Yes, at Suzuki. And that's when he came. We had been friends through the years. He came. He wanted me to work for him. Okay. And... Uh, you know, we we had always had this relationship, and, and I used to <laughs> I used to slip him pipes and shocks and things like that for his local bikes that we had extra of the works bike stuff. Yeah, there was so, a lot of hand me downs back in the day. Oh, everyone yeah. had someone that helped someone, and yeah, they didn't exactly. help someone. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's how I knew Bob on that level for years. That's great. I didn't know he. I didn't know a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So. Okay, so he comes to you at Honda, and you guys are you're both happy you're teamed up. Mm -hmm. um, how did that year go? He he had a chip on his shoulder, obviously about Yamaha. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They had done him wrong, which is a bad move with Bob. Very very motivated. He's always been motivated as long as I've known Bob. Probably he is the most motivated person I've ever worked in in all my racing motorsports career. Is that right? Yeah. Bob, what, what drove him? It just he just wanted to win, or what? Yes, it. he seemed like the guy hated losing. Seemed yes. like that was the biggest thing. Exactly, a little bit like Carmichael. Like the thought of losing pissed him off. Yes, that Bob. He wanted to win. Plus, he didn't want to go back on welding pipes at Bassani, <laughs> right? You got to remember, most of the guys I know I've ever worked for, including Ricky Johnson, he didn't want to paint houses with his dad. Mm -hmm. Right? And when, Bob, when he was, Ricky would start sliding, I'd go, you want to work for your dad? Uh-uh. Right? So it was a motivator. That's, that's, something that, that's something that I think people lack today. I think John Dowd got a taste of that. You know, mm -hmm. work, you know working blue-collar stuff back at home. Yeah. When you know that's the option, 
if, if I don't make this work, this is what it's going to be for me. That's a motivator. Yeah. Reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't have that, right? These no. kids are in these huge fifth wheel motorhome deals oh. from the time they're fifth wheel. Oh, screw the fifth wheel. Whatever. You, you know, know this motor coach towing a fifth wheel. Yes. Very much so. But that was the big thing with Bob. But Bob was always, even when Bob was at Yamaha. So when he left, let, let's back up just a little bit. In 1976, Bob went to Yamaha. Because Suzuki wouldn't put him on the national team. Okay. The Japanese guy named Tosh that was there at that time. Oh, yeah. No, Tosh no, was no. there forever. Yes, yeah. he was. Tosh went, no, nah, you ain't going to cut it, Hannah. You can't, you're not ready. We got the Stefano and, you know, these guys, and they're, they're winning championships. He's like, I'm telling you, I got a deal at Yamaha. He goes, no. Nah. Nah, yeah. So he went over there. And so, one Bob thing would always do every so often, he'd go, you know, I'm the 1976 125 champion. He would, so he would always use that as a joke, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, weren't you? But he went there, and he was proving a point to Suzuki that you didn't want to put me on the National Series. I'm going to kick everybody. Yeah. And he did. But like I said, Bob was motivated. You didn't have to motivate Bob to train. Bob would be... Night before. And he had yellow pads everywhere. And he'd write things down. Hey, I need to do this. I need to do this. I'm going to go do this. He was so, a list maker. Yes. Yeah. Very organized. And uh, he'd go, okay, because I it, it basically stay with him and at his house at, at long periods of times in Idaho and things like that. And he goes, okay, at 730 in the morning, we're going for a run. Well, I would go running with him. We'd run through the mountains there in some valley with the dog and... Okay, and uh, we're going to come back at 9 o'clock. We're going to go eat breakfast. Then I got to do some business. And then at 1 o'clock, we're going to the test track. Okay, and then we're going to come back and do this. All right, fine, perfect. So I would go and work on bikes and do those things when he'd go off and do business and things like that. But you didn't have to tell him to go running. Yeah. You didn't have to tell him, hey, we're going to go on a mountain bike ride. Uh -uh. He was there. Yeah. And you never had to push Bob. And... That's really hard to ingrain in people, and I was really lucky to work with him, but, but I've never seen anybody like that in my whole career. Really? Even, even the other guys you worked with after? No one ever even really held a candle to that, huh? No. No. I mean, Ricky Johnson was a fun guy, but you had, I had to push yeah. Rick along. Hey, you know, you're slacking here. We need to do this. So... Um, the only other guy I know of that, did, that does that on the car side is Jimmy Johnson. Mm -hmm. He's always out on his bikes and does triathlons and marathons and yeah. things like that. But, you know, that, that's the only other guy I've ever ran across that hmm. is like that. But I, I always was impressed with Bob um, of a lot of things, but the interviews that he would do, and we talked about this a little bit with Bailey, it's like he would be, if he knew he felt good that day, I've never seen someone run his mouth the way he would. Oh, I'm going to clean the house with that. <laughs> yeah. Don't bet on Bailey unless you're going to let the air out of my tires. I mean, he would just, whatever, you know. And then if, if he wasn't feeling good, he didn't bullshit you that way. Either go, they say, Bob, what's going to take for you to win today? And he'd be like, a miracle. <laughs> I'm way off. I'll, you know, yeah. it's like this brutal honesty. But you knew then when he said he was feeling good, look out, right? Because he wasn't going to lose. So I, It's just so interesting the way he was very raw and real, and I think that's why so many people liked him. Yeah. Well, one, it was his riding style, right? He grew yeah. up in the desert. Lancaster, Palmdale, Bean Canyon. Yeah. 
things like that. His uncle's owned property out there. His dad took him out there. His dad was a motorcycle rider. And Bob learned how to ride out there in the desert. That's how he got all that, where he could ride stuff that was rough as can be. There's even a random sand track out by Bean Canyon that we came across. And like, Bob mm-hmm. used to train here. And then yep. you go like five minutes up the road, and it was these just rocky hillside. I'm like, you got everything right here. And I'm like, this is where he used to train. I'm like, it's brutal. But I could almost just picture him going through the desert with the feet coming off and controlling the bike and just hammering through all of it because it was pretty gnarly out there. You know, he would do that. And, and when I worked with him, I'd literally go out there with him because he would go through five gallons of gas a day. And I'd have to change the air cleaner halfway through. But he had buddies that lived in that in Lancaster that he grew up around, right? And uh, one other story, prior to Bob working at Bassani's, he worked moving chickens into trucks that hauled. You know, take the chickens and put them in the cage that oh went on gosh. the truck. So, And he lived in this little tiny motorhome out there. So he had a big motivation of not going, yeah, back, yeah. going back, right? But back to his tracks, I would go out there with his buddies and stuff, and I would take another bike, and, you know, he would run it out, and I had this long hose, and I'd dump gas in there, and he, he would go, hey, go this route, and then they'd take off through all, just cross-country. He, <laughs> he would go out and just go up these hills, and he'd just go, no way. He'd go, and he'd jump the, the rain ruts going up, mm-hmm. and he'd get to the top, reach down, turn the gas off so it wouldn't run out, and he'd come down at speed. Unbelievable. And then yeah. we'd sometimes we'd help him. We'd beat in tracks out there in the desert for him. Hey, let's make this new one, these new corners. You guys ride this. His buddy was uh, Hicks. Hicks used to hang out with us uh, uh, all the time. He rode the Nationals. And Eddie Hicks? No, it was, God, I can't remember. His name. He lives in Boise now, Idaho also. Oh, wow. And uh, Jeff Hicks. Jeff Hicks. Jeff That's Hicks. Right. Okay. Uh, he used to call him his little buddy all the time. Bob. My little buddy. Yeah. But Hicks was with us always and, and basically stayed with Bob in his homes down here and up in Idaho and things like that. But um, we would go out there and ride and do those things. But it was all about, you know, he could read the terrain. That was another thing about Bob. You know, you get riders and go, oh, yeah, I was going here and I'm looking at this, but they only look at tunnel vision, right? Mm-hmm. Bob would come in and go, <laughs> we go to Carlsbad. You know, the big old, I don't know if you guys ever raced oh, yeah. there. You had the big uphill and a downhill. He would come in from practice and he goes, you can't believe this chick that's about midway down <laughs> on the fence line. <laughs> You'd go, because you were barely hanging on yeah. for life, right, coming down that oh, hill yeah. wide open. It was terrifying. That and hill. he would just bomb it, right? And you just go. But he would, like, see the fence line, the fence line. Huh. And that was from riding in the desert, because you have to be able to read the desert, right? And he would go, yeah, you know, he'd go up on banks. It was in the fence line or the banner line, mm-hmm. and he would he would pass people. Like, he would just go up on the bank. Next thing you know, he was in front of them, mm-hmm. right? So another funny story about the desert thing. One day, Bailey and O'Mara decided that that's what they needed to do when they were at Honda. <laughs> so we took them out to Bean Canyon. He wore them out. They were so frustrated from crashing, <laughs> falling down things. <laughs> David told us that story. Yeah. Uh, he said they pulled up and stopped somewhere, and Bob's looking up at this face of this cliff. And David's going, what's he seeing up there? Like, What's he looking for? Is there somebody up yeah. there or something? 
He goes, the next thing I know, he turns around and he climbs this hill. And he goes, I didn't even consider. I I mean, it wasn't even in my thought process that we would maybe go up this. And he goes, and I'm like, well, I guess I got to do it now, you know. No, literally, in fact, there's this wall behind us. It would be just like that. And what he would do is roll up, roll up, and he'd get a little kicker in it. Yep. So he'd get up to it, and if you watch him, he'd wheelie, and then, uh, but I saw him on some stuff at times that were sheer walls. Unbelievable. Huh. I, I mean, you just like, how did he do that? And, and I'm sure when the, when, when the other guys came out, he made sure he pulled out all the stops. Oh, hit yeah. The biggest hill, the steepest cliff. Yeah. But he had some buddies with him that were from Lancaster, and they did the same thing. Yeah. And, and yeah. it was like. They're just familiar with the terrain and how to yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Let's rub had, some salt in. Hey. Yeah. Little buddy, why don't you just show them how to do it? <laughs> they had one guy that used to ride this old Mako, right? And he would do that. And they were just like, oh, my God. I can't yeah. believe that guy just did that. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. I, I was told I have to ask you about the Hannah Ferrari story. <laughs> That's from Al, my PR agent. Uh, so when I worked for Bob, Bob paid very well. Um, Is that right? Yes. He, he paid me. Generous guy. Generous guy. Um, so <laughs> he comes to me one day and he goes, um, hey, you know, I need to pay you. How do you want to do this? And I go, well, I don't know. Why, what do you normally do? And he goes, well, I don't know. So another day later he goes, hey, um, do you think about the car thing? I said, well, you really didn't talk about it. So I said, yeah. I said, a friend of our, a mutual friend of ours has a 930 Porsche at that time. I go, but those things are pretty evil. They swap ends just going in a straight line. He goes, no, nah, no, nah, you, know, you don't want that. So we're flying to some race, and he's talking about it more. And he goes, hey, go to this building on Tuesday and take your wife. Because Bob used to live with us before he bought a place down in Orange County. Okay. With my wife and I and my daughter. And when he was out here. And uh, he goes, go to this building and look at, look at this car in there. So... Literally, this location is across the street where Yamaha is today. Cypress, yeah. Yamaha is in Cyprus. And it was a building, and I pull up in this big old Ferrari emblem on it. I went, hmm, I wonder what this is. We go in, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we got the car in the back. We need to show you. So they take me in the back, and they show me this yellow Ferrari 308. Wow, it's pretty nice. Yeah, look at it. My wife says, yeah, it's really nice. And uh, so... Couple of days pass, and he calls me, and he goes, "Did you look at that car?" And I go, "Yeah, it was really nice, very nice." No, didn't say anything. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know. We go to a race and come back, and you know, Bob used to stay out on the road for weeks on time. We would go to Pennsylvania and stay with people we knew, and he would we ride these tracks and and do all this, and I would stay out with him. So I'd be gone for weeks at a time, more than normal. From my wife and daughter, and uh, he goes, um, "Yeah, um, go to the Ferrari dealer in Newport Beach on this date and bring your checkbook." Uh oh, <laughs> my wife's like, "What did he? What did Hannah get us into today?" Right? So I go in there, and the guy goes, "Oh yeah, um, all I need is the uh, tax and license from you." So I got a brand new nineteen. It was a nineteen eighty three three hundred eight Ferrari. And uh, and he bought that as a as a bonus or as a bonus. Um, it was for three years, the three years that he had a contract for. He says, "Okay, this is a three year deal, and uh, this is what we'll do." So I had that car. Uh, we did that, and um, 
Yeah, I was, and, well, and, and the same time, he had a brand new Ferrari that Answer, who was his clothing sponsor at that time, gave him because Eddie Cole owed him a lot of money. Mm. So they leased the car for him <laughs> or whatever, which is another other story yeah. when we went to go pick it up in Scottsdale, Arizona. But anyways. So did you want a car? I mean, yeah. like, okay. But I said to me, if I wanted money to pay bills and live and he gives me a car, I'd be like, well, that's cool, but. Yeah, I can't eat that car. Right, but <laughs> it, it wasn't a problem. It'll right? eat you. <laughs> yeah, it will eat you, right? But it, it, I didn't have that. You guys that. have discussed that. No, we, okay. we, we, we had discussed that, and at that time... Um, what do you think that car cost? That time, that car was around 60000 I think, at that time. In those days, in 83, that was a lot of money. It's good bonus money. Yeah, it was a really good bonus for three years, but uh, Bob paid very well. Huh. Um I've been lucky, you know, Ricky paid me very well also, um, you know, uh, Mike Kurdowski did, um, you know, I was lucky that the riders I work with were very appreciative, and sometimes they use that as a bait to drag me in, Sure. <laughs> and, and it's like, hey, you know, um, now I, I don't think that's as easy, I, I mean, I've talked to the current mechanics, and they're like, yeah, my, our it's different. Are, it's different now, yeah. though. Yeah, and we'll get into that. It, a mechanic back then, and, and I was lucky enough to have started in the box van days and then mm-hmm. transitioned over when I rode for Mitch. That was sort of the start of the semi. Well, Yamaha yeah. was, but yeah. I got to see both sides, mm-hmm. and I really liked the box van era. Yeah, because you were just you were a teammate. You and your mechanic were a team. Yeah, we were part of another team, a couple other guys and their mechanics, but you're your own team as well. And so, like you said... Um, well, you, you often more than just the mechanic. Like you said, yeah. you were the mentor, the driver, this and that. The other thing with the box van era is when I look at a lot of those cool pictures, there were like mechanics and other riders sitting in the box van on the footrest step on a deck chair. It just seemed like it was very more social. Yeah. Now it's like they come in the truck, that goes there, you can talk to him, you can't, and then disappear. You know, yeah. it's like the, the social aspects changed a little bit, but it's lovely looking at those old pictures. Everyone just seemed to kind of hang out and BS together. Yeah. And, and you, uh, as you mentioned, you have to be a welder and a trainer <laughs> and a psychologist and a mechanic and a fabricator. You're doing engines, yeah. you're doing suspension, you're doing tires. You did all that. Yes. So not to take anything away or, or, or slam the mechanics today, but it's a different world. Yes. Uh, so. yeah, I, because we deal with them, we have a contingency program with gloves and pit boards, so I interact with those guys all the time. And, you know, of course, some of them were like, hey, I just heard that story. Is that real about the car? Mm-hmm. I said, yes. They're like, oh, no, they, the current guys, no way. You can lucky even get them by dinner. Yeah. And, and these were big-name riders that were making, they are making millions of dollars a right. year. And uh, I said, no, it, it did. And it, it, I think we talked about when we were looking at my photo books before we started this, um, you know, we went to Europe, and I was paid very well to to do that because it wasn't part of my job to do that. Right. Uh, you know, and I would haul all these parts to make sure the bike was close as possible to do that. But, but it's a give and take. You know, you have to be able to, you know, you know, they expect you to do things, and that's what I did. But literally with Bob, I kept five motorcycles running at all times. His well, race bikes and a backup bike. Then his practice bike, and if he was out on the road with me, I had three bikes in the box van. So, because he would go out, if it was raining, we were going out that day. If that was the day we were riding, we're going out and we're riding. 
Yeah, right. he he reminds me a lot of Carmichael in that sense. Where mm-hmm. like, yeah, the 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 bulk of his work was done on the bike. I mean, five gallons of gas—that's a lot. Yeah, every day. So it, it wasn't every every day, but um, it was pretty close. I mean, the other guy at that time was that uh, was like that that had picked up uh, that Bob was doing that was uh, oh, Mark Barnett, Barnett. at Suzuki. Yeah, yeah. He was another guy. He bought property in Alabama, and it, I think it was his grandmother's property, and he had these big speakers around the track, and he would just pound bikes into yeah. the ground, right? But, yeah, I had to keep those bikes, those three, and then his bikes in Idaho and a bike in Southern California. So I, I did that all the time. I was constantly busy with all that. But he paid very well for it, right? Yeah. It, it, Bob was totally grateful to Bob, right? Um and then, you know, I had some other riders later on that did similar things, you know, that didn't get, like, the car that was, you know, they, they wrote magazine articles about that stuff and things like that during that era. But, yeah, no. Hmm. Interesting. So how was that season with him? Well, he pretty much devastated him. Yeah. He, he would lap all the way to second place and, so, and beyond. You know, he would lap second place in a, in a at that time, I think they were, there were longer motos. I remember that. But I remember when Ricky Johnson came to ride for me, he goes, he used to just devastate me. Yeah. He would literally just lap us in a national. And Bob had this saying. He goes, when I walk through the pit area, I want those guys to look down at the ground and not look me in the eye because I'd kick their ass so hard <laughs> every week. And it was. It was a mental situation. Um, there was a situation at one point at Honda. We go into a team meeting, and two of the mechanics who worked for Bailey and O'Mara said, you got to stop your rider from winning so much. And I went, what? You never know when it's going to stop, right? And I remember uh, Dave Arnold going, what are you two guys talking about? Well, our riders are mentally just because he keeps just running over them and <laughs> devastating them. And I go, tell them to work harder. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Tell them to work harder. That's funny. Yeah. Um, was it- he was also really good with fans, too. Number one with fans. Pretty much everybody I worked with after that, I go, did you see what Bob did? He would stay until it was dark. I mean, literally, I would put the truck back together, a box van, in dark. After the race, he would wipe down, and he would sit in a chair or, or sit on a bumper, and he would sign autographs until everybody was gone because he was riding in a box van. He was going with me, and I was going with him, and but he would stay and write, and he would interact. Now... It wasn't just like a scribble and throw it Now, yeah. oh, there's only X amount of tickets today. Mm-hmm. What else are you doing, right? But he would do that after the races. He would stay until the last person was gone that wanted his autograph and he would look them in the eye and talk to them and make jokes with them. They don't do that this day, these days. They just, it's a little more corporate. It seems like, like I've got, these got to be there. It's yes. Very, very, uh, yeah. There's tickets. We've got X amount of posters. We're here from this time, that time. Um, one thing that I was a little surprised on was, and help me out if I'm wrong on this one, but, I, I heard Bob was not actually a huge fan of Supercross. No. He didn't like the jumps because they were hard. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that, that, that'll, that'll, that'll do it for you, wouldn't it? So, 
Yes. Well, it literally, when he was riding for me, he would get in the passenger side of the van, put his feet up on the dash, and use three and a half rolls of athletic tape because his ankles were junk. Oh. Just like you said, that's why when we did the Scott boot, he jumped on and he rode in those boots for a whole season because it supported his ankles. Mm. He said he used to need an ankle infusion, right? He needs somebody to, that, that could do that. But every, even in practice, he had to tape those ankles because he was used to, you know, he had boot contracts with High Point at the time, which was Alpine Star, but, you, you know, you set those boots up and they'd fall over, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? They were just yeah. a leather yeah. cover. Yeah, yeah they had, nowadays it's more plastic than it is leather, of course. But, yeah, he, uh, he had bad ankles mm. from, you know, dragging them and jumping off of things and mm. things like that. So he, uh, he had that problem. And, and I really, uh, that kind of slowed his career down at the end when he went to Suzuki along with when he dislocated his hip so badly at mm. Honda when he was with me. Out in the desert. Oh, yeah? What, yeah, we what were out there? riding in the desert. Yeah, well, we were getting ready to leave. He had a bunch of his buddies We in Mojave. And he got ready before everybody else, and he was doing these ditch things. He would go drop down and up the ditch and whip it and do all these things. And miscalculated, dislocated his hip. We had to throw him in one of the vans, and they went wide open back to Lancaster. And Ugh. To the hospital. It's a long, painful ride, huh? Yeah. Well, it was dislocated, and, you know, they got him in there, and he did everything, and it's like, it's dislocated. And then they, <laughs> we're going to have to do a catheter. He's like, oh, no. Oh, boy. And they go, well, if you can go in this cup, we won't put the catheter. Well, he tried, and it didn't. And uh, <laughs> But what happened was, it, when he dislocated, it also dislocated tendons and nerves. So it took a long time for the nerves to regrow. Mm-hmm. Where he had feeling in, in certain things and control and things like that, but um, yeah, no, the the guy gave you everything. I gave mean, it his all. Huh? He yeah. gave it his all, and but he was also quite the businessman. I, I don't know if a lot of people. Yeah, I, I saw that. I heard stories that he like overlapped a lot of his contracts, and so that he was riding for Honda, but Yamaha was still paying him, and you know, and so on and so forth over years. Is that accurate? Yes. He <laughs> at one time he had three factories paying him. Yeah. That was like the football thing. It was diversified payments in those days. And he's the guy that brought that in and said, okay, you pay me this much per month. And when he left there, they were still paying him for years. But what he, he explained to him, he said, put that money in this account. It'll pay for itself, yeah. right, over the years. Mm-hmm. So literally he had three different factories at one time paying him. Well, the other thing, too, with deferred payments is if you get it all in one, one lump sum, Half of that's going to taxes. Mm-hmm. You spread it out, you get a lower tax bracket. You actually keep more of your money. So he's yeah. a smart man, too. No, he was. So the interesting story Bob tells when he, he one of his contracts at Yamaha, he was making, I think, $25,000, maybe less than that, in, when he won the 1976 125 championship. Okay. So he goes in a conference room, and he goes, uh, hey, Honda offered me this much money. And he's... Bull crap in them. Okay. <laughs> and the Japanese go, no, there's no way they're going to pay you that. And he goes, no, no, that's what they're going to pay me. He gets up, 
pushes the chair in. I mean, that's how. It's commitment. Commitment. <laughs> he starts like, we're selling it. We're it's selling it. to the bluff. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a used car, right? Buying a used car. And he goes, I'm leaving. And he went, no, 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 no. He went from 25 to 200 and something in those days. He was the first guy to have the major first contract mm-hmm. in the business. And then everybody jumped on. Eventually, they found out about it. They got it. in his draft. And they got in his draft, <laughs> and they, you know, they, yeah. they all now, to the current rate, you know, things like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, and, and then, you know, at one point when he was riding for me, he started uh, Honda, Honda Hanna Hanna Racing yeah. Products, right? And actually, it was two ex-employees that were at Scott USA that I work with. One was my boss, and the other guy was Scott Boyer. And uh, which I worked with Scott on the goggles and the roll-offs. Um, um, interesting story. The roll-offs was my idea when I was at Scott USA. Is that right? Yeah. I said, why don't we try and do like a 35-millimeter canister? And it was another one where people just thought I was crazy and things like that. And, uh, <laughs> but at first, we had a lever on it. So when you pulled the lever, the whole goggle would do this. Oh. Then we eventually, we ended up with the window shade, right? And then eventually it was electric eye and, and things like yeah. that. But huh. yeah, did you get a, a royalty on any of that stuff? Nah, I didn't. God. I didn't on that one. Missed up. You should have had Bob. I was going to say. Uh, you should have had Bob. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, did he? I, I want to know if he, because he came off arrogant. You know, like he would talk trash on riders, and he he was very. I guess he came off arrogant. You know, <laughs> and intentionally. I, I think a lot yeah. of it was head games, but yeah. Behind the scenes, it wasn't really like that, right? Like, that no. wasn't really him. It's That's all, it was a character. It, it was that character that he knew that he put out there. You know, he, he was a fan of boxing also. He had a body bag and a speed bag in his okay. gym. And he would work them, right? And the funny part about the body bag and the, and the speed bag was a cutout poster of Roger DeCoster that he put right there. <laughs> and he used to tell, yeah, I have this in your picture. That's what motivates me every day. And Roger's just like. <laughs> Roger was still riding at that time, right? Yeah. But it, it, I don't know if you've seen the old films where Bob and Roger went at it like at Unadilla during the Trans Am and things like that. You yeah. know? Here was the, the great Roger DeCosta. I'm like, man, screw him. I'm going to. Yeah. Right? And I mean, they bang back and forth, left and right for the whole motos. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, he was a totally different person on the other side. Okay. I, and I, I figured that, but... I think a lot I, of it I was just to someone get someone who was there. I, I, it seemed a lot of it was to get in the other riders' heads. Yes, and it seemed like it worked, and it he did. knew that, and he kept going with it. Well, mm-hmm. it's boxing strategy, like you said, uh, uh, Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. I mean, boy, he was a fan of that. Yeah, he was a fan of that, and and, and Muhammad Ali, he talked all that trash right constantly, and that's what he went with, right? But it's also Bob's basic upbringing, right? You know, yeah. he he came from. Getting his hands dirty. Yeah. And working on his own bikes. Yeah. That's awesome. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Use the restroom. If anybody, this is your Toilet Designs time out here. Go ahead and get a a bathroom break. We're going to pay some bills, show you some sponsors, and we'll be right back to finish up with Brian Lennis. I want to introduce you guys to PowerDot, a wireless muscle stim unit that is controlled by an app on your phone. It's incredibly simple. This is something I've used for a little over a year now to help with arm pump and nagging injuries, and I've had amazing results with it. They recently worked with Adam Cianciarillo to help rehab his knee after surgery. He had an ACL replaced. And after talking to him, it's something he swears by. He's adamant that this is the one thing that got him back on the bike quicker and got him healthy. So if you have any muscle pain, any nagging injuries, or you want to recover the best way possible, head over to powerdot.com forward slash whiskey throttle for a chance to win a free unit 
or get 20% off your next purchase. That's powerdot.com forward slash whiskey throttle for 20% off and a chance to win. You can thank me later. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Whiskey Throttle Show. And we're going to finish up with Brian Lunnis here. Uh, that was your Troiler Designs break. Uh, check out all their 2020 line. It's out, and it's awesome. Uh, they also have new mountain bike gear out as well, uh, a really cool new downhill mountain bike helmet. Uh, it can be used for enduro stuff if you're into that. It's for me, just period, full face. Walking around if yeah. you're a klutz. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's super open and... Uh, Feels like you don't have a full face helmet on. Feels like a bicycle helmet, but it's full protection. It's awesome. So uh, get over to trolleydesigns.com and check those guys out. All right, jumping back in, Brian. Um, how did it, how'd your time with Hannah end and the transition over to RJ? So what happened was Bob got hurt, excuse me, um, like we talked about with his um, hip. And um, Honda basically cut him loose oh okay after the hip they just yeah they, they figured he was done um they used to have a nickname for him they called him brittle bob Ooh. oh really yeah Ooh. um so did he know about this at the time maybe maybe not <laughs> probably not as he would have made it known that he knew there would have been a fire at honda headquarters so the secretaries tell the story when bob got called in and there was whoever was the management at that time. It, it, it wasn't Dave to talk to him. It was money people. Okay. But it was in the race department offices. And this guy had a glass office. <laughs> and the girls said, oh, it was classic. Bob walked in and he basically, you knew he was mad because he stood up and flipped the guy off and walked out. It's <laughs> <laughs> one way to handle business. Yeah. That, that sounds about, and you're like, yep, yep. <laughs> That's Bob. Yep, that was. And that I went, when right. I heard it, I went. I don't doubt it, yeah. right? So that's what happened there is, uh, you know, Bob was didn't recover right away. Yeah. And eventually, he right after that, he ended up at Suzuki. Mm -hmm. And then he was on a tear to prove a point. But um, his condition wasn't as great physically, right? I mean, training-wise, he could do everything. But, you know, he'd been beat up. He's had a long career and had injuries and, yeah. you know, all these things we've seen over the years with yeah. people, uh, different guys and, and things like that. So, and that's how, and then, so, <laughs> I had a running um, battle with Ricky Johnson when he was at Yamaha. So, okay. Ricky, my riders always seem to be battling Ricky, right? Okay. So Ricky wasn't fond of me, and I was never fond of him, right? So when they bring Ricky into the racing shop at Honda, I see the back door. They bring him to the back door, but they don't bring him to the shop. But here we are working, and I see this. I go, that looks like Johnson, and he just flips me off, <laughs> right? And then they take him to the office, right? They just He wasn't... Was, I mean, he was he kidding, or was it... No, no. 
It was like <laughs> a couple hundred feet. Between him and I, it was a ways, right? You're looking around going, is that? That, <laughs> that, yep, that, was, that me. was for me. <laughs> that was fine. And I knew it because, you know, he would try and pull stunts in the starting gate. And, you know, and they knocked it, you know, things like yeah. that. On top of it, when I worked for um, Donnie Hansen, we basically caused him to break his front wheel in Colorado. And we ended up winning the 250 championship. And he was leading it. He was in the bag. But... We knew beforehand we had a team meeting. We go, if don't make it easy on Ricky to pass. And I, I forgot, maybe it was Laporte or somebody really held him up. Mm. And he got frustrated. And at that time, they were riding production bikes, and we had works bikes. In 82, we had the bike. It was the bike with the pumper tank. Yeah. It was... The bike. The what tank, sir? Pumper tank. It had a pump to pump the fuel up. All the fuel was oh, pumped wow. down by the carburetor, and so then it would pump it back up with a vacuum pump, and it would had a container thing, and when you would, they designed it so you could hardly tell unless you looked really close, so you put riders and you go, go ride that one, go ride this one, go ride that during testing, and they'd come back and go, wow, what the heck is going on with this thing, right? And they'd look at, oh, Wow. Right, and it had a bunch of other features that were really cool, um, and so um, we were riding that bike, which was the the bike in that era. It was a Honda. It was HRC and everything we could do at those times. We could change everything because there wasn't a production rule, and uh, so we went to the last race of Colorado, and we had a team meeting. It's like, hey, make it hard for him to pass. Don't run him off the track. But so he did, and he overjumped. A jump, a big downhill jump, exploded the production wheel. Mm. Next thing we know, here comes Donnie. He was maybe in second or third at that time. And he was in front of Johnson. No, Johnson. Uh-oh. What happened to him? Did he crash? Next thing you know, you see him running, pushing the bike from the back of the track. Wheels all, you know, doing this. So he wasn't fond of me anyways, right? You stole my championship. It's racing, right? Yeah. yeah. And then they went into second moto. They went into a battle, and he was right there. We figured he was going to try and knock Donnie off, but he never did. He he was fair. He just raced them fair, and we just told Donnie to back off and just follow him. Yeah. So, anyways, that's how it started. He came in the door and flipped me off, and what happened was my ex-rider, Bob Hanna, called him, and he said, if you go to Honda, you need to work with him. Don't work with anybody else. You need to work with him if you want to win. And I thank Bob for years for that. And, and eventually, Ricky told me that story. He goes, yeah, Bob called me and told me, if I'm going to work with anybody. So what they did was they sent me out to Honda Land with Ricky by ourselves with a bike. And Ricky was having problems with ankles because the boots oh, he was wearing, leather boots. So we went out there, and Honda Land was notoriously concrete hard, sun, baking it. And we had these whoops. The John Savitsky was the track builder in uh -huh. those days. That was just like running into concrete curbs. And uh, we went out there. He, he was just him and I and a friend of his that came with him. And he rode, and then he didn't. We rode for a little while, and he said, My ankles hurt me, and whatever. It was off season. He goes, So we sat down and talked, right? And uh, I said, Okay, well, you, I have your feeling, my feeling. You know, if you want to work together, I'll, you know. He goes, yeah, your history speaks for yourself. So a few days later, he calls me back, and he goes, yeah, I want to work with you. So 
literally, it was at the end of the season, and he still had a Yamaha contract till the 31st of December. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to Europe as a Honda employee and working on Yamahas. Oh, you're kidding me. No, no. They were fine with it. And uh, <laughs> so bring I, us back some info. <laughs> I don't know if that would fly these days. But I it know. was a production bike, right? In those days, the, the distributor would give you a bike, and you could bring suspension and pipes and, and yeah. cylinders and you know a lot of times we run mitch's stuff there yeah. uh, we run his pipes and cylinders he cut or whatever and you know we didn't have work stuff maybe we had works levers or something but you know our suspension but uh, so i had the yamaha and i just had to work with the yamaha with with a bunch of mitch stuff mitch helped gave me some stuff and we had some suspension that uh, bones had did and did that and i did the Paris Supercross and a couple other big money things. And then right at the end of uh, December, he was allowed to take photos. And But you guys were riding the Honda back at home and prepped. And yeah. Stuff, right? okay. yeah. Yeah, we could do that, but he couldn't be photographed. Right. It. So that's why we went to Honda Land. Or he owned a tr- Supercross track with Brock Glover down in the, yeah, yeah, down in that area. So nobody could get in there. It was a gated fence that was uh, actually a working farm that normal people couldn't get on it and we mm. did that but uh yeah so i basically moved in with them and worked with them and things like that so so um tell me about rick's personality about his uh because boy i mean you you really worked well, with some, some of the most yeah. between yes. hannah rj and bradshaw yeah i don't know if there's three more uh dynamic and, and <laughs> you know what i mean it's no no yes yeah so yeah he was totally different but he was driven he wanted to be like hannah he wanted to win um, but you know saying it and doing it it's you know completely different right. in, in competition so uh when i first got with him he was well known as a party guy um so the first thing i did was move in with him in his house <laughs> in san diego uh el cajon and uh and you were the party pooper yep <laughs> yep hey cool. we're going training in the morning make sure you're back here by a certain hour yeah first couple times but hey you know i can go work for somebody else and so you know he was hanging out with the life's of beach guys at that time mm-hmm. and uh, they were great guys and um you know, they had a good time, and Marty Motes was part of that group, too, and, and things like that. So, you know, eventually we got him to get going on a program and do that, and, uh, you know, he came out of the gate, and uh, I think, was the big battle with Bailey at Anaheim, was it that first year? I don't remember, where they went back and forth. That was, was 86. Okay, it was later. Um, so... Um, it was the following year, I think it was. So, you know, Ricky, he believed what I was telling him, what was going on. So we got his physical training stuff. And, I, and literally at those days, even with Bob and Donnie, I would go out and ride bicycles and run with them. And, you know, it was pretty sad when your mechanic would run you into the ground, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, that that part of it. So he, he kind of flipped around and, he, you know, he got very motivated because it was the honda deal and he he wanted a he wanted yamaha to do certain things and they wouldn't do it um mostly i think because of budget constraints mm. they were the guys that really pushed the production rule everybody else they couldn't afford works bikes and they flat said it in ama meetings that i was in we can't afford to race we have to race production that's what yamaha wants to do 
Mm. We want to change the rule. And of course, Honda don't want to do it. Yeah. They have HRC. No way, right? Because we had the bikes and uh, we had the background. A little background on HRC. Literally, we got bikes at times that were bad. Hard to believe. And literally, everybody rode the bike. I think we had seven riders at one time. Yeah. And everybody went, ooh, this is evil. This thing is really... I think Gary Semix was riding for us at that time also. He goes, I'll take the forks off of it, but that's it, right? So, but literally, when you'd have a problem in those days with works bikes, Honda, you would literally have a completely brand new bike within three weeks. You, the crate that's would crazy. come, you'd open the crate, and you go, whoa, what's this? They fixed all this, Right. So that, that was really great to be in that era that they could do those things, and HRC was that. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, we could get bikes, but, you know, Ricky didn't like that riding that production bike because they were riding and crashing and trying to get that thing to work, and it wasn't happening. Mm. You know, it wasn't happening. So he was another guy like Hannah. I'm going to prove the Yamaha, <clears throat> you know, I can beat him. So, um, you know, Rick... The key about Rick is, and Rick is, as he calls us, brothers, um, he, um, he's very fun to be around. Uh, Bob was more serious, but he was fun also, but Rick was more fun and, and you Goofy, know. Goofy, it seemed like. Yes. Yeah, like. Yeah, he's still that way, and, and you know, but he, he wanted to be, beat Hannah's record. He wanted to be that guy, mm. right? So, um that was a motivator. And, and like I said a little bit earlier, Rick's dad was a painter, house painter. And when Rick went on Slack, his dad used to make him sand cabinets or the house that he was working on, right? And I said, so when he started slacking, I go, you want to go work for your dad again? No, I don't want to work with my dad. So he would pick so he up he knew the reality too. That yeah, was, he knew reality. Uh, probably not as hard as Bob did, but yeah. Yeah. And you... Uh, Al was telling me that there was a rivalry between mechanics. Like, even though the, the, there was an R.J. Bailey thing for a long time, those two mm-hmm. were friends, and, and, and um, they didn't hate each other, but there was certainly a rivalry, and that was going on behind the scenes with the wrenches as well? Yeah, well, of course, you're in with your rider, right? You know, you're connected to that, yeah. you know. It's also, you know, that's you also, the results. Mm. So what would happen is... Ricky didn't want to come up to Honda Land. One, it was too hard. He didn't like it. Plus, he would have to stay at my house overnight, and then we would drive up, and then he would drive back to San Diego. Hey, why don't you come to my house? So he had these tracks that we run, or we'd go to Carlsbad, or there was another track that was near Carlsbad. It was called the Flower. Uh, it was basically a, a, a greenhouse area, and this guy was in that owned the greenhouse and had all this outdoor track there. Okay. And uh, so everybody would be there. You'd see Glover there. You'd see all the San Diego guys would be riding there that uh, one day or another. And uh, so we would go down there and ride, and or I'd stay overnight, and we'd do more testing. Well, factory would give us, you know, Bailey and them, they would be someplace else, and, you know, they didn't want to test. Well, Ricky goes, let's test. I'm fine. So I would grab all these parts. We'd go down. Hey, we tried triple clamps. We tried... Linkages, we tried pipes, we tried cylinders, we tried motors, all these things. Well, then all of a sudden it was like, hey, and I would come back and I have to do a report. The reports were there, right? Well, you guys are doing all this down here, you know. Well, Ricky got mad because he was doing all the grunt work 
testing all the parts, and Bailey and Johnny weren't, yeah. right? They were more concerned about it. They, <laughs> the two of them had gotten into this thing that, kind of like Hannah, every day at 11, I will be doing this, riding my bike or running or be in the pool. Very regimented. Very regimented. And a lot of that they learned about Hannah. Hmm. Um, so that's what they were into. In fact, it felt and... Cliff used to laugh. Oh, uh, yeah, they're riding right this moment, yeah, right? You knew exactly what they were doing. Exactly at the, at the day, right? Well, they didn't want to do the work, and Ricky got, hey, this isn't, I'm doing all the work. You guys aren't doing anything, right? And, and Rick was very boisterous like Bob. He said, hey, you guys ain't doing anything, right? He also felt that the two of them ganged up on him. Because they, they lived together or really close to each other and see me. And they rode Honda Land every day. But that's all they did. They wouldn't leave Honda Land or they wouldn't go do this. So that, that's how the animosity started. And, of course, then you get the animosity that happens between the mechanics because the rider's preaching that and he's got to stick with his rider and things like that. Mm. Um, kind of like what I said earlier in the broadcast here about more the team meeting, hey, your rider's beating up our riders too long, you know, much. Uh, you, you're devastating them. you got to stop. You can't do that. Yeah. You know, you, sorry. Yeah, sorry. So who was working for Bailey? Was it Cliff White? Yes. Okay. David, uh, ba and Cliff worked for Bailey and uh, Jim Felt. Jim Felt, okay. Who went on to build a bicycle company and things like that. Is that who you were thinking about earlier when you said the, the bicycle builder was Jim Felt? Yes, yes. Yes. I thought I thought that's who you're referring to. Yeah, Jim was great. I mean, we all got... Cliff and I worked together for years. I was at Honda for 13 years. Mm. Um, you know, between uh, working in GPs for Honda and then, again, you know, here in the States. So, uh, yeah, there was competition. It goes on. I bet you see the same thing today. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. You, competitive people get into this yeah. business. You're going to have a little yeah. animosity when someone's winning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, so you guys just, there was just that little uncomfortable tension between yeah. everybody. Huh? Yeah. yeah, of course. There, there, there would be certain things that would come up. It's just like any team or family, right? Mm -hmm. You know, something rubbed you raw about that guy or whatever that yeah. would, you know, fester or things like that. Well, and, and in those box van days, you could kind of, like you said, you, you and Rick would go do your thing and you could stay really separate. You didn't even have to see him except for at the races. Mm-hmm. Now it, it's it's a little bit more. They for, you're forced to be in close quarters, so uh, that's better or worse, but it's different. Well, Honda was the last guys to go to a, the trailer, and they fought because just like we've talked about about the Bach van, they yeah. felt that it was a separate identity, and the riders would do that. But logistically and financially, it, it was a much better deal than having all these trucks running around yeah. with separate people, right? And besides that, a tractor trailer you can haul a lot of parts or pieces versus just a box van. Right. Made more sense. Mm -hmm. um, what about when, when he took in Stanton as, as his sort of protege? Did you have discussions with him about that? Cause yes. It, it, at yes. the time, it seemed like he goes, oh, no, I'll have a good guy to train with and push me. But he created his own competition. Yes, he did. Um, he was told by everybody, including his family, that is a bad idea, including his accountant. Is that right? <laughs> Dave Stevenson? Yep, Dave Stevenson. When Great the accountant guy. tells you it's a bad idea, you know it's a bad idea. <laughs> he goes, this guy's going to learn everything, you know, your secrets. So what happened was Stanton was living with Ricky in his house in El Cajon. So Ricky finally got into it. We were telling him, hey, this is a bad idea. 
In the meantime, his mechanic latched on me, Danny Bentley, to my bumper. He would follow me and do the same thing every week what I would do. Smart guy. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I kept bringing that up. No, ah, no, it's fine. I like Stan's my buddy, this and that. Okay. So Ricky finally figures it out when Ricky was putting the shoes on to go running and Stanton was going to go ride a bicycle. And all of a sudden he got rid of his bicycle stuff and put his running gear on. And it's like, oh, wait a minute here. He's just mocking everything I do from sleeping to training to eating to whatever, right? So that's, that's where he finally think. And to this day he still says that's the worst thing I ever did. Because I basically educated Stan. Yeah. So Jeff Stan was a great guy. Uh, came from farm, you know, worked on a farm. His family's generations of farms in Michigan, Lower Michigan. But you know, he wasn't as talented. But he was a workhorse. Yeah. He he would work very hard. But his talent level, you know, certain guys have more talent than that, and sometimes it all balances out. But. And you can't blame Stan. I no. mean, if a guy's going to take him in and, yeah, and teach him anything, show him all. how to do it. Not at all. Not at all. Huh. That's interesting. Um, and what about his injury? Take me through that day. Oh. So we were on another roll. We had won a, quite a few Supercrosses already, and then they always threw the Gainesville National yeah. in the middle of it. And uh, so he was out on practice. Stanton was following him. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. And they went up this uphill at, at Gainesville. Was it the elevator, that big step up? Yeah. yeah. So they had caught up to a guy that they knew, and they, they were both following each other around, went up, and the next thing you know, this guy just skies it off of one of his jumps. He went really wide and just skied it, and he landed. He literally cased the bike on Ricky's right hand. Mm. Um. So he didn't come around. Uh-oh. Stanton comes in, says, hey, the emergency people with him, it's bad. What happened? Well, he didn't, he didn't hit him his head or anything, but he got it landed on his wrist. So they hauled him off, and, uh, you know, to, luckily we were in Gainesville, so the Florida University Center yeah. there, they had really good doctors at that time. And so we went through that. But, yeah, it was bad. It was real bad um, because they said the wrist was totally destroyed. Yeah. You, know, you think about a motorcycle. Yeah. Especially right wrist. <clears throat> I mean, may, maybe yeah. left, you could fuse it and, and fudge it. Get away it, with but, it, yeah. yeah. So the, the biggest thing, he went through all the rehab and, and things like that, and uh, it took a long time. Um, but the biggest thing you don't think about, you think about this, right? And, and, and this. But what happens is when you do this, your wrist does... Other thing, articulates. And that's what the problem was. Mm. Besides the whiskey throttle side, where he would have to do like <laughs> this, right? And literally, because the wrist didn't work, they had to partly do things. He was in a lot of pain with it, so they went back in and they did some partial fusion, and uh, you know, he came back and it wasn't great. And uh, so Rick goes, you know, I don't know if I'm going to ride next year. If you can get another opportunity, do it. So I had been at Honda for a while, and I wasn't really happy with the way the political situation had come up there over time. And um, so, you know, word got out, mostly through Dave Stevenson, 
who also did Damon Bradshaw. Hmm. Next thing I hear, Dave calls me and he said, you know, you, you, were you interested? Because Dave was doing my stuff uh, also at that time. And I said, yeah, I'll talk to somebody. What does it cost to talk? You know I'm not happy here. I haven't been for a while since Ricky got hurt. So um, I talked to Yamaha, talked to me. They actually flew me back from back east where we were racing with box vans and, you know, talked to me. And then I flew back a few days later and things like that. And, you know, I said I need to talk to Bradshaw directly because I see how he operates and, you know, the parents and, and all these different things that are going on. So what had happened was I finally got together with Damon at a motocross donations in Holland. Okay. He was in the restaurant in the morning, and it was a good opportunity. And uh, we went and sat over in the corner and talked for a little bit. And I said, yeah, okay, let's talk some more. And we left it at that because otherwise there was motorcycle people around and there would be all yeah. kinds of talking. And oh, yeah. Things like that, right? So <laughs> The rumor mill. Yeah, the rumor mill. So, um, you know, it, eventually, but Ricky gave the blessing. He goes, hey, you know. I'm not going to be able to ride. It, it's, it doesn't look good. Yeah, it was numb and yeah, yeah, yeah. It gave him a lot of headaches and pain and and, and things like that. And I understand. I've been through it with with uh, Bob and things was, like. That. Was that ever tough as a as a mechanic to like? I mean, you were with Donnie when he got hurt badly. You're with Bob when he has a big one. Mm-hmm. Now you're with RJ and he has a career ender. Was that? Does that ever weigh on you? Uh, it didn't weigh with me so much. Yeah, it was at the moment. It was bad. Not uh, that it was ever your fault, but it, no, no, you're no, still no. having to go through it with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, you feel bad because you, they're your friend. You work with them. Yeah. You, you you compete with them, right? So I, I mean, you, you have all those things where you have this friendship, right, or brotherhood. Um, you know, you're with them with the good times and the bad times. Yeah. And uh, yeah, of course it is. It, it's it's sad like that. Um, yeah, so it's difficult at times to go through it. There were some people on the sidelines that made some comments about me that, you know, that, oh, yeah, you end all their careers, right? So, but I just brushed it off. <laughs> so it's like. You did an awful lot of winning before they Yeah, yeah exactly. So I just laugh. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, okay, right. So, you know. Everyone, everyone's got an opinion at some point. Yeah. There's a saying which I won't bring up, but <laughs> yeah, I think we know that one. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's very difficult. Donnie's thing was very difficult. My wife was with us in Europe at that time. Um, my daughter wasn't very old; she was staying with the grandparents, and my wife couldn't handle it. She had to come home. Luckily, she did. We sent the Bell helmet with her, and she took it to the guys at Bell Helmet, which was in Santa Fe Springs at that time. And uh, they looked at it so they could give input to the doctors in, in Germany. So, yeah, I mean, Ricky's thing was, you know, of course, saddening also because he'd become a very good friend and mm-hmm. a buddy and, and things like that. So, yeah, it, that's always difficult. You know, it's always very difficult when somebody gets hurt. And, and you know it's not going to be good. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're not going to come back from that. They think they are, and they try really hard, and you try and help them, but... You know, you can see the writing on the wall. Yeah, the, 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 probably the saddest one was Donnie because Donnie, the brain injury, it took a long time. He goes, he couldn't walk right at first. You know, he couldn't talk right. Um, 
you know, there would be two or three years after the accident where he'd come up where I was working and he wanted to talk and you would talk to him, but it was very, very slow. And say you would go, well, how's your dad doing? And it would be this big lag, right? I also witnessed that when I was at Honda, Bubba Sherbert, oh, yeah. the dirt track road race guy, he had a big accident also, and his injury ended up being another very similar to Donnie's. Mm. So it was very sad, but I knew Bubba also, and, and people were like, well, this is it. No, it's the same thing Donnie went through. It's, it's, it's going to take a lot of time, right? Mm. So, um, yeah, injuries are really bad and are career-ending. Yeah. It, it's part of the sport, but it's, um, it sucks. You know, yeah. I, I was here when Christian Craig broke his back. <clears throat> I was the manager of this team mm-hmm. here at TLD, and it was heavy. It yeah. was one of the heaviest days yeah. you know, I've had. So, anyway. Um, so, so, Damon, when did you guys finally uh, – what was Yamaha saying to you? Yamaha was trying to hire me because I actually had worked with Keith McCarty at Suzuki. Okay. Keith worked in the warehouse. We, he bugged us. He would clean mud off the bikes and help us. He was friends with one of the Japanese mechanics that was an American-Japanese guy. And um, so we hired him, and he ended up working on Tony DiStefano's bike. And uh, so Keith, at that time, we both in the same box van, roomed together, worked on the bikes together 24 hours a day. You and McCarty? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I knew Keith for years. And uh, so Keith was who flew me back to talk to me and things like that. And, um, and then, of course, you know, we waited for the Bradshaws to say everything. So the interesting part of it was uh, Damon's dad <laughs> came to me and he said, you know, if you come and do this, we know he's going to be in good hands. We don't need to go every week like we have been. So his dad was a fireman in Charlotte. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, at the airport. Um, um, so, uh, you know, that was a great compliment and things like that. So, yeah, that's eventually we got together and, you know, I left Honda, which was actually a pretty big deal. Um, so the week of Unadilla for the national, that I had submitted paperwork. Not everybody knew. Dave didn't know it. Nothing. Before I left for the airport, there's the paperwork. Hmm. And basically, turning in your notice, turning my notice that at the end of the season, which was only a few races more, that I would be leaving. Dave (laughs) calls me at the hotel. He's like, "What are you doing? Are you out of your mind?" I told you there was these problems here. I told you for a long time. You didn't do anything about it. You didn't listen. I understand you can't fix it. What so, were the problems? You, you mentioned political, but what? There's a few of them that are still involved. Um, a lot of it was Roger DeCoster. Okay. Roger, um, Roger was paid a lot of money, and uh, he would do certain things. Hmm. That, and it's happened in a number of places. You know, um, So there was things that just wasn't right. Okay. And the other guys, you know, a lot of the other mechanics were on the same page. It's just they, you know, felt just moved on and did other things. And Cliff stayed for a number of years and things like that. But, yeah, it was just a political nightmare. And um, so I, we... And I know people that have mentioned that Roger is not the easiest person to deal with. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and sometimes he would take uh, credit for other people's stuff that they did a lot of work on. Because he was trying to keep his position there. They were paying him a lot of money mm-hmm. as the advisor or whatever. So, you know, it's just, it happens. And not everyone's going to get along in the no. industry, you know. No. <clears throat> I've said it before, it doesn't mean because you and him didn't get along that you're the bad guy or he's a bad guy. It's no. just you have different ways of doing things. And you see that in the sport a lot. Um, more often than people actually admit. I think it takes some balls to at least say, because sometimes for people they feel like, I can't say anything negative about the man because then I'm the bad guy. And... Well, I go all the way back to Suzuki days when Roger was there. So there's a bunch of bodies that I know that are buried. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you we know. We won't dig those up. No, but. we won't dig those up. But, yeah, you know. Um, so th- those type of things, that was one of them. Um, also, I was considered an outsider because my rider was hurt, being Ricky. And, you know, you get a sense, maybe it's time to move on. And then someone gives you an opportunity. Well, Yamaha's going to make me this offer. I'll do it, and, and which I did. And, uh, you know, luckily it worked out quite well yeah. for me. So how was it starting with Damon? And was there any issues up front? Yeah, it was another one when I had to move in. I moved <laughs> into his place in North Carolina. He had a house on Lake Norman. Uh, I basically took the box van with bikes and things like that. And, then, okay, we're going to have this. This is the process now. Take them out running in the neighborhood, mountain biking, road biking. You know, okay, we're going to go to, he had a killer supercross track that was out on his parents' ranch uh, out in the country, and we did that, and we, you know, ride local. There were some uh, national tracks, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. We ride and, and do those and try and get him into a system. But he had the same thing. He would hang out with, he wouldn't drink, but he would hang out with his buddies all night and then, you know, he'd sleep late in the day and wouldn't get anything done. Okay. Hey, if you want to make this money and do these things. So at the time, <clears throat> the first year, Damon still had a contract. The second year, he signed a new contract, and he was making $465,000 from Yamaha a year without slinging his leg over the bike. Plus all the other deals that were out there, helmets and, yeah. you know, boots and and all those things, right? So the guy, he was making more money than anybody in those days. Hmm. And um, so he was a little different. He had the Southern mentality and, and things like that. Which is what, just a little more laid back? or, or Yeah, they're a little laid back more and, and a little different, right? But he was very feisty. I mean, you're sure you could see it in how he raced and things like that. Yeah, He had that competition. Otherwise, I would have never taken the, the deal on. It was crazy talented, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, crazy I was, talented. Just starting to come to, you know, I was an intermediate at the time, but looking at professional racing, and I really started focusing on it then, and he was incredible. Yeah, when he, was, when he was on, he was so oh. fun to watch oh, yeah. at his time. Oh, yeah. He was phenomenal. Yeah. He really was. And, uh, you know, that, he was great that way, and I thought he was very, you could get him to work where you needed him to. Of course, like I said earlier, saying it and doing it is mm-hmm. a completely different other thing, yeah. right? It's just, uh, <laughs> but he did. He worked hard, and you know his parents also were drove him. Also, were they involved? Like, yes. Uh, there's a couple mentions of his parents, and I don't remember them. I, I wasn't uh, inside that circle. But were they really involved? Yes. And then did they back off eventually when you came on? Like, yeah, they backed off some. His dad was still doing his books and things like that, even though Dave was, you know, everybody saw Dave what he did with Brock and Ricky. 
and then they all wanted to be part of that um, system yeah. because Dave one negotiated. The factories hated to see Dave Stevenson at the negotiating table because he knew what all the big guys were making, right? right? Right. And so they hated it, and they would say it, you know, yeah, we don't like dealing with Stevenson. Hey, it's his agent. Yeah. You know. So Dave's background is in accounting. He was actually the accountant for JT Racing. That's oh, how he got involved okay. with Brock. All right? Okay. And uh, great guy, still friends with him. And now his son's handling the business. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I usually see him at the San Diego Supercross. He has an apartment down there. Okay. But I think he's living in um, above Salt Lake, uh, one of those. Ogden or? Uh... No, no. Uh, one of the big resort areas. Oh. Yeah. Vail? No, it's not Vail. Vail's Colorado. No, Vail's Colorado. Independence. Yeah. Snowbird. <clears throat> Independence. Eagle. Yeah, somewhere in that yeah. general area. But anyways, um, so I, I, you know, I got to work with Damien and, and, and got him to, you know, get into a system and work at it. And, and you know, we got really good results. And uh, luckily. You guys had an awesome, awesome run. Yeah. Until LA 92. <laughs> so let's talk about the race. Uh, <coughs> the race that everybody talks about. Yeah. So what happened was we were went in with, 17 points, somewhere maybe 15. I don't remember exactly. Some of that stuff you want is just race. Yeah. We went in. All we had to do was finish, right, in a good position. Eighth or something, wasn't it? Yeah. It was right easy. There. So what happened was he shows up in Southern California with his mom and dad in tow and his grandparents, who had never flown. Went, okay. Hmm. Things you started seeing things where he was losing focus really bad. He was another plane, mm -hmm. right? So you, you saw at, it leading up to the weekend. Oh no, I, I saw it completely leading up to the weekend, uh. midweek, and I and I mentioned it to management at Yamaha. I go, hey, we need to keep talking to him. He's 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 fallen into this deep hole of winning this championship, and it's working on him. Plus, he's you know. What do you, what, what do you mean by that? You say it's working on like just Talk the pressure, just, like like you could see it. Yeah. It, oh no, no, you, you could, could see. It. Okay, okay. You okay. could see this this pressure building. I wasn't sure if you meant like he was losing focus. And no, 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 no. You see this pressure work, working on him, right? And then you know when people in his group were saying, "Oh yeah, we we, we picked out a restaurant where we're going to do the uh, championship party." Yes. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Before yeah, that. yeah. You've all seen that, right? We've all been along long enough, right? They're like that's like bringing the hats out before the championships yeah. one, right? So it, it's just uh, I saw that going on, and I and I went to management and I said, "Look, we we got to just keep engaging him, right?" So what they did, we still had the box vans at the Coliseum, and they rented a trailer a travel trailer so he could lay down in the back or whatever so he comes to the track and i'm busy doing tech or something like is he here yeah he is i go in there and I'm like oh no he's this isn't good there's nobody home you he's, can just tell oh yeah well there's a thousand yard stare just he does, what he, when you ask him questions it's it just doesn't go uh, right right i go get him out of the trailer i go have you talked to him no we haven't you need to go in there and keep engaging them. This is going to go south fast. They're like, no, nah, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. We're Yamaha. We're going to win this thing. He's got this points thing. I'm telling you, it's going to go south if we don't get him back. So we ride practice. 
he's not great. Okay, we, well, we, you know. So, at that time, Bale was riding for Honda. Bale had already had a, he had some similar things that I did at Honda and decided that he'd had enough of Honda. He had also checked out mentally, I think. Yes, he had. And, but he was still, he was a great talent, right? Amazing, yeah. yeah. Great talent. And so, gate drops. Damon gets a pretty good start. And he just starts dropping like a rock. Right? He drops so far back. Bale backs up to help him. Oh, is that right? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's if you look at the video, yeah, yeah, he yeah. backs up to help him. He gives that one up for a while. <clears throat> yeah. Because he didn't like Stanton. He didn't like Stanton. He didn't, didn't like he, Honda at that point. He didn't like Roger either at that point. What were you saying to him on the pit board? I was trying all different things. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But you basically watched the whole thing go away. You just saw this play out in front of you all week long. All week long. And, of course, they all looked at me like I was crazy. But I go, hey, I've been in too many of these with Bob, with Ricky, with Donnie. I'm just telling you, if you're not gonna, we're gonna lose this thing. Ugh. And it was big for Yamaha because they hadn't won in years. <coughs> yeah, yeah, they hadn't won a championship in years. And he's their golden boy since yep. mini bikes. You yes. know, they've been grooming him to do just this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which, which to Damon's credit, that's a lot more pressure. Yes. Yeah. Which so. eventually, that's what killed his career. Yeah. Yeah, it killed his career. But that night, I mean, what could have been different? If he'd have won that thing, like where his career would have gone, yeah. you know what I mean? It, yeah. it was a total direction changer yeah, for him. Yeah, it was the focal point, right? <sighs> so, um, of course, it, it went sour. He went back and... What did he end up finishing? Well, I don't even I, remember. I, I remember watching the, the, the VHS of it, and I remember they were like, and Bradshaw needs to pass, and it was whoever was in front of him. And I remember like Bradshaw would just blitz the whoops even when they'd get cut out, and he was just... Mm-hmm trail riding behind and I forget who it was and I remember watching him like are you serious like mm-hmm. you should be blowing by these guys and it was I remember it was even hard to watch it yeah knowing yeah. the result you know yeah yeah so so I feel your pain I no, 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 no. <laughs> so there was all this frustration all this work coming to Yamaha doing all these things and he didn't put in enough effort and that's why you know I I didn't go back to the truck right away. Was it effort, or do you think did it? Was it just crumbling under the pressure? It was crumbling under the pressure. Okay, but you know, you make your own, right? I, I, I've been with the best. Yeah, they they dug in deep when they needed to dig mm. in. Yeah, Ricky rode hurt. Bob rode hurt at times. You just got to dig in, right? That's what it's all about. That's why we were here. And, and like I said, they were paying them an awful lot of money. Right. So, you know. Yeah, so the famous line is, it would, to, to make the story straight, that was my toolbox that I owned, mm-hmm. <laughs> and those were my tools, and I came and back. That's your and, alarm, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Br- Bradshaw got fifth in that race. He got fifth? He, he got, got fifth. fifth. Yeah, but it wasn't good enough. No, it was Stanton, Kudrowski, Cooper, Bale, yeah. and Bradshaw. Yeah. So that's where, of course, he wanted to, you know, Bale wanted to help us. He actually came up afterwards and said, I tried to help you. I go, thank you, but it didn't work out. Yeah. And he understood. He'd been around. So uh, the, so you, you go back to the truck, and this is the, go, the what, notorious shot of you f- breaking the pit board over your knee, throwing tools. I no, mean, you I, tra- I had my tools in my tool bag, and I threw them in the top of my toolbox, 
and slammed the toolbox and walked out. That's what it was. Nothing more. So what was said? Uh, what was said after that race and what? Didn't look like you guys said much to each no, other. No, I didn't. I didn't say anything. I just looked at him and he looked at me. And he knew enough that if I say something right now, and there was way too many people around. Oh, I believe. Well, there was yeah. a camera right there, too. Yeah, there was a camera right there, and there was the media, and, you know. So I'd been around the block enough, no, not to. Yeah. I was frustrated, and I threw my tools in there. You know what? Like I said, it was my toolbox. My toolbox. No, I've seen I a lot worse. I mean, yeah. oh, yeah. You worked just as hard as he did. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. was your title. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> the last 20 laps were on his shoulders, not yeah. yours. Yeah, right? you can so, only carry it so far, yeah. right? And, and, you know, I wrote all kinds of things trying to help him. On the, but it, he just wasn't there. He wasn't there. And, and it happens. Yeah. You know, some guys do better with pressure and some don't. Um, and, and, you know. And, yeah. Uh, well, but it, but it here's was, the funny part. Then we went to the restaurant that Yamaha had set up for the championship dinner. So they were just as bad as they, he was. You still went? We went. There was a restaurant somewhere in Orange County near Yamaha and they, at that night, and, you know, they went in there for dinner, and they wanted me to show up, and so I showed up. Because Bradshaw <laughs> didn't. And uh, Yeah, that'd be, I, I got to imagine that'd be pretty hard to walk in. Yeah. I but, would have a tough time. But they were counting on that, right? So, And it was, well, that's a lot to count on that he lost it with a fifth-place finish. For some reason, I thought it was a little further back, but or maybe he was riding in seventh and he had to get one spot. But to think the championship in the bag, to still have to get a top five, well, apparently top five wasn't good enough. So Yeah, he only had, must have had a, a, a... It was like a seven or eight-point lead. Maybe that's why I thought he was in seventh or eighth. Anyway, what was the discussion? But he had a bigger point lead, and I think it started go, going in the wrong direction at the end. Mm-hmm. It did. So what was the discussion afterwards when you guys finally cooled down days after and talked about it? Well, we talked about it, you know. What can you say, I guess, type yeah. of thing? Or? Yeah. What he lost by three points. Yeah. That's how close it was. Yeah. <coughs> so even the third wouldn't have done it. He needed second, right? He needed to. F- if, if he was Jeff out riding. Jeff never got a start. He got a start that day. He never gets a whole shot. Mm-hmm. He got the start, right? He got the start. Mm-hmm. And... You know, good for him. I knew Jeff for years, and I had no animosities against Jeff, but we had battled him, and we had the points. We choked. Yeah. <laughs> we basically choked. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, that's yeah. gnarly. Well, yeah, I, I can't even remember the conversation when we finally had it, but <laughs> I avoided it for a little while. <laughs> so when he was on, though, do you have any, any Damon moments? Like, I, I, there's a picture in my head of him anytime I think of Damon at uh, Tokyo, and he had just bumped up to the 250. Maybe he wasn't even riding it full-time yet, and he won. He beat Ricky. Yeah, and he's a, he, there's a picture of him, like, just laid out over the finish line. I mean, it was just, he was so cool. His style, his gear, his everything. Yeah. And you he, just thought, oh, this guy's going to be. Yeah, he jumped up to the 250 for those races in Japan, and he beat us either, I think it was Osaka or... Tokyo, I don't remember. We used to do two races. Yeah, yeah there was a soccer. I remember the one yeah. that, yeah. So he, he was on fire, and he beat Ricky. And, of course, then, you know, he was a bit arrogant, and he kind of rubbed it into Ricky, and Ricky, that just motivated Ricky. All right. Right. But uh, <sighs> do you have any good uh, memories of, like, a specific race with him, though, where he was just on? Yeah. There I were mean, a few. <laughs> I mean, there was few. lots of yeah. wins, yeah. but anything that stands out for you? No, not really. I mean, he had some really great days. Times like at uh, 
some of the outdoor tracks when he was on. Mm. He was on. Really he was beast. good. Yeah. yeah, he was the beast, uh. as they used to call him. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was great. He also had some big crashes. Yeah, well, of course. I'm trying to remember where it was. I just remember he tried to like wheelie one of these rollers, and it just went, oh, yeah. went bam, down the hill. It might have been Redbud or somewhere. I forget yeah. where it was, but yeah. mm. he rode hard, went down hard as well. Yeah. So then you had, you kind of went to a few different, when he left, or you left him, you got put with Mike Craig. Yes. And I thought, well, that's an odd pairing. Because <laughs> I know you were always work ethic, you know. Uh, I think I read somewhere you said, you know, work hard, then more hard work. You know, yeah. that's kind of your motto. And I'm going, oh, that, that doesn't, I don't know that Mike Craig. It's the darkest that. time in my whole <laughs> motorsports career was my era with Mike Craig. Okay. So Unbelievably talented, which probably yeah. made it more frustrating, huh? So he was talented, and everybody agreed at Yamaha, let's, let's try him, right? We have the spot. Um, I don't remember if we dragged John Dowd in. Because I was building the bike, and then we would, I would take it over to John Dowd's truck for the weekend. Oh, okay. And, and I would make all the decisions on carburation. He had his own mechanic that traveled with him for years. Um, so I, I would like, okay, you know, he would do things like, okay, we need to change this jet, or we need to do this on gearing and things like that. John was a great hard worker. Um, yeah. So then we ended up with Craig, and I <laughs> kind of shook my head because I knew about him from the El Cajon gang, right? But, but, but like from a factory standpoint, what a gamble. You take this yeah. hardworking mechanic that's been able to mold guys and put him with this incredibly talented guy who just needs some direction. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's gold to be struck. Yeah. Yeah. No okay. gold. No gold down there. <laughs> Fool's gold. <laughs> so in comes Bob Hanna. Okay. So Bob was did some stuff for Yamaha at that time. McCarty talks to him, says, "Hey, Craig, he's a pile of all kinds of things going on, right?" <laughs> so I have to take Bob in a box van with a bike to Craig's house in El Cajon. Okay. So I take Bob down there, and we're talking because we're friends, and I take him down there. Two days in, I get the call. Come up and get me. Come down and get me. This is not working. Two days and Bob's out. Bob's out. He called McCarty. He <laughs> said, this guy doesn't want to do anything. So, okay. <laughs> Quite the ride back to uh, Buena Park with Bob. So Bob goes down there, tries to get him to get up. Train. No. Shows up. At, wakes up at 1030. Goes out. Whatever. You know, Bob's like, does these things still to this day by... Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get up at this time. I'm going to go run. We're going to go ride. It's not working. Hmm. So we do testing at the Honda, uh, at the tracks in Corona here for Yamaha. Craig doesn't show up. You don't know what happened to him. We're all standing out there. No, don't know where he is. He'll show up with this guy that would, young kid that almost looked like he wasn't old enough to be driving, driving his vehicle. What comes out is he lost his license, right? Okay, fine. We've seen that before with riders. So he, he doesn't show up. So what happens is at the races, I have to go to the airport and pick him up, right? So I take the rental car. I go and pick, try and pick <laughs> him up. He tells me, or I get it word through Yamaha, that he'll be on this flight at this time. More than once, I did laps for an hour and a half. No sign of Craig. 
right? And I would see guys from San Diego at the curb. Hey, was he on a... No, didn't see him. Ugh. Never saw him in either end, right? No call. Okay. Or, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, right? So, <laughs> so something goes down. So we, he would go to dinner with us or whatever, and he would go... He would look at the, the menu and... Yeah, okay. And then he would go, I, I have what he has. You know, we have all done it, right? It, it, when we're out. So this memo comes from Yamaha about certain things they want done or how we should do things. And he's got the piece of paper in the lounge of the tractor trailer and he's looking at it. And I went, you can't read, can you? And he goes, no, I can't read. What? Yes. I had no idea. <clears throat> Wow. Is he dyslexic or is it? Never went to school to do it. Wow. Everything was about motocross. This is prior to your homeschool people. <sighs> right? So. Huh. Yeah. So, anyways, and then. I do the same thing. Ben gives me notes. I just do this. <laughs> <laughs> I just go, it looks good, buddy. <laughs> it's fine with me. Yeah, go you ahead. You nailed it. Yeah, yeah. But, but. You know, that kind of added up things also, but yeah. All but of a sudden, he you saw like, all the pieces. Oh, it's all starting to make sense yeah. now. Yeah. Parts of the puzzle all fell in, but the worst thing, he wasn't showing up and he wasn't telling anybody. And then, you know, we all finally went, that's enough of this. Yeah. Because, you know, we're investing all this time and money in this, and he's not doing anything. We're giving him this opportunity. Right. But he wouldn't show up. He wouldn't show up, you know, when he was supposed to. My, that's my, crazy. The first time I ever saw Mike Craig ride, I was. Um, I was living in Europe, and they had this uh, Supercross at a Belgium arena. And, you know, oh, it yeah. didn't hold a huge amount of people. And, you know, when I was looking at the, the list, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of good guys. I remember Joel Smets was doing it. I'm like, oh, Joel wow. Smets doing Supercross. Like, this is wow, interesting. that's big. <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of Euro, like, top GP yeah. guys. And I was kind of someone that put my name in the middle. I'm like, I can jump better than Joel Smets. But then I'm like, okay, there's a few Americans. And I'm like, Mike Craig. I'm like, oh, He's a pretty good rider. So practice happens, and they had just happened to have two groups, and I was in the other group. And took Joel Smith forever to jump the triple, and when he did, it didn't look pretty. <laughs> I kid you not. Craig comes on the track. <clears throat> He's like one of these like schizo type guys. Comes in, oh, yeah, bro, bro, cha, cha, and I see him, and his mechanics putting the suspension on. Guys, like, do you want to go and ride outside? No, it's cool. It's cool. And I'm kind of watching this, and then he goes on the track. And first lap of practice, I mean, everyone looks pretty pathetic. And he just blitzes the whoops that I was looking at over and over. And I'm like, I don't know if you can, you can't skim these. You're going to have to jump through these. First lap, he comes out, rah, da, 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 over the triple, soaks it up. And I remember just watching going, the bike control, like oh, very first lap. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no one's going to beat him. Mm -hmm. No one's going to beat him. I'm like, that is incredible. Like within two or three laps, I'm like, Top of the time sheets by like two seconds over anyone. I beat him that night. Yeah. I, by the end of the night, like he, he blitzed the whoops once on the first lap and then he just started like doubling through later on. And it's almost like he went from superstar in the beginning to he just didn't put it together when it counted. And everyone else figured it out as the evening went on. And it was yeah. kind of, it was one of those weird dynamics where I was blown away and then also sort of blown away in the other direction. So the interesting thing that comes to mind when you talk about Craig, luckily everybody, even the guys like Mike Craig, when they work for me, and it's not, I don't take all the credit, but they ended up either winning a Supercross 
or they ended up winning a national, even though they weren't normally of that caliber. And that was probably the high part of their career. And I don't remember what Mike had won when he was with us at Yamaha. But he was an ultracross champion uh, yeah. prior to that. I, I don't know if – did he win? He won one, one supercross okay. um, that we did. And uh, It was his only one, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, the yeah, premier the only class. One. <laughs> yeah, it was the only one he did. Um, things like that. But, yeah, it just became a real big burden for Yamaha overall, and so they cut him loose. And, uh, you know, we went from there. But after that, I was like, whew. <laughs> Maybe I need to do something <laughs> different, huh? Well, the few of the guys that had been around, we had a saying, making young kids millionaires, right? And I, I used that statement more than once, like, you know what? I got in a motorcycle business because I got tired of making young kids millionaires. And it really was. Mm. You, you put all this effort in, and they end up doing very, very well. Craig was an exception to that. So, um, you know, Yamaha said some things to me that, you know, at that time, at the end of that thing, and um, I wasn't happy with it because it wasn't under my control. They didn't do a very good job of it. So, um, lo and behold, in steps Dave Stevenson again, and he goes, hey, what about Kawasaki? I went, I said I would never work for Kawasaki. I made that rule that I would not go to Kawasaki. <laughs> Why was that? Just the way it was run. Okay. Just the way it was run. So well, Kawasaki uh, had a little bit of a, they were almost the opposite of Honda for a while. Like they were like a almost like a one man show, a one rider program. Warty. Honda, you had a an army. Mm -hmm. Correct. They were. That's the way they were. But they mostly based on everything on Warty, right? And then they, of course they had Mitch's program. The the development riders, things like that. Team Green was quite big. So um, during my era at Honda, I got to know Mike Kurdowski. My Kind of Mike leaned on me. He had his mechanic, but he leaned on me for my experience. And, I, you know, I, he won a 125 championship while he was at Honda. Yep. Right. So I've always known Mike, very friendly with him, things like that. Well, he also worked with Dave. And out of the clear blue sky, I get a call from Mike Kurdowski. Hey, I'm getting near the end of my career. I want to, you know, I think we can work together and put something together. I said, well, I know you're a hard worker. And he is. He, he always was. He put in a lot of effort. Yeah, talent. He wasn't the caliber of McGrath and those guys, but he was a hard worker, and I, I liked that about him. Con coming from what I had come through with Bradshaw and, of course, you know, Craig, things like that. So um, he talked to me, and he said, hey, you know, I'll take care of you. I'll make up the difference whatever you don't get from Kawasaki. I said, eh, well, let me talk to him first. So I went in and talked to Roy Turner. And, um, you know, they, they put a deal together. It was pretty good. Um, and then Mike, which he's another one that took care of me very well on the side. Hmm. Always on time. His mother always, I didn't even have to ask. I always, check was always there, and they were nicest people in the world. Funny story. Our new receptionist at Mechanics Wear is Mike's daughter. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, Kayla. She works for us. <laughs> full circle and small full, world, Full right? circle. Yeah. So when I see guys going, she's a very beautiful girl. 
She looks like her mother. And uh, not nothing against Mike. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can see why that'd be uh, a good thing. I haven't seen uh, Mike's wife, but uh, it's probably a good thing it looks like. He actually mom. met his wife when I was working for him. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you you really are the, the matchmaker, aren't I guess you? I was. So I did Making this. young kids millionaires and married. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess. Making young kids millionaires and then <laughs> broke again. Yeah. So Mike, Mike had his house along Route 14. He built a supercross track. He had Kurnowski come out and build this killer supercross track. Wait, where's Route 14? Uh, right. It's uh, going to Lancaster and Palmdale. Oh, yeah, yeah. duh. Yeah, yeah, right, okay, right, the 14. I mean, you yeah, would yeah, see yeah. it right on the shoulder road. He had problems with the city. They didn't like it. They tried different things to keep having track. It was rural, very rural. So, uh, I, you know, I went there, and uh, I would go there once a week. Either the outdoor bike, we'd go do outdoors or a supercross thing. And he had his own bikes. He would keep general maintenance on and i would do the full maintenance on it and you know i'd hang out there most of the day and then come back or whatever to my home and then to kawasaki but mike was great with me and that so i worked out a deal and went there and besides that they had a trailer at that time nobody else had a tractor trailer yeah. system i went hey, yeah i don't have to drive of course yamaha got it the last few years i was there so you know i i work with mike i like mike so uh, that's how I ended up at Kawasaki. And you guys had a good run that year, some yeah. wins outdoors and yeah. stuff like that, right? Yeah, we did. What was what was that year? Ninety mm. three? No, or was it four earlier? or five? Four or five. Okay, four or five. I heard, uh, a, I heard a I funny story. Then, yeah. I heard a funny story about him, and I don't know if it's true, but he had a Ferrari, and that a yeah. landscaper rear-ended him or something like that. I don't remember the landscape story, but he did have a Ferrari. Yeah, I heard yeah. somebody, like a landscaper with no insurance, like rear-ended I remember that story, too. Yeah, yeah. it yeah, might have happened. I, it mm. might have happened. We're in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty much anyone that rear-ended <laughs> yeah. doesn't have insurance. Right, right. <laughs> hey, that's not true. We actually had our, a Lynx motorsport vehicle hit by a guy, and my dad's like, this is not going to go well. Guy Was he a landscaper? Out. Yep. A beat-up truck. Was fully licensed, insured, and everything. My dad said, "What a pleasant surprise!" <laughs> <laughs> Come on, nice. my grass. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I had a run with Mike, and then Mike decided that he, you know, he had some injuries, and he, his career had been very good, and uh, so he he decided to cut back and not ride anymore. And I said, "Hey, I completely understand." That's when I ended up with Damon Huffman. Yeah, and that seemed like another odd fit to me for you. Yeah, it was in the beginning. Sure. Um, that was really the, besides the Craig thing, that was a real eye-opener where the industry was going. You had guys that talked a good story. I want to be just like Bob Hanna and Ricky Johnson and Damon Bradshaw, and I'm going to win championships. You got to put effort in. Yeah. There was no effort, nothing. And uh, But Huffman was very talented. He was at Suzuki, and he won a 125. Two, two titles back-to-back. Yeah. 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 So Kawasaki hired him. And I got hooked with him. He was very excited to work with me, and I felt the same. But he just didn't want to put the effort in. And then I was seeing that whole trend going throughout the industry. Of course, they all talked about beating McGrath, which McGrath was making his run at that time, Yeah, mm-hmm. right? But that was, the, that was an, a trend in the industry, like you said, as a whole. Even Jeremy and Fro, who were the two best guys, they were partying at the river. Mm-hmm. They'd go to the gym and do a couple, you know, they were doing a little bit of work. Yeah. They'd ride the bikes, but they were just both incredibly talented. Yeah. And so... I also think Jeremy trained a little more than he let off, though, at times, because... Yes, he did. 
I remember that this was the era I was watching everything I could get my, my, my eyes on, you know, VHSs at the time, you know, pirated. But, you know, putting it in, just watching, and you would see like an off-season race or a Bercy or something, you'd look at McGrath on the podium. I'm like, he's got these chipmunk cheeks. And then every time they'd show you Anaheim 1, like leading up to it, you'd look at him and go, he lost weight in the wintertime. You're like, in a matter of a couple months, I'm like... Yeah. But I would also hear from certain people. And, and I mean, he did some work. He wasn't doing nothing. Jeremy was seasonal as well, I think. But the, the trend came back when Carmichael hooked up with Johnny O'Mara. Mm-hmm. That's when it switched back to the Hannah Johnson. Yeah, know, I'll, be, I'll beat you on just outworking you. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to I pick your brain because you were part of six Motocross the Nations winning teams. Um, you got to have some great stories from those. I mean, what... what <laughs> What a cool part of history, you know? I was, uh, yes, I was very lucky to be part of those teams. Um, in those days, of course, now you see people that don't want to do it, all right? It wasn't, it's back to that whole European racing thing, and everybody wanted to do it in the early days, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, it was a great thing to do. Uh, a couple years when my riders were hurt, like at Yamaha, uh, I actually went with Jeff Emick to oh, Australia. Right? To Manjima. yes. I was in Manjima working on Jeff's bike. Um, one, because his, his mechanic... Um, well, he was, Butler was had like visa issues, probably. He visa, yes, yeah. he had visa. 93? Yeah, somewhere. Australia? Yeah. So we did that, but I had done all, all the other ones. Oh, I was part of the first team that we took all the young guys that the Europeans wouldn't pay us start money at Honda. Oh, that was... Uh, at uh, the sand track in Belgium. Lomo? Lomo. They, they said our team was a C team and they wouldn't even pay us start money, which was nothing. To, yeah. Right? And Roger was the team manager. It was the Honda. And they're still running with that with Longo there. No start money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Prize no, money, yeah. no nothing. We're just exactly. going to tax you. We're going to charge you to be in the pits. We're going to charge you for racing. Hey, I dealt with Longo as the promoter for Italian races and things like that when I worked with Ricky and Bob and, and Bradshaw. I, you know, he would take us to Monaco to show us, you know, where he lived and keep us in this nice hotel. I went to Monaco quite a bit, uh, mm-hmm. but Longo was the promoter at that time till they locked him up for tax evasion. <laughs> that seems about, about appropriate. <laughs> yeah, the Italians. But, um, yes, I did uh, do that, but I was on the first team, and we had this team of Donnie Hansen, I think Chuck's son. La- was it oh, Laporte? Yeah. Laporte. Um, yeah. Chandler, maybe? No, Chandler wasn't there yet, I don't think. Well, that was when uh, Hanson got hurt, right? He no, no, that was later. Because there was a four-man team at that point. Yes. There's photos of it. I've seen the photos. And I forgot all the guys that were on it. But we were at that time, we were running this deep sand track, and we thought we were out to lunch. But I did know Donnie rode the sand very well. And I also know Laporte grew up in the desert outside Palm Springs, right? So I knew we had to find... And then Chuck in the sands of uh, Oregon, right? Huh. So we actually did extremely well, and they had egg on their face. I love it. And then they had the prize. It was some sausage they gave the guys, and there's a photo somewhere, I have it, where they're standing on the podium with the sausage in their hand in different packages, right? And it's just like... Oh. Come across the world, get a handful of wiener. <laughs> yeah. Like, yoo-hoo! So we the, won. So that, that was an interesting part with that, and we were still running air-cooled engines at that time. At oh, home. In the sand. Which is 250s. also a big risk, just worrying about crossing the line, huh? We had to 
rebuild the engines between motos because they would get hot, right? Mm. So an interesting story that we ran that race and did extremely well. And uh, when you said extremely well, is, is this one of the wins or was this? Yeah, a- I think it was a win if I remember right. They didn't think we were good, and we ended up winning, right? Um, so the funny part is, after that, Dave Arnold and myself and, and somebody we ran across in Belgium that did motors, he says, oh, you need to use this system called Nicoseal. It's done by Mall. We're like, hey, well, it's worth a try. What we're doing is just these motors are getting killed left and right. So we... Box them up. This guy sends them to Mall in Stuttgart, I think it was. Wherever Porsche is. Porsche's in Stuttgart, aren't they? I, I'm not positive, but... All I know is they're in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but, but there's a process right. they were using with road race bikes for years. Okay. We never knew about it. Yeah. But this, it turns out Nicosil's like a diamond. You yeah. literally need a diamond cutter to cut the ports, right? So, we send it... Guy goes, hey, if you come. So Dave Arden and I fly from Belgium, land, drive the Stuttgart, if it was Stuttgart. Guy comes out the back door of mall pistons. You know, they make all the pistons for Porsche and everybody else. And he's got this box with the cylinders and the pistons. He goes, I honed it. I got it right. That's what we do all the time for the road race bikes. Here's these pistons. And the pistons were like a Mako piston for a, two, a 250 Honda. Okay. Piston pin, everything, ring glands, everything matched up so they wouldn't catch in the ports. It's like, oh, wow. And that was the start of the nickel seal being involved with Honda. We ran them for a few years before they ever went into production. Uh-huh. But you could seize those things, and you just throw another piston in it. Or if you had big stuff, you'd just throw some acid and go right out of it. Right? Yeah. But huh. uh, that came from that event because that. And then uh, we did pretty good at the 500, too, if I remember right, that year. The but, trophy donations, yeah. But that basically we were laughed at, that we didn't have the top name guys at that time with us. and uh, But I was also involved with the trophy. When I did the thing with Graham Noyce, we were the base for the U.S. team to come to Frankfurt uh, at HRC's office there that we had. And they were based out of there. And um, I was involved the first time with that on the side because Noyce was on the British team. But yeah. Yeah. And then, like I said, I went to Manjima, and uh, I went to, wow, I went to every one of them for years, Yeah, pretty much, because my riders were... Um, so what, what, any of those stand out for you in particular? Like maybe that one at, in uh, Holland? Oh, the, the one in Holland was interesting, but the one, um, Magoo's run that year that Donnie Hansen got hurt, Incredible. phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> Magoo was on fire, literally. In the racetrack in Germany for the 250, he got stung by a bee, and he was allergic. Yeah. Right before Someone you else knew- was telling us the story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you would never... You, you, at that time, you didn't know about Effie pens, and he comes in, and there was this mud scraper that we had. It was the demutter or something that had the big old points on it. it Factory was, tool at yeah, the time. Yeah. And it had the scraper on it, and he comes flying off the track after he wins the motor, kills everybody, and he just... Starts doing this with his arms, and they're like flipping out, and they're yelling he's on drugs. And <laughs> it's just because Magoo was wild, anyways, right? Yeah. Right? But yeah, that one stands out uh, for sure. The other one is Manjima. Uh, Emmett got hurt in practice, and he manned it out and helped us win 
And that was another one when nobody wanted to go to that event. Yeah, Lyles and... Uh, Lyles was racing in yes. Europe. Yeah. Billy was, maybe who else went with us? Emig, Lyles, and... Yeah, I can't remember the other two guys. Wasn't, anyway. Yeah. I don't remember who the other guy was. But yeah, yeah that was we weren't expected to win that one. No, no. That was cool. No. And so uh, I got to bring this up because that we saw a picture, which we'll show. Um, after one of those events, you got to go to the White House and meet... That was off the 86, wasn't it? It was the Unadilla GP. Oh, it was 87 then. U- Unadilla Trophy the Nations. Nations. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah it was, they had the GP the year before, and then they had the yeah. Nations. Yeah, you had to qualify. You had to have a GP in the old days before you could have a, a Nations event. Okay. So I was working for Ricky, and Bob rode, which was controversial at that time. They, they brought Bob in to ride a 125, 125 Suzuki. Yeah. yeah. Which wasn't the best in those days. Yeah. But it was Bob and it was Unadilla. Because yeah, he Bob, Wardy, and RJ, right? Yep. <clears throat> yep. Amazing it, team, too, by the way. Like, but it rained like hell. Yeah. yeah. It rained. Okay. It was I know so- what you're talking about. I've been to Unadilla a few years to, now, and I'm like, oh, okay. Out of nowhere, too. Yeah. In that valley, yeah. they disappear and it, heaven's open. So Rick was phenomenal. Wardy did a great job. The last guy in the world you would think would have problems is Bob Hanna. He goes down, screw you, and gets stuck on the opening lap. Oh, boy. That's how bad the downhill and the uphill was. We're like, no way. No way would you ever think Bob at Unadilla would ever get stopped. And it took him a while to get out of there. That's how deep the mud was down there. But he still did well, right? Yeah. Maybe that was at their throwaway moto then or something? Yeah, it did. And we ended up throwing his moto away. But, but you still need another good moto from yeah. him. Yeah, and he did. He gave it to him. He, I can't remember. He did well one moto. He, it motivated him. He was angry about the whole thing that he let the team down. Yeah. Right? Oh, I can imagine with his... And we got to call it the wall now in this new politically yeah. correct, sensitive world. It can't be screw you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All the stupid things. Yes, but... Yeah, that... You that can't w- get stuck on the wall. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, but it, it, it was... Uh, or at the bottom of the wall. Yeah. That was a cool one because it was the States, yeah. if you want to have one that stands out. Yeah. All right, so take us to the White House. What was that like? And you met Ronald Reagan. Yes. Best president we've ever had, so, in my opinion. The guy Our that, last best president. The guy that was the AMA manager for racing, for motocross, supercross... His father was politically connected in Palm Springs. Okay. And he started as soon as we won an event. He goes, they take athletes one day a week to the White House. So it took him probably, I think, close to two months to finally say, there was rumors. We heard rumors that they wanted us to go. You know, you guys are going to have to have suits and, you know, pass clearance. So the funny thing about it was Jeff Ward has an Irish passport he didn't have a... Scottish. Oh, Scottish. I'm sorry. He didn't have a... They get very sorry. sensitive yes, over that stuff. Yes, I know stuff. they do. I know I'm they sorry. do. Trust me. I've made that mistake before. <clears throat> they weren't going to let him in because of the background check. Oh, boy. So we all ran giant background checks, like, for a number of weeks before. Okay. And, and then they went, okay, you guys are going to the White House. So we flew in the night before. We had dinner. And... uh they give you this ID thing with this chain on it, right? And they take you, like, to a green room. And the lady comes in and says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go in. Individually, you're going to stop at the door. The, our photographer is going to take all the photos. We'll send you copies. You'll shake the president's hand and then move around the semicircle. Okay? 
So while we're seeing, sitting there, there were some wives and girlfriends with it, those guys at that time. And uh, we're sitting in this room, and these, these two guys come around, and they would engage you in conversation. Well, they were Secret Service guys to see if you were a threat or you were drunk or whatever, right? Uh, okay. It was comical because you'd see them go, move here, 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 right? But Just it, chitty-chatting, like yeah. trying to get you to talk. Okay. Yeah, trying to get you to talk and engage. So like Pingree at our live events. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> he kinda, just, just bounces around. Kind of. He could pass for a Secret Service officer. There you go. So the cool part was, yeah, it was very cool. You were in awe when you they took you through one of the room, dining rooms to get to the Oval Office, right? And you went in there, you waited, and you went in. And when you went in there, you're like, whoa, this is where it all happens. For it's time. heavy. It's heavy It's stuff. very yeah. heavy. Right? And, of course, you're like, you could see my face when I was shaking Reagan's hand. It was like, whoa, right? Yeah. I was going to say, it had to be pretty nerve-wracking, surreal. Like, it was surreal. How did you feel? Surreal. It was very surreal. I mean, I know I'd be, probably couldn't get a word out for once in my life, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's got to yeah. be an amazing experience. The funny part about it is, and you'll see that in a group photo, is these two guys from AMA we've never seen in our whole lives was tagged onto this trip that goes to the Oval Office. They were from the amateur side of the program. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you see them, they're on the far left side of the photo, right? And we're like, who are these Who the hell guys? are these guys? Yeah. That we never yeah. see them at the racetrack. Yeah. And one of them was some uppity up there at AMA or whatever. Yes, it was a high point in my life um, to go to the White House. And it's amazing when we get new people at the office or somebody I know, and they, they go this and that. And I go, well, I got this photo. And they just like, whoa, right? One of the other photos. Yeah, I'm going to steal that photo and take it home with me. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> We're all superposing uh, we, uh, we, we saw up. some of those photos earlier. They're, they're uh, incredible. The other, that one I hold in high regard of the White House and Reagan is the one that would Ricky and I and Dave Arnold with Mr. Honda himself. Oh, yeah. Yes. He never went to events. He came because he was a fan of Ricky's at Honda. And he showed up with his son who is um, Hero. Honda, mm-hmm. that owned Mugan. I don't know if he still owns Mugan or not, but Hero used to come to the States, and he would come in all the time at Honda, and mm-hmm. he, he was excellent guy, really cool guy. Um, I remember one time we went for a Supercross stuff, and we went to visit him, and at that time, he was doing all the engines for Honda's run at Formula One. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a couple yeah. of machinists flipped out that they saw us, but of course, they saw Hero was with us, and they are like, Stop, stop. You can't be in this area, right? Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, uh, those two are really big highlights in my motorsports career. That's awesome. Yeah. What, um, did you say anything to President Reagan? No, not really. He did. You could tell that someone briefed him. He said something about the race, and you guys done, you know, won the race, and this is a great honor, and things like that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how much they do in the Oval anymore like that, but I think they do most of it in the Rose Garden anymore, where there's bigger groups of yeah. teams you see photos. It's usually more outdoor. Yeah. I, I just saw something where Roger Pinsky was there. For, I was going to say, yeah. NASCAR, IndyCar, they yeah. always end yeah. up having their yeah. things outside. Yeah. You know, um, I get pissed off when people turn that down. You see these uh, politically charged athletes. Well, I'm not going if I get invited. It's like, well, you're an asshole. I, I, I could have the worst president in there that I don't, I don't care for their policies. Still an honor. You still respect that position. Respect that the office. That's it. Respect yeah. the office of the that's top it. office 100%. of our country. Yeah. So I, that's an incredible honor, man. That's yeah. a really cool picture. Yeah. Um, so tell us about how much impact 
Jim Hale had on your life. He, he passed away in 2018, was obviously very big into this sport, brought AXO here, was involved in all kinds of things, and you guys started Mechanics Square together, as you mentioned. Um, how close were you two? Um, I don't know. Pretty, not a, a day by day, but we were pretty close. Um, you know, Jim was a fan of mine, and uh, I had worked with a number of his riders. That's why I went to him with the glove idea to begin with for mechanics wear. So, yeah, I mean, but Jim was this persona. It's kind of like, um, you know, different people you know that just have this persona about them. And when he would come into the building, people would get very excited. Even though they might not have even been introduced to him yet, you know, a lot of times I would go, hey, Jim, you need to see these people. They're new. Right, or he would come to the trade shows uh, for the big automobile trade show, and every year in, in Vegas, SEMA, he would come. Usually, would come one day in the afternoon or something, and I go, like, we would line up all the new people and like, hey Jim, you need to yeah. introduce yourself to these people, right? Yeah. So he had this great persona, um, you know, um, that he had, and it was just Jim, and he had some. We all, I, we just did a book for the company from the history of the start, and of course I was involved with it, with Barry and and some of the other people from the very beginning, and so we relived a lot of this, you know, and some of it's like, hey, was this timeline like this when we first went to Daytona, and when we did this, and things like that, so we just went through that in the last four months, Okay. and, uh, you know, there's a lot of sayings we'd bring up, right, and Jim would like, you know, you'd, you'd work on this project, and he'd go, eh, it didn't work out, Jim, and he'd go, anybody get killed, and we'd go, no. Just don't worry about it. Yeah. Right? It's a good attitude. Yeah, it was a good attitude. Kind of, kind of my attitude sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No one died? Cool. Sweet. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he was he was that way. And I think that's the, the big thing about the, the legacy he had uh, with the company. Um, he was always great with me. Um, you know, we, uh, we did a lot of talking, what he used to call dad to dad, meaning my daughter and his kids, right? You know, we would talk about things that we kept to ourselves, but uh, yeah. I, I just went through, some, like I said, for this book, for some things, and I went through some his email folder that I'd put away, and uh, it was kind of funny to see some of these conversations we used to have back and forth. But uh, yeah, he'll be missed for sure. Yeah, yeah, he was an incredible man, and, and it had a big impact on this sport as well, as yeah. I mentioned. Um, so. Quickly, I don't want to get too much into this, but we've been here a while already. But you went to, when you got out of motocross, you went to open wheel racing with yes, Dan so, Gurney. Yes. So uh, when I left uh, the Damon Halfman thing in Kawasaki and got tired of making young kids millionaires. Um, you went I to had, a millionaire sport. <laughs> I had friends, like I said, in the start of the gloves that always were after me. You need to come in auto racing. You need to come to auto racing. I'm telling you, uh, I, I, I'm really happy here. I've been doing this for years. So I went, okay, I'm done here. So I went and interviewed. Okay. A bunch of interviews got set up. I went to North Carolina. I sat down with a few teams. Uh, part of it, some of the guys at Oakley had contacts. They kind of put my name out there. A um, um, couple of guys in the suspension end of sides, uh, a guy named Jim Anderson. Uh, I think he does white power now. Uh, he was our show guy during. Sorry, our... it's WP. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. We're 2019 here. I know. I know you from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but it's 2019. Okay. <laughs> WP. <Primes>. Yes. 
W. I remember the original guy that started it. He came from Coney. When he I was, started there, I thought WP stood for worst performing, but yeah. uh, apparently it's something else. Yeah. So you know, we did, we did all that, and, and but um, they they talked me in and they opened some doors for me. Between Jim was working for uh, Orleans at that time. Okay. And another guy that I was friends with from the motorcycle era. And so they opened some doors. They, you know, my name came up, and they go, they contacted them, and they said, no, no, you need to talk to them. So I went in and interviewed on the NASCAR side. While I was in Charlotte, I got a call from Dan Gurney, not himself, but the team manager. And he said, hey, what are you doing? I'm down here. He goes, don't sign any contracts. Come and see us first of all. I said, okay, I'll do that. First of all, you guys are local, and I don't have to move. And so I did that and went there. It was great. It was quite an education. For sure. Well, I was going to say, there, you could be a very accomplished mechanic in motorcycle, um, in the motorcycle world, snowmobiles, all those kind of small engine stuff. Going to cars and, and focusing Open on suspension, that's a different animal, right? Yes. Was the learning curve pretty steep? Yes. But you got to remember, <clears throat> motorcycles are two planes, right? Rocks back and forth, yeah. right? But your bumps and your all that, it's all the same, right? I mean, for years, we built our own shocks until they started getting, you know, more people like Bones and, and other people at KYB and Showa and things like that. We used to weld and do like we talked about earlier, right? So you had that background. And you had to, as the mechanic, you had to look at it. Sometimes the writer wouldn't give you the right thing. You'd go and look in the whoops and you'd go... Yeah, I think it needs this. Come here. Yeah, you what know, he's saying is different. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what you're saying is different. Let's try this, right? That's what was testing was about. So when I went to Dan's, uh, when I went there, I was glad I went to IndyCar before, or CART at that time, before I went to NASCAR. Because I think if I went to NASCAR right away, I would have been in fish out of water. Hmm. But luckily at that time, NASCAR, they were just looking at shock absorbers. They used to just get Bilsteins off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Throw them on. And what they discovered once they started running shock dynos, those Bilsteins, even though it said they were all, say, A-type, they were all over the place. No consistency. No consistency at all. So luckily when I came, that's what they were looking for, somebody that had a background in it. So I, when I went to work for Dan, luckily there was a lot of people that worked for Dan, the race engineer, the technical director, things like that, they had backgrounds in Formula One, and luckily they were very open with me. Mm-hmm. I would, because here I was, came from dirt. Mm-hmm. How does this different from that, right? And they would take the time and talk about this. Oh, we can band-aid this with arrow, things like that. And stay, if it's not doing this, we can add more downforce to yeah. it with the wing or, or the wicker bill, things like that. So that was a great thing. And then also, Dan built his own cars, which was very interesting to me. He had his own aero tunnel. He also had what they call a water tunnel, which they build boats. Didn't know about a water tunnel until I went to work for Dan. Wow. He had a PhD, and what they do is they drag it upside down and look at the water bubbles with a high-speed camera. That's huh. how they build ships. Didn't so know how it. they can carve through the ocean or the yeah. waters and all yeah. that. Resistance, same wow. thing like air, right? So but more drag, so probably more emphasized. and Yeah, huh. yeah, you could study. So you use the aero tunnel and the water tunnel. And, and do that. So luckily I did that, and, and what they were running, they were running old lean shocks. Well, I had worked with Ken Olean since 1978 during the time I worked for Graham Noyce. That's when Kent came on the board. Well, Kent was involved in motorsports. He had also been bought up by Yamaha at that time also. And um, 
So I got there, and uh, that was real interesting because at that time there was unlimited testing, and we had a Goodyear deal, and we did a lot of testing for Goodyear, mm-hmm. and we were trying to develop a car also. So I was on every race, every test. <laughs> <laughs> I used to carry these big bags, roller bags with shocks on it because you needed four shocks, right, mm-hmm. for everything you did there <clears throat> and, and all the different options. So, um, you know, I... I I got the ground rules, learned what was going on right away. Um, they threw me into testing right away for the winter because they do a lot of that, especially in Florida. And um, I started seeing things. Hey, you know, I, I think we can do this because of what we used to do with motorcycles. So in reality, when you're going through these huge whips, whoops are pretty violent when you look at it, yep. right? Cars, like, only moving this much, right? Hmm, okay. So there were some ideas and things like that. So... I started, I took the pistons out of it and I go, nah, these pistons aren't working. And I started grinding on them with a grinder. There's a photo of me sitting underneath the trailer with a die grinder. I think the guys at that time at, at, at Mechanics where came to visit me at like Long Beach and they go, where's Brian? They go, he's under there <laughs> grinding away on these pistons. Well, the other thing about Dan, he had all these machine shops and the carbon fiber shops and everything. And they, they so, go, yeah. oh, hey, I can build. resources. Yeah, I go. You want that exactly? We can digitize it. Yeah, start there. Mm. And so I made my own aluminum pistons, and you know the other ones were metal and things like that, and uh, did that. And you know I got. And the other thing that's funny thing about it, I I happened to get together with the drivers. You know, it's another one of those things from being involved with riders, and uh, had some really good relationships with the guys that we had hired to drive the cars. We were running Toyota Motors at that time, and so was a couple other. They, Robbie Gordon had a team here. There was a car team, and uh, Cal Wells had two cars and things like that. But literally, the Toyota Motors would blow up left and right. Oh, really? Literally. We went to a test at Laguna Seca <laughs> one time. The guys are warming up the car on the stands, as they call it, up. The wheels yeah, are yeah. off. Warming it up. All of a sudden, you bam. Oh, no. That's not a good noise. Right. So after a while, I'd go, hey, if I don't help you guys, I'm not going to find anything out. So I would just get under the car, pull the, get in there and start pulling the under tray and doing all these jumping in, right? Yeah. Because they knew I could do that, right? So I'd help all the mechanics doing that. And they'd slam another motor in it, put the transmission in it, start warming it up. Bam. Oh, my God. Uh. We never <laughs> left the pits that whole day. Are you serious? No. Uh. That's how bad we I mean, during the races. Well, that went on for two years. Dan ran out of money. He, he had Toyota money. Toyota decided they were going to give all the money to Chip Ganassi, and they had perfected the motors. Hmm. They gave Dan all the money, cut out Cal Wells, cut out Robbie, cut out us. And uh, so I started getting more calls from NASCAR. At that you guys point. did win the Indy 500, though, by the way. No, no, no. That, no, no. Oh, I thought you guys won I won. Way. No, I won it in NASCAR with Bobby Labonte okay. with Joe Gibbs. Okay. So I've been to Indy through that era. Brickyard. Um, yeah. Well, it, 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 when it was it called the Brickyard then? No, no. It? The NASCAR guys call it the Brickyard, and then it yeah. got switched to that, right? Because they wanted to separate it from IndyCar versus... Yeah. So you got to remember, for the Indianapolis 500, for open-wheel cars, they get 400 and some thousand people yeah, going to sold that out. place. Yeah, it's sold out. It's phenomenal. Wow. And uh, Biggest live attendance out of any sporting event in the world. Yeah. So, um, you know, Dan ran out of money, 
the great thing about Dan was he was a legend for sure. He, you know, he drove Formula One and mm. everything, and they had a great run in uh, GTP cars with Toyota and things like that. But he was a motorcycle guy. He actually built his own motorcycle. It was his passion. Mm. I had met him years before when he was working on it. Somebody dragged me, hey, give your opinion of this for Dan. So he's extremely tall, so he made this thing called a gator where he basically sits in the bike. You a know, street bike? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's more like a sport street bike, single cylinder, and uh, he invests a lot of time and money in that. Huh. It's still His sons are still running the company. Dan passed away just in the last, I think, year and a half. And uh, But there were so many interesting people that were around. Uh, Dan had some guys that worked with Carol Shelby on the Shelby program for the 24-hour Le Mans that worked there. Oh, wow. And they were phenomenal, like fabricators. Unbelievable. Huh. Um, they were, uh, yeah, and they had all this history of working with Kel Shelby, and it was like, I was a kid in the candy store, right? Yeah. Wow, I heard about these things, right? But everybody wanted to talk about motorcycles, right? So, Dan ran out of money, I went back down to North Carolina to uh, interview. First place I go is Joe Gibbs Racing, because they had heard that I was available, and I had this background. The other thing about Dan is he had what they call a road simulation rig which was, at that time, Ferrari had one. It has seven posts on it. You basically have the four wheels and three arrow pull-down rigs. So you can simulate a lap around the racetrack. Wow. So you could change springs, bars, shocks. It's all this data. Well, Dan had his own, and Toyota paid for it. And I had all this experience for working on a seven-post. As soon as I said, they go, we heard you know about a seven-post rig. And I go, yeah. Fired. How much yeah. you want? You know. Oh dude. yeah, it was one of those type of deals. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I'd heard a lot about Joe Gibbs and those things. I liked the guy that was the crew chief and things like that. Uh, and uh, you know, we talked. And the other thing was, you know, a lot about Orleans. I go, yeah. Same thing as I just said about Ken Orleans and things like that. So I went to work there and uh, had a great run. Uh, work with Bobby Labonte and Tony Stewart. Uh, we won the championship the first year I was there in 2000 with Bobby. Was that the Interstate Batteries? Yes. Yep. It was Interstate, and the guy that owns Interstate, Norm Miller, he would come around, and it was Norm's money, and he would he treated everybody just like they were one of his family. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I still see Norm at the racetrack and Joe and things like that. I see Coy all the time. We joke each other. I either see him at the NASCAR races or motorcycle. I, do you really belong? Are you, what are you doing here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I had a good relationship. And luckily, I used to fly back every after the races on Joe's plane. So Joe would sit here, and I would sit here. So, you know, Joe knew about me from the motorcycle business, and sometimes he'd catch me looking out the window, and he goes, you wish you were driving a box van? I go, uh-uh. <laughs> no, I'm fine right here on this airplane. We're not dealing with traffic yeah. or anything. <laughs> right. So they were always bugging me about starting a motorcross team, and I went, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> and then you know how to make a million bucks in motorcross? Start with two. Yeah. No, they you're actually... left with one. They say, in car racing, they say 10 million. Yeah. yeah. No jokes. Yeah, no. dirt bikes are cheap compared to what he's got. Yeah. Going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so uh, I had a great run there, and uh, I did all that. And, uh, you know, it got to be the point where my the gloves thing was getting quite big. And so Jim called me and he said, you know, we're getting so big. I really, 
through all this, I was always the, I signed off on designs. They would send me things. When I was involved in CART with Dan, I developed uh, fire retardant gloves because the fueler guys needed fire mm -hmm. retardant gloves. We didn't have one. And uh, we had other teams that were asking us. So all that stuff would come to me because I was paid as a consultant in all those years. And then, uh, you know, around 2005, I came in full time. Mm -hmm. My wife and daughter were happy. So um, <laughs> I bet. But because uh, I was living in the Carolinas. Uh, yeah. So, and they were living here. My wife was a school teacher in Long Beach for 30 years. Oh, she didn't go with you? No. She had, she grew up in Long Beach and her friends were there and I've got this de good deal if I retire and my daughter wasn't excited either. So they'd come and visit. Of course, they would always come at the worst time of the year, like the time of the year when the humidity was, <clears throat> right. you could cut it with a chainsaw. Bugs carry off. Yeah. yeah. So whenever I had time, I would run home, right? Or there'd be events over here or Texas or whatever, and I would fly in early. They yeah. allow, you know, Joe would allow me to do that. But uh, I still have a lot of friends there um, at Joe's, and uh, but yeah, you know, how does that experience rank with some of your motocross stuff? <laughs> so the day we won the Brickyard, mm -hmm. okay, I had won four or five times at Daytona with. Bob and Ricky and things like that. Yeah, okay. same place, and different I, event though. Right, different <laughs> yeah. event. And I, and I looked at one of the guys and I go, you know, if I get run over on the way out of the track today, I'm good because I've won Daytona a number of times and now I want it Indy. I've done it every which way possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So That's it cool. was a, a great highlight. I mean, it, it's great. I'm still friends with Bobby Labonte. Uh, you know, Bob will call. Uh, you know, Bobby will call me at different times and things. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it was a great, all of them had their special parts of my life. Uh, the car thing was really great. Um, the other thing is the car people are very professional, you know, unlike, I don't Their bikes to, are a little <laughs> loose. Yeah. Yeah. They're very professional. Not all of us can read. I mean, you know. Yes. <laughs> things like that. But, you know, the, 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 the thing there is like, you know, you don't walk around with your shirt untucked. Right. Yeah. And it's quite clear in the team meetings. You wear this shirt in the shop, and you wear these shirts at the racetrack, and do not, and every do not embarrass the sponsor. Yeah. Do not embarrass the sponsor in any form. That is, as the nickname they call it, the cash cow, right? Yeah. And um, you know, you it's structured, but it didn't bother me at all. I was used to structure and, and things like that, but. Uh, yeah, you have a lot of people. You know, you go from one guy driving a box van, like we talked about, to having 40 guys. And I'm like, hey, I only have to do this. I don't have to do all these other yeah, it's things. It's crazy how specialized they are. Like, one guy just carries the fuel can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. there's another guy that pours it. Right. Uh, but yeah, another but, guy that takes the cap off or whatever. Yeah. NIC, not on contract, bro. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> but, I mean, you have all those people where you were doing all of it, driving right. and doing all that, right? It's a different situation yeah. completely but you know i enjoyed that a lot through that um i still do we we deal with those people every day of the week sure um and you got to be buddies with jimmy johnson right you guys are friends was that through ricky yes because they were buds growing up right they were yeah. both from el cajon yeah actually i think the story i found not long ago that ricky's jimmy's dad sponsored ricky early on in some form Okay. I've, I forgot what it is, but Ricky and Jimmy are still tight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's had Ricky and his wife 
to the championship dinners at Vegas and things like that and uh, different times of, the, of that. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, Jimmy was a little kid that used to, at Barona Oaks used to sit on my bumper uh, of the box fan yeah. and things like that. Um, Jimmy is a real guy. He is still down to earth, all his championships. Um, I can luckily say I've been walking through the garage area, and he'll like, hey, Brian, come here. And he'll want to talk about motocross or whatever. And he, Sometimes he shows up if they're nearby at an event yeah, like Dallas. he'll fly his own plane in. Yeah, he flies, you know, has his guys fly him in. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are into motocross stuff, um, things like that. But Jimmy has been, you know, and, and, like I said, you can I can see him at any time. Or like somebody will ask me, "Hey, can you get Jimmy's signature?" I'm like, you know, but he'll he'll like do it, you know, <laughs> things like yeah. that. But uh, yeah, and he's going through a tough time right now. He's won the seven championships, mm-hmm. and you know, the big hula boo about doing eight, and nobody's done eight. But you know, they had a new car. Chevy did a new car last year, and. They, all the Hendrick guys are kind of working their way. They're finally just starting running back up front again, and you know how it is. That's a game of... Well, NASCAR also changed their rules because of Jimmy Johnson. Yes, they did. Yeah, that's what we think, yes, they yeah. Did. No, no, no sure. they did. For yeah. sure. Yeah, they did. They didn't want him winning another eight, like, just running away with it again. Yeah, they want to protect the uh, Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt. Yep, yeah. That's exactly right. But oh, is that right? You bet. Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy with some of the core fans, they... He's just not super popular because I think the main reason he's a California, California kid boy. that came from Moto and he's not a good old boy from the South that drove dirt, late dirt models growing up. Hey, the whole the whole chase and everything was because of Jimmy Johnson. No, that's known. That's yep. known. It's pretty much that's for a fact. It, yeah. yeah, and Jimmy has said it also, right? So, but, but it hasn't helped NASCAR. Look at their ratings. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. You got a, a superstar, and now you basically are. But it was a superstar that I think some people didn't want him actually to be a superstar. Is but how he, I think. But he also brought a lot of a lot of outside fans to the sport. He did. Yeah. He did. Yeah. He did because he's very personable. Yeah. And, and that, and he didn't come from the cut. The, the other side of the story. He didn't come from the southern. Yeah. You know mm. things like that, and uh, he doesn't speak with a draw. Yeah, <laughs> things like that, but you know, it, but you also get to a point in your career, as we've seen with motocross, with Jeremy and Ricky and all those guys. And, and I, I feel bad for Jimmy because I know him that he's gone through this, and everybody's pointing fingers. He's washed up and things like that. He didn't forget how to drive a car. No, you know, a lot of guys. And it's not that he's not trying. No, he, he is trying. Those Toyotas are really, really good right now. Yes, they are. They're really good. Yeah, they're really good. They're not, you know, they're not you blowing remember, up like they used to. Do you remember no. the name Mike Hooker? <laughs> yeah. Remember Hook? He used yeah, to yeah, build sure do. motors for Yeah, he was at TRD. When he's, I was yeah, just he's building their NASCAR engines. Yeah. yeah, I was at, when I worked in, uh, for Dan, he just showed up working there one oh, day. Okay. And he was working on our car, meaning the engine side of things. He's a, he's a wizard. Yes, he is. So I, I would credit a lot of their uh, engine progress to his work in the last couple decades. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a engine guy at Pro Circuit when I rode for Mitch. Yeah. And he would cut all the cone pipes himself, and he'd, he'd spend an entire day building a cone pipe. Yeah. And we got to test it, and we're all excited. It looks so beautiful, and it would, it would not work. Yeah. You're like, oh. That's the problem with pipes. Sorry, Hook. It's not better. Uh, looks sweet, though. Yeah, it looks yeah. really good. I'm going to take it home. Yeah. Um, do you, you give Jimmy a nickname? 
No, I'm not going to do that one. <laughs> that, caused, that caused a problem with Jimmy. Okay. <laughs> he had a nickname, but we, we're not going to go to that one because Jimmy does watch these things. I know that. All right. All I right. know that. And, and he, um, somebody let that slip to somebody. And uh, <laughs> Jimmy Bob right. I feel like I'm they, on the outside of this joke. I need to find it out. Well, I'll off tell camera, you off, off camera. camera. Off camera. Okay. I, uh, so Jimmy had a nickname I gave him. And he used to know it. And then what happened was a couple of drunk people started shouting it at the racetrack. And he knew only one person knew that nickname. Uh. So, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> it, it just happens. So uh, I'm yeah. not going to do that with Jimmy. <laughs> He's too. <laughs> All right. I can't well, wait to hear we'll, this one. We'll leave that alone. Jimmy, yeah. we're not going to go there. Um, what about your legacy? People look back and hear your name. They see this. Well, how, how do you want to be remembered? I don't know. I, I really don't have it. I've never. St- he stumps everyone with this question. I, I, I ask I, it. I mean. I don't. As I'm sure Al would tell you, I always joke, Al's my PR agent. Because <laughs> when we have customers at the NASCAR track, you know, he always has to like, he won't tell you this, but he did this, right? I, I've never been that way. I just, it's a job. And I do it. And whatever it was, right? It's a lot about hard work and digging in and doing it. Well, that's it. it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I'm not even talking about uh, statistics, accomplishments. Yeah. It's like personal traits, you know. I, I want to be known as a hard worker, a nice guy, a whatever. Champion yeah. maker. Eh, I, I don't need that, you know. Really, I, I, a kid, million-dollar kid maker. <laughs> <laughs> that People always laugh about that, right? And when I tell them that, they, they always uh, want to laugh about... Uh, I, I tell you what, um, Jim Hale used to say this about me. He used to say, he always always see me and he goes, "This whole mess is your fault, <laughs> right?" And I use that a lot with people that I introduced to. We bring customers to the racetrack, and I go, "Yeah." The owner used to say, "It's my fault." We're in the, and they always laugh because yeah. I'll go with that as my legacy. Yeah, I love cool. it. That's yeah. perfect, and it ties in Jim, so that's yeah. great. That's awesome. Um, well, uh, you, you're doing awesome work at Mechanics where you guys, you and I chatted at Anaheim. You actually gave us some gloves that we're uh, pushing in our fire department right now to use as auto extrication gloves. And it's like you guys have something for everything. And it's, it's cool to see how specified you guys have gotten. You're working with uh, oil and gas industry now and um, military. You know, you're, you guys make gloves for everything. Well, it, it used to be a saying, everybody that has a hands needs our product, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of a weird thing, but yeah, I mean, it's, we, true, it's funny. You go into a door. I mean, it started with the original glove and with my needing it for racing. And I think we have a hundred and some gloves in the current line catalog, something Jeez. like that. And then there's other gloves that aren't in the catalog we yeah. still make, right? Or in the warehouse. So, but you know, it's funny. I, I, you always go with this. You, you, you go into a room and you, Okay, I start with oil and gas guys, for instance. And you go in this room, and you go there, and all of a sudden you're in this room with oil and gas, and then there's all these other doors, right? And then you open these other doors, and it opens into another room, yeah. right? It's like so, the Winchester house. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Winchester. I just saw the thing on that the other night on the weekend. But, yeah, you, you go in and you open all these doors for different things, right? And uh, we've had, we have a crew of people that have been around, like Kenny Safford and, and uh, you know, the guys that are here that have been with us for a while. And uh, we, 
you know, we've always been in Jim's eyes of making quality products because people always want to come to us and want to make cheap products, mm-hmm. right? Right. But, you know, Jim always said, hey, Porsche, Ferrari, BMW, they've done quite well about doing quality and not building Pintos and, and things like mm-hmm. that. So it's, it's always that legacy that we have to bring up, especially with new people to come to work for us, that, hey, we're going to do quality. We'll do these other things, but we're not going to just do that to, mm-hmm. to make that we made a meet. Not going to hit product. a price point. Yeah. Yeah, and which is very difficult these days um, with the uh, current state of things, uh, you know, when you're dealing with Walmart and Lowe's and all these big box stores, as we call them. Yeah. We do. Yeah, but yeah, you get a lot of Chinese-made stuff that'll undercut you, but you get what you pay for, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, listen, before we let you go, we're going to actually, this is kind of new for our show, but we're going to integrate you into one of our segments, the four-wheel parts get-at-me Q&A. I imagine okay. you can probably buy mechanics wear gloves at four-wheel parts, my guess. I don't know that at all. I'm totally guessing. But we've got some questions. And I'm pretty sure. They, yeah. He's looking at, are we, are we selling those in for him? <laughs> yeah. We selling them in four-wheel anymore? We don't no. know. It's hard to say. Yeah. We'll, we'll um, go with it. Uh, but we got questions that fans wrote in, and okay. typically it's for us, but all the questions that came in were for you. Oh, so gee. we thought, well, why the hell not? Let's just send them right to, to Brian and have him answer them. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, this is the Four Wheel Parts Get At Me Q&A. Four Wheel Parts is your one-stop shop for all things off-road. Uh, method race wheels, you can buy tires, shocks, bumpers, you name it, for your truck, UTV, you got it, whatever. Yeah. Let's hear what we got. All right, well, James wants to know, what's the best two-stroke motor you ever worked on? Hmm. I was really lucky to work on some really great two-wheel, I mean, two-cycle engines and bikes. I think, oh, man, the 82 RC250 works bike was probably overall between the motor and the chassis and the suspension. Also, the the timing. Yeah. It was like... like Peaked. Yes. You peaked at your peak. Yeah. 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 Did, yeah. Let me ask you about it. Because you mentioned that uh, I know the low boy tank had a fuel pump to bring the pump mm-hmm. back up. But did that actually affect performance? I thought it was just to bring the fuel up. No, it was a vacuum. So it's just like they used to have on uh, ATVs or three-wheelers. Uh-huh. They had a pumper. It's just a magnesium pump. But it would move it to a sump, right? It would move it up yeah. to a sump. Yeah. So the top of the tank actually was an air. It was The air went through at the triple clamps. So you didn't, the air cleaner hardly ever got dirty. It followed the backbone of the seat, underneath the seat, and then dumped into the air box. Right. Huh. So it was hollow, no weight high, that changed directions. But, and then it, that basically it had a sump that would hold the fuel f- for a while, and it would pump it up, and then it would drain down slowly, things like that. Huh. But it, it, they used to drag it around at the Honda, it, like, the A1 and that, they would have it out. It was it's well, quite the thing to Gary see. Gary Martini brought it. He It was David's race bike from mm-hmm. that year, and he actually brought it to that show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was work of art. And he would say, uh, he was telling us that day, he goes, man, back in those days, which you can probably attest to this, the mechanics, we'd go down to like the hardware stores and just see who could spend the most money for just different parts and whatever we could do to make it better and, and more more cool, you know. In those days, the titanium would come and there would be a huge pile on the floor. And it was for everybody, axles, whatever. And these days, that would be unbelievable how much money that would cost. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> money. Uh, Stuart wants to know, what are the top three races your riders ever raced in? Well, Daytona, for sure. The Supercross there at Daytona. Because at that time, they paid the biggest purses 
way before anybody else paid big purses. Oh. Um, Daytona was Daytona, right? DIS right. would put money in, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so, hey, all the Supercrosses to win, it was $5,000, but Daytona was always ten yes. at that time. Yes, it was. Oh. And Bill France did that, Jr. He, he made that that way. Um, his brother is... <laughs> he would probably go, they're only getting five grand? Yeah. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Throw yeah. that on it. Gratuity yeah. right there. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think... Um, that's one for sure. Um, you know, a couple of the trophy donation races, uh, the one we did in Italy in Majora was pretty exciting. Yeah, uh, we did there. One. You're working for RJ at that one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, the crowd, one, two, one, two, everybody. Yeah, that yeah was the, incredible. the crowd basically swarmed the vehicles. It was like you were in one of those big soccer matches. That's it was cool. like they were shaking the truck. They were on top of the truck. Oh, yeah. We were standing back, but it was wow. It, it, that was big. Uh, third one, oh, I don't know. It's it's Maybe. difficult. Probably ninety-two LA. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, too soon. Oh, that too soon. That doesn't even air yet. It's too soon. That's okay. That's long gone, right? You let that go. Uh, well, how but, about uh, an LA Coliseum event? <laughs> um, you know, I was never really excited about the LA Coliseum. It was always hard and dry, and it, it was a uh, you know, I was at the very first one. I actually helped work on Roger DeCoster's bike. Uh, at the there's ver- a photo. Super Bowl I have a photo. Yeah, I have a photo of that. Another Japanese guy and I working on his bike. He came over and the, the who won that? Like Pierre's Cars Maker, or somebody won it or something. Yeah, Pierre, and then yeah. there was a, a guy riding a CZ Falta. Yaroslav Falta. Yeah. yeah, he used to bring all those guys in to do the Supercross. Um, I was never a big fan of it uh, because it, it just wasn't really a track in one way or another. Um, wow. The, the third one, I, it's hard. There's so many. Your, you last, your last one. Yeah, <laughs> okay. We'll go with that. <laughs> Actually, you know, the big thing was when I won the NASCAR championship with Bobby. That, yeah. was, that was big. Um, we went to New York City for the banquet and everything a few weeks later. I mean, it was like, that overwhelmed everything I've ever done before that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just the, sh- magnitude, the magnitude of it. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. a big deal. So much money involved. I imagine they just they didn't hold that. That was also in the prime of NASCAR. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. Winch- prime. Winston was involved at that yeah. time, and there was a lot of money. They spent a lot of money. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those three are probably the biggest that I could say uh, for sure. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. That's what we got? Yeah. All right. Well, that was your four-wheel parts get at me Q&A. Brian, thank you for sticking around for that, first of oh, all. No but problem. Thanks so thank much for so coming much. on. Oh, you're, thanks, You're guys. an absolute legend, and it's a pleasure to have you on here. Uh, hope you had fun. I did. And, I, it, uh, was, it was great fun. I'm glad we could finally do this. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we've been talking since uh, Anaheim, so yeah. glad we got you in finally. No, oh, it- one more thing. You had a big accident. <laughs> Yeah. So thankfully, wherever Troy is, I need to thank him because I was wearing his helmet the day I went down. Mountain bike crash. Yes. Yeah. I've been riding mountain bikes from about 82, um, and I rode like every off weekend and, and did that with my buddies. And I was riding down in Orange County, and we were in an area where we only rode once before. We were going down the steep downhill. Wasn't going very fast. Stuck the front tire. Went over the bars. Broke my back. Had to be helicoptered out of there. Is this Laguna Canyon, or where were you? Yeah, yeah. Opposite of Liso, the underside of the road, it's called uh, Lizard. 
We yeah. were on Lizard Trail. We came to the road all the way to the top, coming down. It's really steep, and there's a lot of rocks. And when I hit, I went, ooh, I'm hurt. What vertebrae? T5. Okay. I'll show you the picture when we're off the air. But, um, yeah, I spent five hours in surgery. I have all these rods and screws, luckily. Um, you know, I was laying on the ground. and went, my hands and feet are working. I won't be in a chair. I'll be okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Funny story. A few seconds later, here comes these women down the trail. They look at me. Hey, do you need help? Yeah. We're nurses in the emergency room. Right? Oh, wow. They check me out. Let's get you on the other side of the trail. You're in these rocks and dirt. I'm laying there. A few minutes later, this guy comes down the trail riding. He goes, you need help? I'm an EMT. <laughs> Meanwhile, the nurses call the helicopter, which we see all the time in there. You know somebody's down. The guys, they're talking back and forth. These two guys come down the hill, typical mountain bike guys. Dude, I crashed in here, and it took them three hours to get me out in a basket. If you can walk to the top, I would do it. My buddy and the EMT helped me, and we walked to the top. And when I got to the top, there was the Orange County Sheriff's Department medical team with their helicopter, and the fire department had brought the truck in because it was on the fire road where we ended up. And they checked me out. And, and the funny part, they were... The cool thing they do now is they take the helmet with every accident to yep. the emergency room. Oh, yeah. And I was wearing one of Troy's new helmets that has the MEPS system in it. MEPS, yeah. And they go, you know, where's your helmet? Oh, my buddy's got my helmet. He brings it over. They look at it. I go, let me look at it. I've seen enough helmet damage. I'll... No, I didn't hit my head, right? So, uh, but yeah. And when I got to the emergency room, they're like, you're so lucky. Your head and everything. I didn't really hit my head. I was conscious the whole time, but... Uh, yeah, I, I had a big get-off about 18 months ago. Uh, Everything good now? I kind of, I, yeah. I, I was thinking about you halfway through the show, thinking, oh, I wonder, I don't know where it was broken, but I wonder if you're uh, right, right in the center, luckily, uh, so it doesn't really affect me, you know, shoulder-wise or whatever. I still do therapy a couple times a week, Yeah, but a lot of that's old motorcycle stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Rotator cuff where I broke this couple, <laughs> yeah. three We're times. We're all still doing yeah. therapy. Yeah. We'll do that the rest of our life. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was really lucky that that happened like that and uh right time right place again yeah for sure you know and uh but uh yeah I, luckily i was back at work in five weeks jeez um everybody all the doctors were quite surprised that i yeah. could recover but you know how it is you, you when you're co in competition you, you're driven right yeah you know you can roll and just lay in bed and oh i hurt myself and i'm not going to recover the best thing Lo and behold, within a day, who calls me but Ricky Johnson? What did you do, you wuss? <laughs> I said, eh, cartwheels. He goes, did you flip him off through the phone? No. <laughs> no, no. He was right there the whole time. He would call me or text me every other day and, and things like that. Uh, so, cool. yeah. Well, glad you're all right. Good to see you up and moving. And, uh, Thank you. I'm sure you're back on the bike already. Uh, and again, thanks for coming on the show. We I will. Thanks, guys. It's been right. a pleasure. Yeah, it was We'll really take a quick cool. break. We'll be right back to wrap it up. 4WP is more than a store. We're truck and Jeep experts. From wheel and tire upgrades to full custom builds, 4WP has you covered. Do your rig right. Shop online or find your store at 4WP.com. At Nihilo Concepts, we have a passion for innovation and for motocross. Our mission is to develop parts that will improve the durability, functionality, and the appearance of your motorcycle. 
We're proud to say that everything from Nihilo is made in the USA in our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you race every weekend or you just ride for fun, Nihilo offers high-quality, innovative parts that you just won't find anywhere else. Nihilo offers custom engraved engine covers, one-piece titanium foot picks, brake tips, internal engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, carbon fiber components, and so much more. Check out our website, NihiloConcepts.com, and see for yourself why teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nihilo Concepts. NihiloConcepts.com. Alright guys, welcome back to the Whiskey Throttle Show. We're going to wrap it up. It's been a, an awesome sit with Brian. Just what a legendary mechanic, man. The, the things that guy has seen and done through so many decades of racing in multiple motorsports, it's incredible. Also, just working with suspension, like you said, sort of technician, designer, entrepreneur, mechanic, um, mind uh, guru for the guys. I mean, he's sort of, when you look at it, he did a lot. I, I found it very fascinating. I really enjoyed that. He was also the first mechanic in the industry that people really knew who he was. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, you always look at the superstars, but then you're going, oh, okay. You know, he was the guy that everybody knew was making champions, or at least yeah, part yeah, of, that, yeah. or of that process. He was the first mechanic that I ever became aware of their name, yep. their full name. Like, I remember that. Yeah, prior, you know, prior to that, just there was nobody that prominent. And he was, and, it, and it's not like he uh, was flamboyant or anything. He just was, he was getting results. Yeah, he was good at what Everyone he Everyone he was with was winning. And uh, anyway, very interesting. Really appreciate him coming in. Uh, the Decal Works Last Call. Uh, Decal Works bringing you graphics, plastics, seat covers, garage mats, accessories, ID kits for uh, chest protectors, helmets. They make a lot of stuff. They also do all the graphics for the uh, factory Red Bull KTM team. So if you like the way those bikes look, uh, you can have all that. You can buy Whiskey Throttle Show graphics. Uh, look a lot like these Yamahas over here. P.S. Shout out to New Ray Toys for setting us up with those. Those things came out awesome. Our new Yamaha line over here. Um, so let's have a quick listen to uh, somebody who knows Looney pretty well. Hey, Pro. What's up? Can you hear me? I can. Sorry if it's too loud in the background. That's all right. How are you, bud? I'm good. I'm just having a little wood ranch right now, just finishing up. Yeah, are you sitting next to Mike Morocco? Uh, not tonight, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a while, actually. So, uh, he mentioned he bumped into you at a bar one time, and uh, you guys had a cocktail. Here, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I know I did. I, I don't know if he did, but I know I did. So He had vegetables and steak? Yeah, he had like a, like a vegetable blended drink, and I had uh, Jameson on the rock. Jameson, yeah. Well, hey, man, I want to uh, bug you real quick about a guy who is, I know you spent a lot of time around, and that's Brian Lennis, who's our, our yeah. guest on the show. 
And you were at Yamaha while he was there. Oh, yeah, sure. You followed his career through Hannah and RJ and all that. So I wanted to get I was, I was, I was, perspective I was, at, I was at Yamaha the whole time he was there. Now that I think about it. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. And then, and then he came to Kawasaki with Huffman. Oh, in that's right. In 90... Well, with Kudrowski. And then with Huffman. Well, maybe, maybe. I'm not denying that. I don't, I don't remember. But he was with Huffman in 96, 97 also. And he okay. was like crew chief. He was like crew chief. And J-Bone, like, had to answer to him. And J-Bone didn't like that at all. Like, we were higher and ice. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. He's more, been, uh, yeah. He's kind of old school, you know, hard worker. You guys were probably having too much fun for not. <laughs> we were not. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you were beating him. He beating his guy, so that probably didn't help. Yeah. Um, what was he like uh, from a? Uh, what was it like in the truck with him from a standpoint, like working with Damon? I know that season in 92 ended horribly, but, uh, yeah. So you go back to end of 1990, 91, Yamaha brings him on who had success with Bob Hanna and Rick Johnson. Um, okay. Perfect. Perfect credentials for a young Damon Bradshaw. Right. Right. I mean, he's, he's the guy. He's the guy. Um, and what was interesting is that he had the, um, he, he, he was so well-rounded in his contributions to the rider, the team, the rider. And so, like, like, I can remember being back at Bradshaw's place in Charlotte and Lunas being the leader on, like, a cycling ride. <laughs> yeah, he said he was running with his guys. Yeah. Does that happen today? I, I'm trying to no, think of any. The writers, I, I don't. So yeah. he was a mechanic. He was a coach. He was a trainer. He was multifaceted. He was like the Swiss Army knife factor. But yeah. he, you wouldn't you wouldn't have that these days. So well, yeah, what back then it wasn't, is, yeah. Even though even though mechanics back then definitely did more. Not only they did drive the van, they did everything on the bike. There wasn't an engine guy and a suspension guy and a this guy. And a welder. A whole other <laughs> level. Yeah, and a welder. But he went to that whole other level, and like you said, he was coach, mental coach, actually training with them, helping them schedule. I mean, he was like the man friend. The tra- he was all of it built into one. Pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he's a great guy, as long as you were committed to the result. But it's really intense. Really intense. And, I mean, he was right there with the most competitive people that I've ever met. I mean, this guy did not like to lose. And we kind of got that from his interview. Yeah. I've got two Brian Luna stories that I'll leave you with. Okay. So I'll start with which one do you want? The good or the bad? Yes. The good, the bad, or the ugly? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, no. 
No, no, no. So, in 1992, when we got to the LA Coliseum for the final Supercross event, um, Bradshaw certainly had the speed to, he could start last and win the race, like, you know, on any given Saturday. Got to the event, and, and what was interesting about that is that our box fans were getting service. So each rider had their own individual box fan, right? 14, 16 foot van. Only Factory Kawasaki had a big 18 wheeler. So we each had our own individual rig. Well, those were getting service to go on the road for the summer. So, so at Factory Yamaha, we had, we went to the LA Coliseum and we had like a big, like 18 wheeler, but it was like a big empty cargo trailer. And that's what we worked out of, right? Okay. And we go to the final Supercross, and, and Bradshaw doesn't win the title. Stanton wins it. And I remember coming back to the rig, to the pit area, if you will, and Brian Lewis was literally throwing, like, like, hammers and tools and shit inside of the empty like this big 18-wheeler trailer, like a big empty trailer. And it was like, everybody was like, hey, you know, I needed to go in there to get to my gear bag to change out of my gear. And it was like, oh, let him be, because he's like throwing shit, you know. Um, and the yes, it seems crazy, but it's also reflective of what his character was and his, drive and determination for winning. Yeah. Like, what had just happened was unacceptable, and he was venting big time. <laughs> right? <laughs> big time. Big, you know? Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, you know, you've been with Bob Hanna, you've been with Rick Johnson, and Damon didn't deliver that day, and, and, it, and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking because I, I, you know, I love both these gentlemen. Like, you yeah. know, we spent a lot of time together, and nobody wanted that, you know. And but that's that's the nature of sport. Somebody wins, somebody doesn't. But he was just, I mean, he was, he was, that was unacceptable, you know. Yeah. Um, we we asked him about that. He said he sat down, he threw his, like, he had a little bag of tools. He I threw it on the top of my toolbox. And I, and I slammed the door, and I was like, I'm thinking, uh, the way I remember, I remember it differently. <laughs> yeah, I remember stuff flying, but, you know, hell, at, at my age, dude, who knows what's real and what isn't. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we, we could be just glorifying it. This, this story, you need to ask him about this. Okay. So, in, in 1992, we do the Motocross of Nations in... Australia, men's well. Yep. Steve Butler was my mechanic. He had uh, visa issues. So he couldn't go back to his home country to work on my bike for that event. So Brian Lewis went with him. That's right. He mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he didn't mention that he went with you. No, no details about it. But. Yeah. Oh, dude. So. Sunday morning, we do, like, the final practice before the race. Might have been one practice. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. So, I fall down 
and I and I and I, I like jam my right thumb. I like bend it back or I jammed it or something, but I bruised my right thumb really bad. And we had these like sort of similar like big like sort of utility trailers we we're working out of. Keith McCarty would have been there, probably John R. Maybe Bobo, Keith McCarty, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I, I, I come up into the rig and I'm and I get I climb in the rig and I'm like Brian, I, I when I fell I jammed my thumb really bad like my thumb, my thumb's killing me, dude. He slaps me in the face, tells me to shut the fuck up. No, no, no. Hold on. He tells me to shut the fuck up and don't tell anyone about this. And get on my bike and fucking ride. <laughs> Just like that. Straight up. No no coddling whatsoever. No. There was no coddling. Wow. My first motocross of nations ever. You can check it with him. You can fact check it with him if you want. But as I remember it, he slapped me in the face and told me to shut the fuck up and go ride the motorcycle. It's interesting, right? And don't tell anyone that I've, that I've hurt myself. Yeah. So I'm just, like, shocked, right? Like, nobody's ever treated me like that. Uh, we were supposed to do, like, the parade lap. We are standing in the back of these, like, four-wheel drive. I, could, I couldn't even, like, I couldn't grab a beverage with my right hand. My, my, my thumb was so weak. Jeez. We go to the first moto. So 125-500 was first moto. He's on the line with me, and he tells me to not think about the injury and that I have to do, you have got to do your job today and forget about what's happened to your hand. You will be fine. As it turns out, I have this amazing day, blah, 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 blah. We, all, we win the title, the motocross nations and all this. But it, it, it's still like if I hadn't been treated like that, I would have, it would have been an excuse. as an excuse, and yeah. He's like, you can deal with that tomorrow. Right now, you've got to go do your job. And he literally, he literally slapped me in the face. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't tell that story. That's awesome. Dude, uh, uh, oh, did you ever, we only had three hours. We only had three hours. Did you ever ask him about it later? Like, oh, about no, no. No, for sure. I wouldn't have like I wouldn't have had the balls to like ever like ask him about it. It was just a moment of, Hey, and keep in mind thing, at this point I'm not even sure these stories I tell are even true. So I'm gonna preface it well, with that. Depending on how much Jameson you've got down, you're right. It's, I mean who knows? No, 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 no. So this is it was but, listen, you're not gonna forget getting slapped in the face and being told that. By Brian Lunas. Yeah, like very highly respected, you know, like shut the fuck up, go do your job, and don't say anything to anyone. Now get on with it. It was like, uh, hey, it's like you said, maybe that's exactly what you needed to hear right then. Maybe there that are was some what kids you were that. There's some kids that are pro racers this year that I probably need a little bit of that themselves. So I'm just saying, you can quote me on that. That's awesome, man. Well, those are, that's a perfect story to end with. I appreciate you taking a couple minutes for us tonight. And, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, he was interesting, and I, I just wanted somebody else's opinion who'd worked with him. So uh, I appreciate that. Did you uh, did you interview J Bone at all? Not yet. No. Very very controversial. Uh, his time with Kawasaki and all that. He fucking hated J Bone and I. Oh, hey, wow. it would really, it would be really, really. You've got a whole nother page if you open up that can of worms. All right, all right. It's making sense now when I asked if you were at Yamaha with Lunas, and you said, "Oh yeah." <laughs> oh, and then I was at Kawasaki with Lunas. Like, yeah. trust me, you you open up the J Bone file, J Bone and Lunas. Yeah. That thing, that thing is mega. That's that's, that's awesome. probably what drove him out of the sport. Wow, all right. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to on one day, and then that'll be a good topic. Dude, he's a whole... <laughs> that's a whole other issue, that dude. That's great. Uh, i got to bring it up now. Well, hey, thanks yeah. for taking a minute, dude. I'll uh, I'll catch up with you soon, all right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. All right, we're back. That was our Decal Works last call, guys. Uh, it's been an awesome show. Thanks for coming in. It's good to be back. Uh, we're going to be back next week with Ivan Tedesco, so that'll be a fun show. Be sure to tune in for that. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, PowerDot. Go to PowerDot.com, order up one of these things, 20% off. You type in the code Whiskey Throttle. They work. They're awesome. If you just put this thing on and use it, you will notice uh, differences. Uh, big thanks to Yamaha Motor Corporation. Uh, awesome being lined up with a company like that. Method Race Wheels, big thank you to Troy Lee Designs. Check out their 2020 line. It's out now. Dunlop, four-wheel parts, Adidas, Pro Circuit, Nihilo Concepts, Specialized, Fire Department Coffee. Get over and take, take advantage of that 20% off. Racer X, Paleo Ranch Foods, Langston Motorsports. For GL and Donnie, I'm David Pingree. Thanks for watching the Whiskey Throttle Show. We'll see you next week.